the What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. This week we're talking about film scores with an entirely film scorey group. It's just me, the only friend in your head, with three people that are going to be strangers in your head. That's going to be fun, guys. Anyway, uh, myself as always, T. Christy, I'm sitting next to Matt Lankingsterman. You've been on one. You were on Revolutions. I was on Matrix Revolutions, yes. Kyle Newmaster. Hey. Composer extraordinaire. And Alex Smith. Hello. Composer, what do you, what, what's, is there something that's like right below extraordinaire? <laughs> Like you can say extraordinary. Can I say extraordinary? <laughs> okay, he's an extraordinary. Yeah. You know, I'm They're not going to fight that. So we're going to talk about film scores and film music and the whole bit. We're just going to make a big circuitous loop around the concept of the sounds that go into movies because we've never really talked about it. Um, the qualifications at work here are I have a podcast, so that's how I get on the show. And then Matt is Mr. Um, he's the kind of film watcher who gets really into the score during the movie and then goes home and buys it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle has been a composer for like what? 90 years. <laughs> uh, maybe was, 12, 12, what, what was 12 Christmas, 13 years. What was Christmas like, like in the forties, Kyle? <laughs> and, um, he's currently up for award with his partner Gordy for best or, or orchestral or choral instrument for star Wars or connect star Wars. Yep. Connect star Wars, best choral instrumental, uh, for a video game. So you've been Mr. Composer dude and actually scoring projects for a while, but yeah, about 10, 12 years. Yeah. Alex is a newer composer, but you've been a musician since you were like five. And I, I'm told. Yeah. Current student at Berkeley School of Music and college. about to college of yeah, music. They whatever. changed it in the name. Whatever. These, who cares? <laughs> Semantics. Like, yeah, people call it Berkeley. And yeah. um, now he's uh, just in town this week because he's been interviewing all around uh, various uh, studios and trying to get a job doing uh, composition stuff. Like yesterday, he was sitting in on a session at Capitol and the whole bit. Like That's Mr going to come out here and make this his career thing, and it looks like it's going to work out just fine. So uh, let's talk about score stuff. So I guess just generally, uh, let's start with the most boring question, and hopefully sometime in that answer, I'll find something that we can use as a tangent. <laughs> what would um, what would you consider the first time you were really moved by a film score? Alex, what do you got? Um, like, you're like listening to the movie, and it's like, really? what the hell is going on with this? this? Yeah, uh, well... Say I Star could, Wars. Could, you know you want to no, say Star Wars. No, no, yeah. it is John Williams. Uh, the, the first one that I noticed... Uh, was Jurassic Park. Really? And um, Do you know what cue? Um, you know the big one. <laughs> the, the main one? And uh, it's when they're when they're kind of flying towards the island like through the valley and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and so it, um, bum, I, bum, I, bum. I, I don't know how old I was. I must have... When did that movie come out? 94? Three. Three? Okay. And so I was three when it came out. And uh, I... You're born in 1990? Yeah. Oh, get out of here! Yeah, yeah. Damn it, that sucks. Uh, so uh, I, I had, I started piano lessons sometime after that, as I said, or so I'm told. I really don't remember, and uh, I remember seeing that movie when I was like allowed. So I must have been six, maybe, because that's that's young, dude. Yeah. Well, my dad was all about, you know. Fuck this kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna give him mental issues and make him scared of dinosaurs. And uh, I, the the first thing that I really remember is uh, saying, "Screw my piano practice. I'm gonna figure out that music." And so I started plunking away at the piano, and and I eventually got it, kind of like figured out. And uh, from then on, really, it was obsession with film scores. Sweet. So, yeah. Kyle, what was yours? I don't even know this one. Uh, well, I, I was born right around uh, when Star Wars came out, uh, 75. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it really was Star Wars when I was two. 
was was still kind of the thing and so that was when I started to first realize that my dad loved music listened to classical music and listened to film scores so he listened to Star Wars and I just got obsessed with it I was running around singing it I even <laughs> sometimes to waste time with me they would give me a, a, a cassette recorder if you remember those yeah 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 <laughs> I, ha- I actually I have a Star Wars related cassette story but go on <laughs> uh, they, they used to actually just set up the cassette recording and say you know record record a uh, Star Wars story or something so I'd be like oh, two and cool. I would be uh singing Star Wars themes and recording them. So I was just like obsessed with Star Wars. And running around your house singing the trench run thing, like, da 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 Yeah, oh, yeah. All, all that uh-huh. stuff. Then yeah. you run into a wall and cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, my dad actually used to really like the old serials too, which I know influenced George Lucas and things, you know, like Flash Gordon right. and uh, all, you know, all those old serials. I guess they were probably from like the 30s and 40s. And uh, so the, all that had like that romantic big film score sound and so I grew up listening to that and then you know I obviously got Indiana Jones and the more the Star Wars films again after that and then of course later Jurassic Park and everything that came after you know I got into a lot of James Horner uh, the early Mm, Star Trek scores Goldsmith's first score kind of just went from there I was a uh, film score nut from an early age and mm-hmm. used to buy all the record the actual record oh you wow know, the record record yeah uh, like a record record like record. a record record yeah, yeah. and uh, I think cassettes and and then you know but I've just always had a huge film score collection and have been obsessed with it and I luckily turned it into a career alright Matthew it's your turn buddy alright uh, I should I should start by saying um, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even you're wondering why I've called you all here <laughs> I didn't even get into uh, music in general till I was much older, not at least until like high school. I wasn't one of those kids that was into 80s music or listened to the radio or anything like that until until much later on in life. Um, so I can't say I found uh, film scores at a younger age, but... But at some point, you went from not caring to caring. Was there one score yeah. that did it or no? Well, I, I didn't realize... I didn't think about it until Alex mentioned uh, finding, figure out the, the tune on the piano. I realized I did that with the score to Terminator 2. Ooh. I think that was the okay. first score I ever noticed as a kid. And yeah, I think that was the first one I ever noticed. But uh, I, I used to make my parents buy me like soundtracks to movies that I really liked, mm-hmm. but not not like the scores. It was just like, oh, I like Batman, and the, band, the Batman soundtrack is something you can buy. So yeah, let me buy that. Didn't, so it had songs on it. <laughs> and then I think that continued <laughs> to when... Uh, <laughs> when Independence Day came out I was like that movie was awesome oh hey I want to buy I want to have that soundtrack and I bought that and that was the first and that was the first David Arnold David Arnold and that was the first CD I ever owned uh, wow and I I still I still listen to it to this day it's a great score (laughs) it is a great score so I think after that um, I think that's what really got me into it that's badass I love the David I love that whole score and what's crazy is I watched the show The Sing Off because I'm a total nerd but it's the acapella singing competition show are you familiar with this you guys heard of it Uh, oh it's great and Ben Folds is a host and one of the guys from Boys to Men and it's just like this is the most acapella thing that's ever happened Um, and I don't like Glee so that's your criteria you can now calibrate how Tig is about music Um, but (laughs) one of the coolest things about it uh, the whole thing existing is amazing but there's a uh the opening theme song for the show basically straight up lifts a big long phrase from the Independence Day score. Hmm, yeah. Um, there's a dun 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 da 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 is in the actual theme. It's like <laughs> that is really it. That is totally that phrasing. Um, it's the whole statement. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I got into. I don't even know when I got into scores, man. I was. Uh, I, I got into music and liked movies, and they sort of just ended up meeting up at some point, and. Um, it's not actually that interesting, so I'll skip myself. What's the uh, let's let's talk about composers here. I here I'll tell you my opinions, and you guys tell me why I'm wrong, or if you disagree, or if I'm right. That'd be great. Um, let's start with this one. I think Hans Zimmer is doing the same thing over and over again. It's bugging the hell out of me. 
Oh, we're going here again. We're going here. We're going to start here, huh? Bring it. Okay. <clears throat> Alex, I, I know this is a thing that he can talk about at least a bit, because when I said that, he, he hit me in the eye and then <laughs> set me straight, basically. Yeah. All right, Alex. Yeah, well, um, Ex- I, I guess... Dark Knight yeah. and Inception sound exactly the same. Nope. He keeps doing the same fucking thing. My, his my, entire... or his, his arrangement is one sad tuba player with only one note. <laughs> Inception, he has about 19 tuba players who are all very happy, so yeah. you're already wrong. But um, uh, the, the thing about Zimmer is that um, a lot of people generally don't get this actually about a lot of artists, and this, this really expands way farther than film scores even. Um, but he, I would definitely would consider a minimalist. And what people aren't seeing is the work that he has put into getting to this final product. And I think his goal usually with the score is to find the lowest common denominator musically that can say the most about either a character or a context or a story. So, for example... He finds the most useful nugget. Yes, a nugget. That's that's a good term. And uh, for, let's say, Batman Begins, you know, he started there. He wanted to find the character of Bruce Wayne in a single musical element. Dun, dun. And he, he eventually arrived at that. And, you know, people will hear that and they'll be like, oh, man, that's two notes. I mean, that's so simple, you know, like compared to... You know, all the really classic scores are very noty. Whereas Zimmer is very not noty. Um, I think, like I said, he's he's trying to just make it as simple and powerful as possible so that he can he can really expand on it everywhere. You know, he, he basically he, has options. Yeah. He he can throw that anywhere in the film and then like thematically develop it uh, to basically fit probably in any context in the entire movie. And I think that's a really brilliant approach. And then let's say, you know, uh, Inception. You say that that's one sad tuba player. Yeah. But uh, you know, he. <laughs> first, I gotta say, I when I when I first saw that movie, I was blown away. I love the movie, but also I was like, man, I never would have come up with this musical statement. I guess just the whole vibe of the music. If someone handed me the script and was like, okay, so here's a bunch of guys dressed in really nice suits going in dreams. And you know, it's the big, the giant sound that that has is not what I would have thought of. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have probably discovered this on their own, but you know, it has the, the Edith Piaf song for the kick. And, uh, when it's brilliant, what he did is that he, he, took that slowed it down and i if i had to guess just because as they go down each layer it gets slower and slower in according in, in accordance to how time moves slower and slower the farther down you go he took that and slowed it down so dun 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 you know he's got and the, that's the, where the, our tuba the, players get sad yeah no they get so happy and uh <laughs> Yes. Is, it, is it a tuba? Am I even saying, am I no, saying I, he, he has like tuba, like a thousand bass trombones. Uh, uh, some <laughs> That's a great name for a ska band. <laughs> a thousand bass trombones. <laughs> uh, Someone yeah, needs and, to do a ska version of the Inception soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there would be no uh, chords in that song. And it's just a really, really brilliant idea in that he, he started with their source music and moved from there. And so... I think a lot of the time, 
Zimmer is not so much focused necessarily on the music itself and making it like really good music that stands up on its own, but it is it number one always works with the film so well, and um, the thought process for me is very interesting. I would assume I'd have to ask him, but um, I would assume that I, I think I'm on the right track. Uh, and I mean, I've thought about this a lot, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sometimes with a power grid, <laughs> yeah, I just sit around yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, it's cool. Yeah. He's, he's super cool to me. Yeah. Uh, he's very interesting to, to think about. Is it Kyle? Uh, is it, he just said, and he may or may not be right, but it seems like Hans <laughs> sometimes doesn't require that the music stands on its own. Like it could be just its own piece. Do you think that's integral or no? I mean, is there, is there a time where you can write music where it's like this literally, there's no reason for me to make this work outside of the context. You're talking about thematically? Yeah, well, or, just in I terms mean, of like a listening experience. Like, you know, well, you, you, I think, can, you can put in the sweets from Jurassic Park and just listen to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends what pieces. kind of music you like. I mean, um, I, you know, I definitely tend to uh, really get into the more thematic approach to scoring, but what Alex was saying here uh, <clears throat> is right in a way it, that he is almost minimalist at times, and I think he's on, rec- on record at some point saying that he doesn't really believe in the melodic approach really anymore he's kind of more into groove based and kind of you know, sounds kind of and motivic based and, yeah. approach to scoring where he comes up with a simple idea and makes the most of that and that is very minimalist like a lot of the composers of the 20th century um sorry am i close enough there um you know a lot of the composers in classical music in the 20th century really got into minimalism and it's 20 minutes of you know piano and vibes and <laughs> bass clarinet junka 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 yeah. junka yeah, junka you, you know and you can tell yeah. that he loves steve reich yeah absolutely absolutely you know uh, yeah. so I think it's a different kind of listening experience. So it's much more kind of hypnotic, and uh, I see what Alex is saying about that. If you're into the thematic thing, you know, his Gladiator score was probably one of his last scores, right? That had really mm-hmm. sweeping melodies. From was that his, or I thought someone else was working on that one too? I don't know. I think he's the only uh, credited the, guy on the, that. Uh, I forget the singer's name, but uh, she he gave her composing credit, I believe. Oh, cool. And uh, she and it's actually. I think what he said was that she actually didn't necessarily write the music, but she probably her, improvised. Her, yeah, the vocals, her, yeah, yeah, her effect which became a major part of the score. Right. Yeah, her, I, her I effect on the guess. score was so important that he couldn't not give her credit. Because but she, I, she was just doing riffs and stuff, right? Sometimes, okay, but you know, sorry. if Go it's on. if it's perfect, then <laughs> it's a composition suddenly. But I guess. Uh, you know, I, I actually, I mean, my, I mean, classical, it, my it, classical music collection is, you know, pretty large. And so and it, uh, I have a lot of minimalism. Uh, you know, even back when I was in school, they would make a study. Bazillions composers, you know, John Adams, like you said, you know, but various different guys that did that. And, and, and you know, it's it, minimalism can sound kind of all the same because they're all just trying to develop a simple idea right. as well as possible over a long period of time. Um, There's a lot of exploration involved. Yeah. So I think if, if you're into that and... and and you like that kind of sound. I do like it. I don't always, I'm not always in the mood for it, but if you're into that, I think it can be a listening experience on its own, mm-hmm. which Hans Zimmer scores, I understand what you're saying about them sounding all very similar. Uh, you know, I'm just being a douche. Uh, well, you know, groove, they're very groove based. Uh, sonically, he does tend to use similar instrumentation, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guitars, a lot of low brass, you know, the 20 bass trombones, mm-hmm. <laughs> 200, maybe you said, I don't remember. A thousand bass trombones. I believe it was uh, a million, but... Uh, oh, a million, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he, he definitely stays away from the winds. He doesn't like the high winds at all. He doesn't like, yep. generally, no, he doesn't like flutes and clarinets, usually unless they're low clarinets. He doesn't really use the trumpet a lot. Um, not a lot of high strings, a lot of kind of repetitive... Just kind of like very groove-based music that's yeah. kind of based around the percussion and the guitars. And so mm-hmm. it can start to sound very similar, but um, 
Do you think that's his preference, or do you think that's what they keep hiring for? They're like, oh, I like the way that sounded. That's Please probably a little keep, bit of both. Keep dealing with mm-hmm. what you were doing there. That was it's probably a little cool. bit of both. I think. Does that happen to? I mean, I always. I make, and bear in mind, I'm the least qualified person in the room to make this argument on behalf of Danny Elfman, but I really like Danny Elfman a lot. I'm a huge fan of Elfman, and I hear what I said about Hans about Elfman constantly. In fact, more. I think more right. people are saying that about Elfman when they could on say the it about everybody. But, you know, a Dorkman on the show is, you know, has said Elfman has two speeds Oingo and <laughs> Batman. And, and then he arrives, he said, and off. But he's usually not off. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, dude, no, because, okay, here's the thing. Here's what I say. Tell me where I divert from reality. I always say, Elfman was in a band called Oingo Boingo that Tim Burton liked. Burton went up to the guy in the band that he liked and said, yo, I'm doing this movie. Could I, I think it'd be really interesting if you did this. I saw what you did with Forbidden Zone. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, could you come and do that? And, and he was like, yeah, because he's Elfman. He sounds cool. And <laughs> he, he does the thing and Burton loves it. And then Elfman starts scoring other projects. And when or Elfman starts scoring other projects, when Burton comes back for another movie, he's like, that was cool. I like what you were doing there. Cause just because that's literally Tim Burton's preference. That's just the sound of music that he likes. Right. And then after he makes like three really huge, you know, scores, three really big ones, the whole world knows that he sounds sort of like that. Dum, 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 you know, mm-hmm. and the whole, mm-hmm. the, the joke about Elfman's music. And he keeps getting hired to do that shit. And because everyone only associates that sound with him, when he's doing everything else, you don't notice it's him. It's a selection yes. bias thing. Like you're only, you know, when, when Men in Black came out, you're like, oh, there's fucking Elfman doing his thing. Uh-huh. But nobody was sitting there doing Good Will Hunting going, oh, fucking Elfman doing yeah, his yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if, you, you know, it, to what extent it's just that I don't listen to the stuff, you know, I associate that sound with Hans Zimmer, and every time I hear that sound, I go, "Oh, he's doing oh. it again." But I'm not noticing well, that I other can, I can shit tell he's you doing. from a composer perspective, like in my case, and probably everybody that I know, my peers, that we get asked all the time to to, to do that sound. You know, whether it be a whole score or whether it be to do the Elfman sound. No, no, no. Actually, back to the Hans Zimmer. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Dark Knight. You know, right. uh, mm-hmm. Batman Begins. Basically, that sound, Inception. <clears throat> you know, that's what for a certain kind of film. That's what everybody wants, in Vogue and right now. and so you hear a lot of composers, basically trying to do their version of that, um, and so it's I'm sure that happens for sure to Zimmer. Yeah, it happens to the rest of us, you know, because he created it and, <laughs> and his people fault. liked it, and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it's going on I think through the whole industry. But I, I imagine it happens to him all the time. Interesting. Yeah, and I think I think if we're going to talk about, uh, you know. I think the next logical step would be thinking about, you know, getting asked to repeat yourself. I think, Teague, that's kind of what you're going for is like, is uh, like Elfman, he might have done that, you know, you know, Batman and Pee Wee and all that 30 years ago. And now he, he may be sick of that sound, you know, but um, who knows? Maybe people are like, you know, we want you to sound like this. I think an even more drastic example of that is someone like James Horner. I made the, I made the joke before air. We were talking about, and, and then you're just an artist who does the same thing every time. We call that Horner. I was kidding. <laughs> and, and I'm being I'm being really is, cruel to all of these you know, composers. I'm being a douche. Yeah. Well, my my um like there's a lot of Horner scores that I love. In particular, A Beautiful Mind I think is brilliant. And uh, I'm just going to assume that he gets the movies that he scores get tempt with his own music a lot. Hmm. Could it be. seems like it could. Yeah. It could be also though. Like he, I think it started probably in the '80s when he started to really sound like himself. At least when I noticed it. You look at Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan and Crawl, and I think was it Aliens at the same time or near that time. Blue Whatever. Apple. Definitely mm-hmm. Crawl and Star Trek II sound almost identical. <laughs> and I love Star Trek II. It, I mean, it basically, I think, pretty much defined the sound of space in like a 
concise way of like, okay, that is what uh, film scoring is going to be when we're dealing with space, like mm-hmm. after that. And I'm sure it was all derived from other things that already happened with every other composer, but, but I think he really helped define that. And then once he had that, it seemed like he kept repeating those same things. And of course you have the motive that's yeah. in every movie ever. Um, yeah, I remember the enemy at the gates. For the, yeah, the worst example, actually. You know, I, and I don't always mind that when he does that. I mean, it's just something he likes. But one time, I, I, one of his movies, uh, what was it? Uh, the one with, with the guys in the boat and the wave. Uh, uh, perfect storm. storm. Perfect storm. Yeah, he did that. Uh, yeah, I think really? he scored that. Yeah, I'm huh. pretty sure. I could be right. It's been a while, but I remember there's a scene in the boat, and uh, the score sounds nothing like anything. You know that I'm talking about here, but then all of a sudden you hear da 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 da. It's like it creates a little tension. It's like, oh gosh, that's Horner coming in. The- there it is. But uh, he definitely repeats himself. It's like the Wilhelm scream, except Horner. <laughs> yeah, I mean he might hey guys. he might enjoy doing that too. You never well, that's, know. But- that's uh, lifted from some classical piece, right? Uh, I'm sure, like yeah. very Tchaikovsky, I believe, yeah? is okay. where he lifted that. Uh, I, I, it's definitely like a conscious thing. He's not. Wrong. It's like, oh, it sounds like no. It's, he's definitely like, I want to put this in there. Yeah, it seems like every time. He's and that's worth noting as well is that he's not the only guy that does that. I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> are we going to talk about John Williams now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but that's if, like a very specific I, one, like a it, few it is measures a single riff. Like, but yeah. I mean, I all it's I'll a device, this really. myself. I I I lift from Shostakovich all the time, and it's not necessarily lifting. You know, it's it's more like I'm I'm just like wow, that's perfect for this. You know, I mean, his his sound is oppressively sad. And so, like, are you, you talking know, about an, an arrangement and instrumentation thing, or are you talking about like melodies? Uh, instrumentation and just kind of a general chord progression. Kind of, um, it's not it's not as exact as that one line, but it is conscious though, and I'll admit that. Um, and I and there's there's a lot of composers that do that, and they will also freely admit it. I mean, like you said, John Williams, the most <laughs> famous example is that you know. Stravinsky Rite of Spring equals Jaws and Star Wars equals Holst Mars. Right. Uh, that said, he was asked to do the planets. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. George just said, "Here, listen to these." Uh, well, actually, actually, even more specific. George wanted to re-record the planets. Yeah, he actually and John had a bunch Williams of classical like, music he wanted to put in there. I think huh. it was like 2001. Yeah, 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 yeah. With like and, the uh, and John, John was like, was, "No, no, no, I can do better." <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's John Williams. Like, check out the nuts. I mean, I, <laughs> hold on. Hold on, Holst. Give me one second. <laughs> I, I can tell you on that on that point, though, from a scoring perspective, that you know, temp love, as they would call it, mm-hmm. you know, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, basically, you know, films are tempt with music after they're edited. A lot of times, while they're being edited, music is placed in so that the filmmakers can kind of get a feeling what it might be like before they pass it on to the composer, and then they can communicate with the composer what they're right. looking for. So they drop in this piece of music, and they say the composer yeah, will do something and, ish and it, like that. Yeah, yeah, but they watch it over and over and it's over and over and over and over and over. And then and they start over, cutting the movie to that? Over, you know, over time, and it happens... You know, it happens to me even too. Like if I've scored something a certain way and I've reworked it and reworked it and reworked it and I've gotten to the point where I love it, but I finally present it to the filmmaker, if they don't like it, all of a sudden I have temp love <laughs> of what I wrote, but I have to change it. So I think anytime you hear something over and over and over, you know, you're going to you're gonna fall in love with that. So filmmakers do that a lot. And I'm sure George Lucas said that right. in Star Wars. Like he, he had heard it so many times with that music that he wanted to create it like that. You can, you can read about the fallout that... Uh 
uh, Sam Raimi and Denny Hoffman had uh, Spider-Man 2, right? Spider-Man 2, where, yeah, Sam Raimi, like, fell in love with all this 10 music, and I think they literally wanted to use, like, pieces of the 10 music, and I was like, no, I'm not gonna do that, and they brought in some other people, and there was a big to-do, and now I guess they're buddy-buddy again, because he just did <laughs> Oz, but, um, yeah, you can that's you can find that story online, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Temple of, yeah, it sounds like a bummer. Spider-Man 3. Yeah, right? Christopher, Christopher Young. Christopher who, Young who right. They brought in Christopher Young during Spider-Man during Spider-Man 2. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Interesting. But, like, to what extent... I, I, I guess should the thinking about the concept of John Williams is just doing this Tchaikovsky piece over here and this whole piece over there or you know Elfman is doing Elfman or whatever that to what extent should we think of it in terms of being something where it's like the composer didn't want me to notice this but I totally did or is it just no dude that music worked because of this 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 and this and they needed that sort of thing and that's how music works anyway so we well, go for it see I think in most in a lot of cases if it's not if it's not a temp thing mm-hmm. I think almost every composer whatever level they're at is still listening to music constantly and trying mm-hmm. to be re-inspired because right. if you're not doing that you're, you're getting bored and then you're not writing yeah. interesting music anymore um, and so they're constantly listening and they're and they're hearing things like oh I'd love to try something like that I see. and a lot of times they can mask that but ultimately, they're really just like, that was cool. I love that. I want to do that. And they find a way to try and fit that into something they're doing, sometimes more successfully hidden than others. And so I don't think it's bad that you hear the chord changes from a Shostakovich symphony or something from Tchaikovsky. I think it just is inspired. As long as it's mm-hmm. not like they took the score. I mean, that happens sometimes, like we said, with Temp Love, where right. the, the, the director's like, no, closer, 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 closer. Mm-hmm. All right, fine. Here you go. It, this is it. Okay, yeah, I love it. We're probably gonna have to pay but, licensing for this. Yeah. Well, actually, all that music though, it's uh, it's public domain. It's out. Yeah, it's public domain. You can, if they want to put, they'd have to re-record it. But if they want to put a piece from Beethoven in a movie, generally, it's it's free. No shit. But, uh, I, didn't I mean, know they that. have to re-record it. They can't use the recording right. of the Chicago Symphony. Did, right, right, right. But if they re-record it with the LA, you know, studio musicians, good to go. Good to go. Interesting. Yeah. And and ninety percent of the people are gonna notice anyway. I mean, I'm here right. talking about it, but I'm right. not gonna notice. Well, I, don't, I don't know these the, names. The catalog that you guys of classical music is so. Massive, and you know, if most composers, um, I mean, I can speak for myself at the very least. I am constantly studying and learning from both that and also, you know, other music, jazz, you know, modern stuff. And you're bound to, you know, pick up a thing every now and then. And there's there's a million times when I'll I'll be sitting there writing something, and only afterwards I'm like, damn it, that was that. You know, I've done that, dude, and I don't even really do composing at all. happens all the time and you that's the thing that you have to watch is if you're unconsciously copying something mm. and and you know over time that goes away when I first started composing I'd be like man this feels familiar but I, I can't put my finger on it and only three months later I'd be like oh that's what that was but yeah, what, what really sucks is yeah. after you've written something and you're all excited about it and you finish it and then like you said a, a ways later you're all done with it it's recorded and everything like, oh crap you hear something that you realize somehow in the back of your oh, mind oh god that's what I was doing <laughs> well either you subconsciously did it or you just happen to come up with something that sounded like something you'd heard previously whatever right. it's like wow that's really close to this and right. you didn't I, intend to do it does that become a score I, that you feel guilty about and you don't want to play for people <laughs> <laughs> like oh, they're gonna know everyone's gonna see I it I don't know <laughs> I've done that with with cinematography though like I'll back when that was more my thing uh, back in the school a little bit afterwards like I would set up a shot and I'd draw and everything and I'd shoot it and then, like, months later, I realized, oh, wow, I stole that exact shot from The Matrix Reloaded. And I've done that, like, many times. Like, oh, wait, this shot is from there. But, so you can Yeah. And, um, you know, like, just to bring it back a little bit, when, when I think, Teague, you said something about, like, just kind of overtly taking something. 
if that know, happens, it's maybe it's, not disingenuously, but yeah, it's it's almost never like, aha, excellent, I'm going to steal this music. No one it's, has ever yeah. heard Neptune before. <laughs> I'm instead, the first person who has heard Neptune. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, um, what what really happens is, uh, let's say from my experience as a guitarist, yeah. and I might be listening to insert guitarist here, and I'm like, that's a sweet lick, so I transcribe it, I learn it, and then I'll use it somewhere. And with writing suddenly using something as entering the legal area. Whereas if you're a guitarist, you're on stage and you cop a Stevie Ray Vaughan lick, mm-hmm. everyone's like, ah, oh, he just copied Stevie Ray. That's cool. Well, it's, Whereas, kind of, it's actually kind of, uh, uh, it, it's not a bad thing when you're performing mm-hmm. live. I mean, I, I, I grew up, I'm a trumpet player as well. Right. Same thing, you know, like you were just saying, you learn how to perform and how to improvise. You learn how to perform and improvise by basically listening and finding little things that you want to copy, mm-hmm. inserting them into your live playing, right. and then hopefully eventually working it in where it's not a direct copy. And it's your and, own style. Uh, but it's, with, uh, it's with writing. It's a with writing, you can't really do that because yeah. you're thinking about it, and then it's down there, and everybody that ever performs it again will will hear it like that. Right. Or when you're performing and you, you're doing a solo and you do something random that's exactly from, right. in the case of jazz, I might have copied Freddie Hubbard or Charlie, mm-hmm. you know, Charlie Parker or something. And it's like, oh, you know, somebody in the audience will know that solo and they'll get excited right. about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But if, if uh, and even on record, they would think that was kind of cool. Right. But if it, it was written, yeah, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that is also how you learn, you know. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, every now and then I'll, I'll just start writing a kind of, I guess, movie cue without a movie. Right. With the intent of, you know, this isn't being released. And that's, I'm just going to, like, try and, and, like, uh, tie in something that I've been listening to. If I've been listening to, like, Looper, I'll do something similar to that. It's not going anywhere, so it's, you know, that's that's how you learn. But the problem is when you actually start scoring things, and that is your, you know, you're too busy to, like, kind of practice stuff on your own. Practice writing. It ends up getting folded into your project? Yeah. Then, then either you can't do that and you just have to explicitly do, you know, this works for the movie and that's it. I can't really worry about my development consciously. I'm just going to simply develop how I'm going to develop just by doing the score. Um, if that makes any sense. And <laughs> yeah. No, we could have a yeah. whole talk just on yeah. that. I uh, mean, yeah, that's a the development subject. as a composer throughout your career and yeah. when that stops, if you get too busy. And mm-hmm. how, do, how, how does. How long does it? I mean, tell me about finding your voice as a composer at that point. I mean, I what, don't know. <laughs> well, well, Kyle, I mean, are you are you any, well, th- you're further along on the line there? Have you kind of figured out the way that you work and sort of how you? I work mean, I think it, it's a hard thing to really define. I think uh, it sounds like you're similar to me, Alex, in that you know, in my case, I grew up performing a lot and improvising a lot. You know, improvising on trumpet, and I used to play a lot more piano. Right. And uh, just constantly creating, which before I was even composing and putting it down on paper, I was composing. Mm-hmm. just spontaneously and then it was never written down mm-hmm. so I developed that and I think then once I started writing it was just a matter of doing it all the time you know yeah. I think that's that's the one problem I think is if if you come out here without any experience of actually composing and just start and just start basically doing work for somebody and never do your own music you'll probably never develop your own sound you need to do if you're working for somebody else and doing their thing on the side you got to be writing your own music constantly with your extra hours in the day right putting together your own groups starting your own recording sessions you know finding your own voice because the only way to find your own voice is to to write a lot yep i mean a lot so if anybody's listening that's in college or in high school or something i'd recommend just don't wait for a teacher to tell you to do it just start doing it you know get your 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 three musician friends together your guitar friend your your drummer friend and your trumpet player friend or whoever you know whatever they play your vocalist friend and just write something for them and just start 
going for it because that's the only way you're going to develop a voice mm-hmm. is just to do it. You know, yeah. and speaking of just doing it, when I when I first got in the film scoring and I and I hadn't yet scored a film, mm-hmm. uh, I was actually kind of. I, I was in the same place as Kyle's. I was coming from an improvisation background. I came to Berkeley with the intention of being a jazz guitarist, which I'm kind of glad I've changed because now I'm actually going to make money. <laughs> Plus, but, you'll um, stop getting tendonitis all the yeah, time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I, I was thinking about my voice, and I was like, I need to have a voice. It's it's this kind of weird neurotic way of looking at writing. And only when I actually got a gig i just went out and got a gig having never done it before i had no idea what sympty was i i i didn't right i'd never i'd barely sequenced ever uh for those listening who don't don't know what that means that's like sequencing midi midi notes um i i you know i just i did it and it was painful and awful and then looking back it's like there you go i actually kind of learned something about myself now i know like i won't do that i'll do that next time and you know you've just you start out with this giant intimidating monolith of stone that you then your first project you whittle something away you're like okay there's like this little bit that i just learned about myself and then the next one you learn a little and I, yeah bit and more. i think that little thing you learn about yourself is really just what you think sounds cool mm-hmm. you yeah. know if if your theory teacher tells you Oh, you got to you got to go from here to here, and you can't do that note. You might like the sound of what they tell you not to do. Like, in, I remember in theory class, never do parallel fifths or parallel octaves. <laughs> I love that sound. So yeah. you know what? Screw that. I'm going to do it if I want to. Right. You know, so you find out what you like, and everything you write or everything you play, you discover. I like that. That's going to be a part of what I do, or sometimes be a part of what I do. And you just keep discovering those little gems, and yep. over time, you've got a bigger vocabulary. And then and it's a bag of tricks, basically. Yeah, you it basically is. want to build the it's biggest true. bag of tricks you can that you like, because that's what makes you you, is what you identify with. If you just constantly are trying I to please see. other okay. people, if you're like, I got to do this because I need to keep that job, and that's what this guy wants me to do, but I don't like the sound of that, you're not developing your own voice. You may be, it just may not be the voice that you want. You got to, to be really inspired and come across as honest, I think with your music, you have to you have to write what you like. Right. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. occurred to me, like, this is a concept, I mean, this applies to music, obviously, but it applies to a lot of things, and I've never figured out a way to express it in my mind, but that's exactly what it is. Your voice, or your style, or your whatever, your, your the quality of you-ness in whatever you're doing is literally just basically the shape of your bag of tricks, whatever kind of yep. shape, whatever, the shadow of it, the outline of all the things that you do because they work for you becomes your voice. That's what it ends up being. Mm-hmm. Elfman got really into this, bum, you know, bum, this particular bum, use bum, of bum, trumpets bum. and then he likes having the percussive this, that and the other and he likes doing the, you know, first, fifth, first, fifth thing and all of a sudden, just a couple of things that he likes have become the yeah. Elfman sound and, and that's how tri- it works. The tricky thing too about getting those bag of tricks like and figuring out how to develop that is that, you know, sometimes they come quickly and you discover a whole bunch in a day. Sometimes you might not learn anything. You might write a whole piece and you might throw it all away and you might hate it. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, you learn something by the failure as well, in a way. But one teacher I had uh, told me basically just always be wow oriented. So if you're studying, if you're studying composers or, you know, scores or recordings or, or anything musically uh, and you hear something you like, don't just be like, oh, that's cool. You know, or he said, don't be wow oriented. Sorry. Uh, if you think something sounds cool, don't just be happy with, I like that. Go and figure out what it is, analyze it, mm-hmm. uh, figure out how it works. break it down, and then utilize it. Yep. So if you just sit there and think, oh, that's cool, I'll figure that out someday. It's not going to work out. You got to go in. You'll figure what identif- it is. Yeah, you got to identify. <laughs> you got to have your cool thing now with the iPhone, you know, or anything. You record anything. The second, the second you get an idea, document it. Mm-hmm. You know, right. pull out whatever program you have on your phone. Sing something into your phone, write something down on a piece of paper, whatever, so you don't forget. 
and then go back to it. And whenever you're inspired by anything, you gotta you gotta remember it. That, yeah. that reminds, it's funny because it's very similar to Alex's getting this tattoo here in a second on his arm. It's just going to be basically staff lines. Five notes. Blank. Uh, five five lines. Yeah. So Blank. That if I so have an idea, just sharpen it down. <laughs> Jot it down real quick. Yeah. And actually, it's badass. To, to and bring, it's going to be a cool looking tad anyway. Yeah. It looks cool. It's nice and simple. Minimalist. You know. Hans you have pinstripes like, on your arm. Uh, yeah. And to bring it back to kind of the whole like you know copying stuff off of composers, um, I can give a very specific example. A sound that I really like is second inversion triads, and I got that from Shostakovich. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, and but uh, we have a piano with a microphone. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, Hop on over, yeah. buddy. Time, time to test it? Do it. Let's see yeah, what happens. All right, cool. You might have to, when you're talking into the mic, you might have to kind of, you know, be like a baby bird talking up into the, I don't know how that analogy works, but <laughs> so those who don't idea. know what a second inverted triad is, yeah. well, explain that. Uh, well, show them what a regular triad is first. Well, I'll do minor, since yeah, do- you know, we, we like minor. Uh, so, there's that. And if you kind of flip it on its head, there's so play, uh, first inversion. Play each note, though, so they can actually hear what's so, in it. Yeah, give us a little bit of music theory here. Okay, so I'm playing a C minor chord, and that is C, E flat, G. And if you take the middle note, E flat, and you make that the bass, and then you take the bottom note, put it on top, now you have first inversion, because you just inverted it, and it's the first one. And then the second would be doing that one more time, so now... And if I actually make this an interesting voicing, uh, you know, if I if I do kind of this, that's that's a cool sound. Um, and since we're on the whole Hans Zimmer kick, I'll do kind of a Hans Zimmery thing. So you're hearing this, uh, you're hearing that that sort of the, those voices move there, and I I just like the sound of that, and so. Um, one thing that I got from Shostakovich, it was in his uh, 10th symphony, I think, and he does something very similar to that, and, and, and it gives this very tense sound, and so, you know, you're up here, it's not really resolved, it's kind of like something's about to happen, and uh, the score that I just did has this, that is the motive, and there's this whole big fight scene, and it's... And, it, and it's and it's sitting on that, and and it tends to give it just a little bit more uh, tension, I guess. It it without being tense, without being like you know, like that sort of tense. It's it's more it's rather overt, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's not show, like Mickey Mousing. It. Show them what a, uh, I guess show them what like an, in a major case, because to me a minor it sounds really cool. Second verse and everything, but you take a major C major triad, right? And just play, hold that, and then play just. A C in the bass or something like first inversion. Okay, now do it with E. So it has a completely brighter sound when you have E in the bass. Play it. Play a lower E actually. Ooh. Now play it again with C. <laughs> See how it has it has a completely different sound even though it's the exact same chord. Right. That's considered first inversion. Okay, mm-hmm. so play a second inversion then. Uh, yeah, it's just each one of those. Now do something crazy and put a uh, the seventh in the bass or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's not gonna work. No. <laughs> well, it and, can work. It just sounds like it's a go yeah, somewhere. Wait, 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 what about the flat seventh? Oh, that's a good sound. It's a jazzy sound. Only yeah. if it's going somewhere. Only if it's going here. Yeah. Good. Oh, it sounds yeah. churchy, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Gets a little gospel Yeah. But um. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. We're gonna send uh, the plate around. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, yeah. And, we're not asking. We're just a, saying. And, um, <laughs> Actually, I don't know where the fuck I was just going. But, well, I think because uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Find your like, voice and everything. What you were saying is basically in Shostakovich, 
that's one thing you like. That's an example of like you were listening to Shostakovich. You're like, oh, I like that sound. What is that? Right. And you discovered, oh, that's second inversion. He he may not have known it was called second inversion. He's like, oh, that's a C minor, and there. But then the bass they're playing a G. You know, right, why right. is that still called C minor? It's just in theory. If you go and study theory, they call that, you know, second inversion C minor. Now, you know, you could just say, isn't that just a G with a C minor triad? Yeah, it is. But you know, that's what they call. But we have fancy it, so. words, damn it. Yeah, actually, when I when I was taking music theory in college, I remember I this is before I was really devoted to deciding I was going to be a composer. Mm -hmm. I know my theory teachers used to hate me because I, I just, I really didn't like all these terms that they had for everything. It just didn't make any sense. They had sort of these, esoteria? They had all these crazy terms for every possible thing. It's like, well, that's just this. And you'd play it. <laughs> and uh, I like the sound of it, but why, you know, why do we got to call it this or that? And why can't it go to this or that? So I, I think it's just identifying, you, first of all, if you're in school and they want you to learn something the proper way, their, their so-called proper way. Right. It's important that you do it. Got to get the groundwork. Because at least work. then... You can, yeah, you can and, speak the language. And actually, yeah. Teague and I were talking about this before we actually signed on here and before everyone came over, but there's this important lesson that I learned uh, in high school from a really, really great music teacher of mine who taught me a lot. But uh, one great thing was theory follows practice. And so this this whole like there is kind of a uh, like a standardized way of teaching western music in schools and it's it's all over the place they tend to just go in a certain order of things you know like basic harmony counterpoint all that stuff and and um that all evolved over time because there were what really happened if you want to start historically early people liked sounds they eventually came up with names for them they wanted to actually communicate with each other what these things were and so they agreed on terms and over time, it became kind of stingy, kind of, you know, uh, very standardized, but that that framework is in place for a reason. And so, like, before, like, like what was that, like, 10, 15 minutes ago, you said something about how your teacher didn't want you to do parallel fifths. Well, they're teaching you a lesson by teaching you that. Yeah. And uh, and they aren't saying don't do it. It's, like, within, if you're, if you're talking about, like, pre-19th century music, people didn't generally do parallel fifths. And this is why they did that. Yeah. Nowadays, have at it. Do whatever you want. But like, it, it is teaching kind of like you know, back if you're taking an English lesson with uh, Shakespeare, they're not going to be like, yeah, dog. Like that's not how they talked. <laughs> you know. Well, so that, <laughs> basically, music theory too. When you figure it all out, it, it's all there just to teach the basic idea of voice leading. Mm -hmm. yes. And what voice leading is is basically, you know, everything moves from one note to another in a smooth fashion. Uh, okay, Alex is going to having, uh, I love demonstrate. Piano. Keep narrating, though. Let's see. Yeah, we'll do. Well, it's just what it is is basically every. You're every hearing, yeah, you're hearing multiple voices. Each note we could call a voice. So to the next chord, and I'll play the same chord, but just in like shitty voice leading. So like. Yeah, so Which it, also sounds good. It's basically it's smooth. Yeah, basically what it is is it's creating a melody, even if it's not the top melody. Like, you know, in Jurassic Park, for example, you know, da -da 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 -da, there might be, Williams is great for writing two or three counterpoints, other melodies behind the melody. Yep. Um, and and even just within the chords, you know, good composers make sure, not, I don't know if you have to say good composers, but uh, good voice leading sounds pleasant to me, at least. I, I think it makes you a good composer. Yeah. And uh, every voice, the lower voices all move in pleasant ways and keep moving and they're interesting. Whereas if you just had the top voice moving and the bottom voices were just sitting there, it would be kind of boring. So you get... Oh my God. You just explained, you just put into real words my problem with the Tron score. Or not the... My, I love the Tron score, but my... my well, 
my feeling about the actual the, the the arrangement of the grid because there's oh god all right my turn yeah yeah yeah, yeah sorry I don't, you <laughs> know honestly we probably the theory thing is like it's so uh, that's a deep. discussion for it's musicians like a, and not film yeah I mean, maybe we, maybe we don't need to go too much further than triads but basically to keep it simple and we'll get to that in one sec you know we'll be done with theory then you know find something you like go discover what it is and be able to categorize it so that you can pull it out and use it in your scores yeah. right. Okay, go. so like there's no, obviously there's no right or wrong way to do anything, except there is, but there's not. Um, so this is fine, and I want to reiterate that I really love the whole suite of what uh, Daft Punk did with Tron. Mm -hmm. And Daft Punk, and they had a, a strings guy too, but I forget. The what? Uh, they had a strings guy too, I think. Uh, Joe Trapanese? Uh, I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, that being said, I do, I, I felt disappointment with the main phrase of the, the statement of the grid, which is this. <laughs> like it's it feels like an exercise to me I mean it, it's very very straightforward and you, you were just explaining uh, having motion going on in all of your voices when they're happening and, and having to have interesting you know yeah but what's the name of the piece the grid. Oh, you fucking asshole! <laughs> I mean, a I grid. A, a grid is a pretty non, you know, know moving thing. Well, well, I mean, you know, but I, I see your point. Yeah, and the thing is, the, like Daft Punk, those guys are not, you know, conservatory trained musicians, as far as I know. They are EDM guys, and if you listen to Daft Punk, Dead Mouse, Skrillex, any of those guys, they they tend to be moving chord shapes. And like they're kind of blocks, like they'll move like one chord up and they'll move all their fingers the same space and, and go from there as opposed to like actually doing like internal voice leading and all that stuff. So it, it really is a stylistic thing, but also that's a sound if they if they uh, like here, here, let me let me show you. Like if, if you took the grid and you. So you're an A, right? Yeah. So, suddenly we have a different sound. I mean, that's okay, like, and actually, that's like. Hey, so hey, quick, real quick to review, what we said before, what was that last chord you played there? That was a G first inversion. Yep, and, and that so, had that brighter sound yeah. that we were dealing with. And so, like, you know, right? it'd if, be if, interesting to listen to that piece. I think that that piece plays again at the end of the movie. It'd be interesting to see if it changes like that at all, like when. Yeah, you know, the, with the happy ending. You know, oh, I've, I don't I'll actually yet. admit I've never seen either of the Tron movies, but uh, only one, yeah. oh, you mean the original, uh, the, original. the, the original okay. Tron, Tron, and then Tron Legacy. But yeah, that's my favorite. So like, actually. you know, just let's take this away from Tron and just say that this is you know just X movies score. And you know, like if I were going to, if I mean that's a great theme. That's that's really cool. That's I I like that. And the thing is, is that that also kind of bringing back to like the Hans Zimmer nugget idea now if I just want to slightly change something I can actually change I, I can change it according to what's happening on screen so if I'm instead you know that's that's a that's a different feeling that's more like you know if this is if that's like battle is well, the happening then this is, is like battles about to happen show them also another thing you can do this is kind of off the top we were just talking about the voice leaning but by, by keeping the melody on top, and I guarantee they did this in, in that score or any other score yeah. you've seen, uh, keep the exact same melody, put a completely different uh, you know, bass note underneath it and create a different sound. Yeah. 
Is that what you're talking about? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Basically, by changing the bass note, you're redefining Oops. what's happening above it. Right. So, you know, if you were playing... A G, if you were playing a G and you got a C in the bass, it's going to be the fifth. But if, you're, if, you, if you've got, a, you know, a G on top and you're playing... Uh, By the way, you're over there making that score a lot more interesting. You know, a C sharp, you got a sharp <laughs> 11, which sounds totally different. Woo! You know, like, yeah, you can go anywhere. Or... You know, that's that's suddenly like, yay, we're almost at the end of the movie and everything's okay. But <laughs> can I can we can we uh, this might not work at all, but can we try something real quick? Sure. What I'd love to do is I'm going to play just the the main voice of the the main statement melody on the top. And I want to see what you can do to make it more interesting just with whatever sort of uh, tension and shit you can bring in on the bottom side. Can we cool. see if that works? Cool. All right. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> all right. So, um I was doing a little tag, so yeah. Almost, now, what, you know, that's that's right. a tricky thing to do when you got two different people playing independent yeah, yeah, no, things. Was... But you know, as a uh, what you know, Alex, you mentioned you came from a jazz background originally too, and so did I. Uh, you know, as well, playing jazz drum and stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's a big part of jazz now is taking older tunes, reharmonizing them, basically changing. You know, having the same melody. Yeah. But but changing the harmony underneath it, so it sounds completely different. Right. And that's you know it's basically an arrangement they call it. Um, yep. And so that's pretty much what in a film score you come up with the main idea. You're you're changing the way harmonically it's going. You know you hear it again. You hear that a lot in you know go back to Star Wars. Right, right, right. You know you might hear the, you know the Luke and Leia theme, and then you might hear it a little more somber because it's being played with a different harmony underneath yeah, yeah, yeah. it. And that's and that you know that's um, I don't know that's just interesting you know yeah. harmonization in fact it's basically score. the same thing that you were talking about in terms of the nugget with Hans Zimmer because Hans will do a thing where he's start, th the nugget he has there is some interesting interplay between a pair of chords or something right but with that with what he was just saying that's more using the nugget basically using a little phrase for the nugget and like the, see, this melody is going to repeat as a like, like a light I, motif one practical example of what Zimmer did was you know Batman Begins was depending on Bruce's journey it's either Actually, no, he's in D, always. Uh, <laughs> you know. Or, you know, once he's Batman. Whoa. He, he only does that resolution when he's sitting there holding the light in the cave. And huh. the bats are swirling around him, right? When, when he, like, conquers his fear. It's a really brilliant placement. But, so the Joker comes in. And Look the at this asshole over here bringing me around on Hunt Zimmer. Yeah, <laughs> the Joker comes in and turns his entire world philosophy on its head. And he turns uh, the, the theme on his head. Same melody. There's sad. There's some sad color in there. He tends to keep that note kind of just riding underneath, so it's this really so, huge tension. I, 
I think what what it is, you know, when it comes down to it, we're showing you some of the, some of the more interesting moments harmonically, probably from the different scores. Oh no, this but, is but this is but awesome for me as far as what I'm it concerned. is. I think that when you hear a whole score of you know like the Zimmer approach, or a lot of you know even the Daft Punk approach, the Tron and things like that, they're definitely more based in general in kind of one key mm-hmm. kind of going. It's a groove based thing. You're not going to get a lot of modulating, whereas like a John Williams and a lot of the more you know romantic orchestral composers yeah. are constantly shifting harmonically and everything is changing constantly. It's more based on that traditional classical, classical approach yeah. to writing. Um, and so you might react more to that. And some people react more. Well, you know, to, it's not my fault I was raised right. on John Williams. And well, no, also, I mean, I, I, and, I, and I do too. No, I know, I'm I know. just saying it... it no, uh, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the right music to have written is the music that was right for it. And that's perfect and it works great. But it's such a... I agree with you, Alex, that it's such a really cool... Uh, this very simple but very anthemic hero tune. Dun 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 dun. Right, it's really cool, and I I, I really I fuck. I want to hear you know the whole underneath it. The whole yeah. Well, that's one thing. They, Elfman, and, you know, strings madness. Barely any counterpoint in a lot of those kinds of scores. What is counterpoint? Counterpoint is you know you see you've got the melody you know the bump 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 bump. You don't hear a lot of going on underneath it. I'm just right. making something random up. But, you know, and, and some of the best scores of all time, especially when we get into classical music, will have two or three uh, two or three different counterpoints. I mean, that's the whole idea behind fugues, you know, box right, fugues right, right. and everything. Oh, so it's like how many lines can you stuff. get going? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, he'll, he'll have, like, one melody going on while another melody is going on. Like, if you, mm. you mentioned Bach, like, he kind yeah, of invented counterpoint as we know it today. <laughs> yeah. Know? So, basically, it's, it's basically more than one. Besides, you got the bass and you've got the melody on top, you've got a couple of other things going on. You know, that's the one thing I always loved about the Star Wars scores and John Williams scores in general. Mm-hmm. There's always something that's not the main melody that you'll hear and it'll, it'll, it'll bring you in. Right. You know what I mean? Interesting. The counter melody, the, the counterpoint, sometimes as important is the main melody right for a certain mm-hmm. scene and that's that's kind of the difference between back in John Williams day especially he would you know have Lucas or Spielberg in the room and he'd kind of plunk it away on the piano but a lot of those things with those multiple voices you just don't have enough fingers to yeah. do it and so a is lot that of those directors would, hey! <laughs> and that uh, that the director would have to just kind of trust like this okay this is going to sound great with the orchestra and that a lot of the times is the difference between playing something on the piano dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. and then if you if you have that same theme fully orchestrated and that's dun, 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 that melody's mm-hmm. still happening but then like a flute yeah. little run something like that you know you know that's uh, there's a whole other area of conversation was maybe worth going into I was into, actually basically. hoping to take it in a direction of let's talk well you do well, your thing what I was just about to say maybe it's the direction <laughs> you're thinking you're but there. this is a big reason why I think scores have changed so much um, outside of just people's you know taste change over time in music and as a whole but but the big thing is technology has gotten to the point where you can create a score that's almost you know if you're really good at it 70% as good as the live thing and sometimes even more depending on the music you're writing if you're writing really complex music you know like a lot of the William scores Goldsmith scores a lot of the more orchestral uh, orchestral types of scores you can't you can you can do it with the MIDI but it's not going to be up to par if you're writing really groove-based scores, the MIDI actually can almost sound as good. But with technology now that you can create a demo for the director or producer that's so close, they expect to hear it. And so I think it changes the way you write because you're not going to write something. I mean, I still like to try to approach it like this, but it's, it's difficult to try to write something complex that you hear in your head 
if you can't demonstrate it to the director. Right. Because ultimately, you have to show them what you're going to record on the scoring stage or what's going to be in the film. And you can't be like, oh, just trust me. We're back in the day. You were saying, you know, John Williams sent the piano. Well, here's the melody, and we're going to do, oh, we're going to do this kind of stuff. And you're going to hear some of this, and you're going to hear some right. of this. Yeah. Oh, great. Sounds good. We trust you. Now you actually have to, like, perform it. You know, you give them a fully realized computer performance of it, which has got to sound pretty close to the actual final product, or they're going to be like, nah, redo it. <laughs> I just I just and, imagined in my head this really odd moment that would never happen, but like if Mick G has John Williams doing his score, <laughs> and Williams is like, you know, deigning to talk to Mick G on this movie project, and he's like, okay, well here's my idea for I think I'm gonna do this, and Mick G's like, ah, can you like I want to can you do it real quick? Can you just put it up real fast? You know, give me like a mini thing. Can you put it all together real quick? And John Williams just looking at him like he's an asshole, just like <laughs> George Lucas said it was cool when I just played a little piano sketch, and that was Star Wars. <laughs> we'll see, but that's a, the thing is that he's, your got, point, the rep, he's your, got the reputation. Well, that, well, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, but yeah. to your point, it's just that you couldn't pull that shit off now. No, you take composers yeah. now that write in that style that really want to write like that. It's a difficult process because you have to go through. If 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 you write in that traditional way, you want to write an orchestral score with you know this really deep you know orchestrationally and you know with you know just this a little deeper than some of the current scores are it's it's really difficult to do it with midi and a lot mm -hmm. of times if you do it with midi it's going to sound a lot worse than if you keep it simple and so, you have the tendency then to write away from that because it sounds bad at the moment yeah you just want to mm -hmm. write a lot of times composers just write what they can demonstrate yep and then Ooh, they, I see. one one good approach i think to kind of counter that what i've done in the past is you write like that but then in your mind you you keep you keep in mind what you're going to do to add back right. to that to bring it back to what you initially heard with your bag of tricks right yeah uh, but you can't go too far from it because then it won't sound like what they approved I see what they like so it's it's a it's a complex thing because it, you know you got to demonstrate it but it's very difficult to demonstrate music uh, it's it all complex right like, it uh, takes it takes time you know and especially with these if we're working with samples which you know all of us are now we don't have the LA Symphony Orchestra at our disposable disposal so we're we're sitting there you know coming up with this music in our rooms with these really great computers and samples and all that and really making them sound real takes time it's not like you oh, have yeah. like this this you know you just play it on the keyboard and it's there you know it's uh, uh, my one of my teachers at Berkeley said he said it really well he was like samples are a piece of iron and you have to heat it and bend it yeah. to your will and um that's that's a whole other skill set that someone like john williams has not had to develop he probably hasn't touched a computer since windows 95 i mean he he, he, he yeah he, he hasn't had to <laughs> oh no his that. twitter stream is hilarious it's kind of not safe for work though what <laughs> <laughs> yeah like so so now and also uh in addition to you know all this stuff is that music itself the palette has gotten just insanely expansive with with synthesis and all of that and so a lot of uh scores now you know social network tron all of that there's a lot of synth stuff it's no longer just an orchestra and a room playing now it's like okay it's i need you to come room. up yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i need you to come up with a usually this cool sound and so now there's there's also this whole like okay i need to be able to hear a synth sound in my head and make it and yeah. so that's that's a whole other skill well, set. Yeah, that kind of scoring actually, because I've recently had to do a whole score. It was all synth, and I'm not talking like synth orchestra. I mean like all synthy, random sounds created out of various you know vintage synths and then put through filters and things like that. And I had a, a guy working on that with me that was much more knowledgeable about those sounds that helped me to get to those spots right, to right, find right. it. But it's the same process if you're doing that to do that kind of score. You have to imagine what you're going for and then yep. find a way to create it. It's actually just difficult. 
The only difference is, is that it doesn't cost much money to create it because if you have the programs, you can create it. It Whereas almost makes it, you more it, it, like a mix of Ben Burt and John Williams because then you're like, okay, how am I going to make this sound happen? Sure, yeah, and also that's a good point. Sound design ben and Burt score. Ben Burt is the guy who does yeah, all the sound yeah, effects in Star yeah. Wars, everybody just saying. Yeah, sound design <laughs> and score are definitely, the, the line between them is blurring in a lot of cases. Um, I mean, God, how many examples are there of that happening? Video games especially. Yeah. I mean, a lot of just your, your score sounds are just... Well, like it, Transformers, let's. I mean, that's a huge example. A lot of their kind of this, yeah, there's yeah, orchestra stuff. There's this aleatoric stuff going on, which is really cool and all that. And then you have like these crazy, like kind of dubstepy things going on. And any thriller yeah. score too. I mean, it, any thriller score yeah. that you hear, you know, mm. horror, thriller, anything. Oh, that's um, a great. That's perfect. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, you might hear these big swooshes and you know, and uh, what sounds like percussive. Moments that were probably score, they might actually be just sound design. Just uh, sitting on top of the mix, it. yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, uh, well, yeah, it's definitely a blend now, especially when we get into the synths, because sound design now is pretty much created with synths, and I find that uh, whenever I'm doing a score like that, it's not orchestral, yeah. I have to actually communicate regularly with the sound designer and say, I'm yep. planning on filling this hole. Oh, okay, then I don't have to right. fill it. No, yeah, In I'm terms gonna, of I'm gonna do that there. with score, so you don't have to do that. Yes. Okay, you know. Some, uh, on, on the current score that I'm doing, uh, there's some things that I haven't been able to score until the sound designer has done their part. But sometimes it's like, well, the sound designer needs well, to, know, well, to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'm, just assuming, I'm assuming what you're going to say is that the frequencies get in the way and then it gets just, you, get, you muddy that, up the whole that, bottom that, half. That's or? a part of it, but uh, that's actually not a huge consideration. That it, We do think about it, but it's not huge. It's more like sometimes, in this particular case that I'm thinking of, the score actually turns into sound design. There's this mm-hmm. cool kind of morph, morph transformation between the score becoming the sound. Yeah. It's very cool except actually making it happen is it's like we kind of each have to have our finished product and then put them together but we can't have a finished product yeah usually you're doing it at the same time the other is doing so it's difficult like a lot of times for example if you're scoring a scene that doesn't need a lot of music and you don't know yet if it's going to need any music because you haven't heard you know at all what the sound designer is going to do for example it might just be two people talking outside and you don't know yet because there aren't any crickets and there aren't any uh wind sounds and stuff you don't know yet if the scene is going to work really because sometimes then you score it even really subtly and then you hear the sound design it's like ah oh, we don't need that cue at all and that kind of sucks you know because it's okay I, I enjoyed working that weekend <laughs> yeah my uh or, or I, the reverse sometimes just a score no and no sound yeah design, but if they're, if they're sitting outside you know they're intending on having on depending on like what <laughs> yeah. kind of what's going on like in the, in the scene yeah but i think that it, it, a lot of scores now in particular like the scenes that you don't remember the score from if you hear like a room ambience you know, that's kind of interesting and almost sounds like a creepy orchestral layer or some sort of synthy layer. It could be the sound designer or it could be the composer. Right. I mean, it's hard to say. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, Matt, let me ask you a question. Pee break for Alex. Oh, bye, Alex. Um, because while we, uh, while we have Kyle here, I want to go down a whole road talking about the sound of John Williams. But before we get there, how would you, I want to see, there's no right answer to this question. Uh-huh. How would you describe the John Williams sound? Take in all of the movies, or okay, combine um, your experience with Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T., and Jurassic Park, and tell me what John Williams' sound is. I'd say the John Williams sound has changed uh, oh, yeah. since the late '90s. It's okay, become, g- give me '70s, '80s Williams. Uh, '70s, '80s Williams, and and even in the, into the '90s, I think was much more broadly thematic. Mm-hmm. Um, there were definitely things that uh, definitely had to match up, um, but he, I think he. There was a little more leeway, uh, and now you hear things that you hear the themes, but more often it's so dependent on 
this shot. Okay, and then it cuts to this shot, and then this shot, and, and he's, he's up here, more, and then down here, and then yeah, over yeah. here, and then he's more QE. Yes, and, and I, I feel like there's a lot more of that these days. Okay, describe the, the day. sort of. Although there is a great, there's a great story about um, when he scored ET. Uh, I don't know this about when um, which is also the, the bicycle the bicycle chase theme it's a perfect score the the last twenty minutes of the movie he was and this is back before technology could allow you to do it um, he was talking to Spielberg he's like Spielberg I'm having such a hard time getting the music to match up perfectly because the music is so long and it's right. the, the scene is so long so Spielberg goes to him he's like all right how about this you write the music and then I'll re-edit the film afterward <laughs> to make sure that the movie matches That's up awesome. with the score wow. So they're so Spielberg's yeah, a mensch, dude. Yeah, because yeah. back in the day, you know, they were they were dealing with uh, you know, with tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they yeah. had to have like the striped tape and yeah. uh, it was all sort of keeping an eye on where it was and conducting faster and slower. It, they weren't yeah. working with the exact click cracks like they do now. They keep it perfectly on yeah. point. So, now, so what I'm saying is yeah, so that definitely was going on back then, it's, but it's, I feel like even mushy. more now it's, with, it's, with you're, you're talking about in terms of it it doesn't have these really specific sort of internal hits and this and and this when it when it arrives at a conclusion you saw it coming and it's coming there and tension and boom big resolve but it's not like and then this and 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 this you know that kind of thing without seeing your hand movements i feel like no one will know what you're trying to convey yeah fair enough okay let me try let me try i'll try to answer the question real quick and then we'll throw it to you guys would you Oh, absolutely! Yeah, real to answer that, if you're just talking purely, uh, you mentioned ET, but purely Star Wars, even you can hear a big difference between the original trilogy mm-hmm. and the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Although I know a lot of people feel like he didn't nail it on the prequel trilogy. I actually think he nailed it at least as well, like musically. I agree with it's that. Completely Dude, I think theme- it's better. Yeah, I mean, I musically yep. from uh, wow. from a uh, crafted perspective, I think it's a be- they're better, you know. Yeah. And, but thematically. I don't know if it's because of my... No, I mean, there's great themes in the oh, previous, no, but, the, uh, but uh, when I was a kid, I grew up with Star Wars, so I'm not sure if I attach myself more to the themes from the originals just because I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, versus being a professional, analyzing it professionally. Um, but they're definitely different. He was much more about the suite and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the overall yeah. uh, thematic approach, although he still writes great I themes. I think that uh, the difference between John Williams and the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy is that... Film scoring wasn't a genre yet. And I think that, mm. you know, in the original trilogy, it, it's concert music. It really is. It's concert music under a film. And, of course, he's making it work with the screen, but it is still very classically inspired. Whereas, you know, 20, 30 years later for the prequel uh, trilogy, we, we had this whole thing. Granted, he pretty much created it, but the genre of film music was existing by this point, and more than existing very alive and well what's the and difference between the genre of film scoring and the Star Wars suite it's just uh, well it's it's usually it's a bit more is it just that it comes in chunks bit, yeah it's a bit more concise I mean uh, this a, track a, a Beethoven like this symphony this. might be an hour long right and uh, you know a movie's an hour long but a cue is a minute two minutes right so uh, you you could tell that he had been inspired this is not good or bad it just is what it is he, he had been inspired by all the people that he had inspired. And that's great. But I, I honestly think his music in the prequel trilogy is better than the original. And that's saying something. you mean something. technically or living no, up to I the just expectations? Like I, I actually I like, like it, it more, more too. I remember, I yeah. actually remember, it was funny because I, I, I hate those movies. But. When, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I was so excited for the new prequel trilogy to come out because it had been like, what was it about? How many years it had been? It's about um, it had been 16 years 18, since the last movie. Jedi think, was 83, 1999. Yeah, 16 right? years. And I remember when the score came out, uh, I was in college and 
I uh, I ran to Walmart, which was open 24 hours a day, and bought it at 1201 because that's when they put them out there. <laughs> good man, Kyle. And I man. went home nice. and I listened to it, and it just blew me away. Oh and I'll tell you, the I think Phantom the Anakin score is amazing. Although it's fantastic. difficult to uh, sing back the Anakin theme in the full theme because it's very complicated. Mm. It's I get goosebumps as much with that as I do with any. Can you play it? I'm, I'm not as much of a piano player as Alex. It's uh, well duly noted, but I, um, but if you gave me just a little bit of it, I'd know what you were talking about. Oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just keeps going and yeah, going. Yeah, it's perfect. It's right now perfect I'm on record singing. <laughs> you, it, it's great because it's okay, um, for Anakin, yeah. he has this slightly there's this fallen from grace, almost biblical feel that you get with that theme. Yeah. And it. Um, Especially when it really culminates in episode three with the fight with Obi Wan. Agreed. Battle of the Heroes. I'll tell you, the, <laughs> chills. Yeah, chills, chills. No, it, it comes in more along when like I have the high ground. You know that that whole bit. Um, and especially you're the chosen one. Yeah, yeah. And also more the you know that that whole yeah. moment. Uh, like you know we can talk about what happened on screen all day and all the problems with that, but musically, man. And also the great thing is that it's actually very much inspired by. Uh, when in Return of the Jedi, this is the coolest thing. There's so many, uh, so much continuity within the music. I have a point. Is that based off of what you're in about to Return say. of the Jedi? When uh, when Darth Vader it like kills the Emperor, or if you're in the expanded it's universe, then kills him before he clones himself. But it's the uh, big choral piece. About, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, the big choral piece. And it is it. I don't know if necessarily musically, but just vibe wise, the Anakin, the Anakin theme is really kind of based off of that and it's it's brilliant man. It's, I don't it's know it's like, got, it's got it, a lot of it has to do with the counterpoint and the harmony and right. the constant shifting and the, it just keeps going and going and going yeah. it's one of the deepest themes I think in all in all of the movies and uh, in which one Sith? I'm just uh, talking about the Anakin theme uh, in oh, general I, I, there, I, yeah. I think in the prequel trilogy in general there was there's uh, maybe less identifiable themes that anybody could recognize but I could name as many moments, if not more, that I was like amazed by musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, another one for me was uh, just the uh, the immolation scene. I think they called it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when when Anakin's getting burned, he's fighting Obi Wan against mm-hmm. burned. That music there is incredible, and like some of the most powerful film music I've heard in a long time. Or the love theme. That's what I was going to, man. That's my favorite. Even though I think Duel of the Fates might be my favorite overall. It's, it's track, easy. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of the whole thing, my favorite of the themes is that one, which is um. Oh damn, my B. I hate not having a B note in the middle. <laughs> my middle B doesn't fucking work. Okay, uh, but I'll play it real high. That is perfect. That is beautiful. And Dorkman actually has, he actually really dislikes that theme because he's like, his, his exact line is, it sounds like John Williams had a gun to his head. Uh, it's no. like, you know, George, George I, is like holding it up like Tyler Durden, like, write something sad! Write you know, something I, sad! Okay, okay, no, 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 Honestly, I think uh, what, what his, I have a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of that problem with that. I like that theme, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I didn't identify it with the characters as much as I did with the oh, no, sure. original sure. characters. Sure, sure. And so mm-hmm. it's it's tough to get past that, I think, for certain people. But it, it can, if you have great music, put up a bat, put up against a bad film, it feels corny. Right. It has the soap opera effect. Oh, wow, that's crazy. I hadn't thought of that. But oh, my sure. thing, you were talking about the, sort of the, the sonic continuity between the things, and this is one of my favorite. This this doesn't actually matter because it basically boils down to just a similarity in the request that he was given over the course of 30 years, but I love the fact that uh, in in the, one of the first things you learn when you're talking about music theory is the concept of intervals, which is, you know, if there's... 
do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, da. You can also think of them as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? And then you can have like a, if the C is your first, because one, do, uh, then you have like the third, right? Or, you know, the fifth. That's Tron, right? And Star Wars. And so on. Well, and Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, what I love is there's also one called a minor sixth. Like a sixth would be, right? But that's the minor sixth, right? Yep. What I love is Leia's theme is a major sixth. It's a happy love theme. Da, 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 da. Oh. I actually I don't I don't remember I don't know how to play it actually I don't remember it. Which is his most Indiana Jones melody in Star Wars. <laughs> it's very similar to Marion's theme. Yep. Yeah. I always confuse the two actually. <laughs> oh no, was that it? That's yep. it, yeah, that's it. Nope, no, you had it before. No, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, it's beautiful. But then Padme's weird intervals from uh Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would never I mean that's yeah. the the most Okay, anyway, that's the most chromatic thing that's ever happened. So anyway, also, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, not chromatic. What's the semitones? What am I thinking of? I mean, never mind. <laughs> so, but the but Padme's is um, instead of being a major sixth. Wait, nope. Instead, uh, yeah, it's minor six. Yeah, it's. Yep. Anyway, I, I just think that's cool that yeah. one is the it's six and six just sounds romantic. He also used it for Marion, right? Um, but the major for the happy one, and then the I just yeah. think that's that's odd yeah. and, and interesting and cool. But whatever. And one of the cool things, if we're going to talk about you know slightly analyzing his his theme. Sorry for all the mic bumps on this episode, guys. We keep getting up and moving around to get to the piano and stuff. So um, yeah, if we want to analyze one of his themes, also I mean the most. Probably the most iconic is. I always thought that it was really genius, a really, really, really genius way of approaching a, a common progression, which would be. That's you know just, just your classic. Bad I mean, scary vampire. Yeah, score. there you go. And he just he kind of turned that on its head. Change the chords slightly, and you get a whole other thing. You get a whole other thing, and it, and it, and me and T had this really long discussion on Facebook once when I was talking about harmony and how it's just this really fine grid about if you change one thing, you can you can really get into very nuanced emotions, and this just feels so. That's like you know the evil empire, and it's just kind of <laughs> declarative. Yeah. It, yes. It, yes. That's the word. But this has so many more undertones, you know. It's no longer a, a a woman tied to a railroad than the the villain yeah, is. <laughs> it's a woman tied to a railroad, and the guy that's tying her is crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's he's such a tragic character. And that's just, that's Darth Vader in a nutshell. Is. I mean, Jesus. Christ, yeah. Did you see the movies? And like, it, if if you play it like that, like yeah, you're, you're it still kind of has that that first year piano feel, recital playing. But uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, when when you play it, you know, a little more more softly, it's it's suddenly like this incredibly tragic character, and he has so many flaws, and he was just he was corrupted, and so, I mean, this is perfect it, though. It, it kind of goes without saying that John Williams is like, rather, porn rather good us. at this, yeah. But, <laughs> no, this is good because I was I was hoping with a asking the, what the John Williams sound is, and b going into that, uh, because Kyle, you might have 
you and Gordy have probably been John Williams the most of any composers out there. Like I'm sure every composer has been asked, well, can you do something sort of ET-ish with this? But you've you've done Star Wars music quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I you know it comes from uh, loving it growing up and then getting into fan films actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoring uh, actually originally I did one called Force Alliance and then I did w- wow, did one. I didn't know that. Which yeah, we actually recorded with a full orchestra too. Uh, that was prior a to Dork Man, huh? Okay, so we're gonna hang out more. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> it's just one of the. One of the the, the the old good fan films, like Night Quest. It's that, that sort of era kind of fan film. But that was the first one I, where I actually got to write with an orchestra. And so that's why when Gordy and I, we were good friends and everything. And when uh, uh, Mike and Ryan were talking to Gordy, mm-hmm. they were like, hey, let's, Kyle, along let's with get Gordy the, the full score orchestra for, uh, for our score. And for so RVD2. Gordy, yeah, we teamed up and uh, you know saw their pro- they had, had an amazing film. And it was like, oh, we got to we got to do this with the full orchestra. And so dun, they got they dun, got dun, the uh, Ryan vs. Dorkman. And actually, the interesting thing about that was that they kind of wanted... Williams meets uh, Hans Zimmer. That's perfect. In a way, you guys um, nailed it. It sounds exactly like John Williams. So it's got a lot Zimmer. more uh, percussion than Williams might use at times, and also it's got uh, a little more repetitive. Yeah, melody it's it's percussive well. and rhythmic, but um, it also has that. It just has the the John Williams smell. But that was uh, that was the first smell. chance. <laughs> it's, it's it's just got it's all the trappings, all, all the all the sort of it was, instrumentation. It was a lot I guess. Of fun, yeah, Very be. poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, that was a chance for us to kind of figure out how we worked scoring together and then we ended up Gordy ended up working on Old Republic as one of the composers and I I was an additional composer on that an orchestrator and then he got Connect Star Wars and we ended up co-composing that actually training half so it's been it's been cool to be able to sort of uh do the Star Wars thing over and over and then recently and evolve it. it basically and then you know we got to record the London Symphony on this last one which was a lot of fun that's cool at Abbey Road which was like kind of a dream come true dude really uh, yeah that, that. I heard from a, a regular panelist Trey said he's been he, he he's the only guy on the planet who's mixed his Star Wars movie at Skywalker Sound and his Beatles movie at Abbey Road yeah but um, <laughs> he was like he, yeah he, he, Yellow Submarine at Abbey Road and uh, Pink Five actually the, the prize that they won was they got to have their sound fully remixed by the lead dude at Skywalker. Oh, wow. Okay. And what's funny is that when they got in there, the guy was like, yeah, you know, this actually sounds pretty good. I don't think there's really much we can do with this. And Trey says that he was thinking, there better be something you can fucking do with it. I made this at premiere with shit that I stole from your movies. Come on. <laughs> and the guy goes off and comes back with like a case full of CDs and uh, they have Sharpie on them or whatever. And he pulls, he's like, flip, 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 this one. He pulls it out and it says X-Wings. And he puts it in and it's just God. Ben Burt's original full res data file not sound file i mean it, it's it, it's not a, a sound cd it's you know like a 400 meg full x-wing sound like the result of what he did in the first place based yeah. off of the master all of the original shit and he's just like all right and just goes back through trace movie swapping in huh. the real oh, nice. star wars x-wings and all that stuff anyway Speaking really of which cool. is that uh not to tangent on that, are they done with the final one? Yeah, uh, it just it's screened nice. at um, some goddamn con a second ago. <laughs> so <laughs> and you worked on that, right? I yeah, I worked on it. Cool man. I worked on almost. I worked on all of the return ofs, and I I didn't Those work on yeah re- really good uh, fan films. Yeah, they're they're fun. They're they're I'm I'm proud of them. I'm I'm proud of Trey. But um, what I was getting at is, he said at Abbey Road the. The actual, the cover of Abbey Road, you know, the, the crosswalk with the painted mm-hmm. white stripes. He's like, everyone wants to take their picture there, but what you don't see in that album cover, because you can't see behind the camera, is that that isn't, like, in the middle of a straight road. That's right after a turn. Yeah. So, like, people are just wheeling around that corner and just plowing through people in that oh, wa- yeah. crosswalk all the time. Yeah. Oh, they're probably used to, like, there's always someone <laughs> yeah, there, there's, standing I'm, in the street. Exactly. Like, I'm yeah. sure there's a road sign right ahead of that turn that says, <laughs> some assholes are going to be around the corner, just so you know. <laughs> in any case, but what I was getting at is, so... I don't want you to like give the tutorial to anyone that might be cribbing your style, but if you had to describe the 
the what, Williams what, sound. The, the Williams thing. I'll tell like, you, man. I, to, what, it's what, hard to what, do that. I think what, uh, is it? An, it's it's obviously a combination of everything. I'll tell you what. It's a lot of freaking study. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh God. Is it, yeah. I mean, is it to what? If here's what if it is. Pie, it's, here's it, what it is. Is like really, first of all, loving orchestral music, loving Star Wars. In my opinion, like growing. I don't. You don't necessarily have to grow up with that. I don't think, but. You got to really like the scores. You got to like that, and then if you're going to try to get into the specific Williams thing, and then you got to analyze the heck out of all of his scores. You it's, know? Uh, if uh, I had to guess, I'd say it's, you know, the pie chart is like thirty percent instrumentation. I mean, it's you know strings and it's uh, it, all that his shit. sound is just it's just about a certain type of melody. They they have a lot of specific types of leaps. Yeah, you know, he, he, uh, does, he they, does a lot of the same sort of interval jumps. You know, they're yes. I, I don't th- when I write in that style, I don't really think about oh I have to do this. Usually, what I do is if I'm having a writer's block I'll go and like listen to something and then it'll just get me excited again and just getting excited again it's not about copying that thing I was listening to it's about getting excited and then jumping back in because it's basically just uh, it's hard to explain he's just writing incredible orchestral music so I think it's an understanding of like how he moves harmonically from one chord to the next you know using certain types of counterpoint like we talked before Mm -hmm. one two three things going on at the same time bass notes constantly shifting uh, going to unexpected notes um you know, to create, like we've showed on the piano before, harmony that sounds different with a different note in the bass. Uh, orchestration in particular, uh, the way he orchestrates, you know, having, you know, flutes double at certain times, you know, to give a little shimmer, having, you know, the the glockenspiel, the, you know, the xylophone <laughs> totally hit on certain specific things. Uh, strings <laughs> yeah. usually are doing a couple different things. Trumpets are used very specifically. French horns are always right there. Somber? You know. Somber uh, moment? It's, Solo French horn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just, he has so many things that he's done throughout all of his scores, which are, uh, it's not like, oh, that's the Williams. It's really kind of like we said before, that's the Shostakovich, that's the Tchaikovsky, that's, the, you know, that's the Bartok, mm-hmm. that's that's the Barber, that's the Prokofiev. Yeah. And it's about sort of knowing what his sound is and also have analyzed all of the people that he was inspired by. Right. And then somehow putting that back in and just knowing from watching Star Wars a lot, what sounds like Star Wars. And, and you know, the, I think we should actually point out uh, the difference between instrumentation and orchestration because Teague said instrumentation. I've, I've gotten it wrong like nine times. So <laughs> instrumentation is simply what you're using. And so if you have an orchestra, and of course the terms can get a little crossed, but if you have an orchestra, you have a certain instrumentation. You have on the scoring stage, you have some strings and you have some horns and all this stuff. But orchestration really is where are you putting the melody or the counter melody or whatnot? What section are you putting that in, in the orchestra? And really the big, big question is why? And you know, what instrument will give this, what instrument playing this will give this emotion that I want? Oh, A plus B equals C. And that's one of the great things about John Williams is that he will, you know, like we said, the Glockens, Glockenspiel, one one place where he puts that... Glockenspiel, by the way, is uh, the metallic yeah. bells he that sound that really high. in the, the Battle of Hoth, and no one would ever think to put that there, but it gives it just this weird kind of well tense, but when it's when it's doubling, who, he's he's doubling like some I'm piccolos. Sure I'm sure it's flutes, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, and, and you know he you know when Darth Vader's on screen he might double the bass with the bass. When you say double, do you just mean have more guys playing? Yeah, they're, like, they're playing the same thing you know, in unison. Because oh, what I he's see. saying with orchestration, like you might have something going on in the French horns, but what's gonna if you've got four things happening at the same time in an orchestra uh, presented all at the same time? It's you have to specifically put certain people 
on that same thing with certain other people. Otherwise, a certain thing will be missed. Like you might only hear two of those four. Right. If you have a trumpet on something you think is really important playing in its lowest register, and then you've got, you know, I don't know, the French horns blaring on their highest register, you're never going to hear the trumpet because mm-hmm. he's not playing in a range where he's going to speak above what right. the French horns are doing. So right. you, know, you have to double the trumpet. You wouldn't put the trumpet there. You know, that's when orchestra does is come in and basically says, hey, you really need to put that in a different instrument or put that up the octave higher. And you just have to know how to make these ideas speak in the orchestra. Right. Um, and, uh, and Williams, granted, he has orchestrators that are incredible, but he definitely sort of yep. states, I want it to be basically like this, and he could orchestrate it himself. Yeah, and and one thing to point out is that a lot of it is basically mixing and synthesis at the same time. You know, it's like a rudimentary version of synthesis where you're creating the new sound by combining other sounds and the mixing. If it, When you record, let's say, at, you know, um, you know, Capitol, like if you're if you're Capitol Records and you're and you're recording this orchestra, um, you guys did RVD too at Capitol, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yep, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we uh, sorry, we did both rooms A and B, and we opened up the the middle. Oh, Actually, we nice, had a, nice. we had it where you could see through it, but we had the wow. brass on one side and the strings on the other. That's nice. cool. And yeah, it was. It's a big room, but it's not big enough for like fifty people. Right. Huh. So and so you know, but you're at Capitol. If, if you have a good orchestra and good writing. The mix engineer is going to have to do basically nothing, especially in a good yeah in a good room. Like you yeah. said, if you uh, if you got those two mics up in front, and then you got like fifty mics with everybody. Basically, <laughs> yep. if you get a good performance, uh, a lot of times it'll be pretty much those two mics recording what was heard in the room. If the room sounds good, you're not going to bring up any like the the, the fourth violas mic because it's like <laughs> no, it's actually in the mix perfectly. Like we're good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you, if you don't, if you need to bring something up, you do. Yeah, and to do uh, it dynamically, that that's one of the. I mean, there's a million reasons for conductors. That's what that's I was about to reasons. go there. What is like, the main difference between a conductor in a concert and a conductor in Capitol Records recording studio? Well, a conductor uh, same uh, basic job. Well, but in a conductor, honestly, people get really confused about what a conductor does. Uh, you know, from like a Dudamel with you know the, the symphony here in town. I mean, his job is to take a piece, get inspired by it, decide how he wants to present it, and then craft everything about that piece as he sees it emotionally and musically and then have the orchestra perform it that way. But, Ale- but, but, but a layman might think, well, it's all written down and it's It is, music. but you can change tempos, you can have different dynamic interpretations. Everything yes. about it can sound completely different, which is why, from a classical perspective, getting a recording from one conductor or another there's a big difference. Let me put it this way. You can always tell if Leonard Bernstein is conducting. Oh, yeah. You aren't hearing him make any noise, but you know when it's Leonard Bernstein. He might even be doing the New York Philharmonic or the London Philharmonic, but you know that it's him. What's the and difference between Joe Blow, you know, stalwart conductor and Bernstein on the same piece of music? Though? Well, yeah, it's all about mm. the interpretation. It's not about what they're doing with their arms up there in front. That's why in a film scoring session, you've got a click track for the most part in most cases where it's it's telling what a click track is is in the booth they generate a just a click 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 telling you the tempo right mm-hmm. and it's going to be that every time because the composer wants it to hit to, to picture oh, so the composer can stand okay. there with his arms down and, and just look at people and they would be just fine so their job for the most part is to just help sort of point at people to help remind hey you're about to come in or or you know sometimes just having a conductor in front does actually make a difference emotionally if they're really good even if there's a click track it really does but in an orchestra the conductor is in charge of all, every, everything emotionally and, and tempo-wise and He's everything, and it's it's more about the rehearsals and the preparation right, than it is about the actual performance. He's basically performance. the director. 
Yeah, completely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good. Good point. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. The the conductor is the director of the orchestra. Absolutely. And yeah. I I will always maintain uh, in a film scoring session maybe not not the case but in a concert music uh, scenario you know, setting conducting is the hardest thing in music. I will I will absolutely what? always maintain that because tell that to Art Taylor. Um, ha. <laughs> well, like. You know, you, when people see conductors, you know, they, they mostly get the idea from Looney Tunes, unfortunately. <laughs> they get Bugs Bunny with the coattail and all that. And really what's happening, if they're right-handed, and they usually are, is, uh, you know, right hand doing the beat pattern. Everyone knows that. You know, we've all seen it. You right hand is go, bobbing with the yeah, beat. Yeah, mo- most people don't know the exact beat patterns, but everyone's seen that. That's what they associate with conducting. But really, it, things get interesting when you start looking at the left hand, but also just the entire what they're doing yeah. but also really gets interesting when you just stop looking and listen <laughs> and uh the the left hand it's, is it's the left hand more like doing wizard shit like it's, it's emotions more, like it's more, he's like put, put, putting those guys like up oh, bring it up come on more more yeah, of that go and and, and, and there's there's so much interpretation involved and it is so difficult to get the orchestra to do what you want a lot of it comes also not just what you're doing right there at that moment it has to do with your kind of uh overall connection with them right that's that's the thing that's why it's also important that they have a certain personality i was gonna say that's actually exactly where i was gonna go i'm sure that you've worked with both good and bad conductors in your time have you noticed a personality trait or a trend among the good ones is are they better communicators in general maybe that would be something i think i mean if they're the sort of people that just kind of really interact with well some people conduct you know when it comes to orchestras film scoring sessions i think is different because they have a certain role but uh with orchestras i think some rule with intimidation and some sort of oversee with like charisma right and it's just it whatever they have to do to get their vision out to the orchestra as quickly as possible and then have it repeated over and over so i think i don't know what defines it as being good it's just whatever brings out the best music i see the way that i see it is that the orchestra is kind of this one directional just force and you need someone to counter that and so many times the conductor is you know kind of playing the orchestra they're going to cue the instruments in they're going to kind of you know i want you to come in or like that those two things i mean no one's seeing this if they're listening but (laughs) he's doing hand gestures yeah if they they mean (laughs) he's communicating clearly what he intends with his yeah and and you you immediately understand it is the point i mean it's traffic uh, director movements basically kind of and the thing is is that thing is is that there's this whole group just throwing all this out. Right. It's a hurricane. And we need someone to counter that and to kind of, um, what's the right word? Temper the storm? One could say that, sure. I'm and, just throwing and, shit at yeah. you now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's an incredibly important role. It's, it's just, it makes, it makes the performance, really. It's, it's everything. And on a, on a film session, I, I didn't mean to like belittle it at all. Like, no, of th- it's not. really important, honestly, on a film session right. as well. But what I was getting at was that, you know, the temples are set the dynamics are written. Their their job, honestly, there is to make sure that they communicate what the composer and the filmmakers in the booth really want out of the music. So they're the communicator for the people that wrote the music to the orchestra on the spot because you're not having 20 rehearsals ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. You're getting there and the musicians A bunch are of seeing musicians that music. Come in and sit down and look at the yeah. The musicians like, oh, haven't okay. seen the music ahead of time and right. they might only play it two or sometimes one time through. And if they get the right performance, you're done. They never see it again. Yeah. I want to get off of conductors, but I have one last question. 
John Williams always conducts his own stuff, or at least mostly conducts his own stuff. Is he a good conductor? Yeah. Would, someone, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, would someone else do it in a way that was like measurably not as good? Well, the main thing he's got at this point, besides I'm sure being, you know, I've never performed under him. I've seen him from out in the audience plenty of times, and he seems to be yeah, doing a I've great seen job. Him, but I've I'm seen sure him do the Star Wars stuff at the bowl. But the way he rehearses is very specific. He knows exactly what he wants from his music. You know, he does. He leaves nothing to chance. He makes sure he gets exactly what he wants, and the people respect him. Obviously, he's John Williams. Well, yeah. You know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. so when he says, like "The Do violin it, guy's gonna be like, who the fuck is this guy?" Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if he tells you to go home and practice that thing because it's not sounding good, I, I bet that person's instantly going and working. He's on that crying stuff. in his car on the way home <laughs> yeah. and not eating for a week. Yeah. You know, and and it, it's important to point out that a lot of composers don't conduct their own scores, and there's a good reason for both. Uh, someone like John Williams does come from a concert music background. Howard yeah. Shore is the same way. He conducts his own scores. But uh, I believe Danny Elfman doesn't. Uh, well, Elfman came from the band. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I can, I can tell you that it... it There's a good reason for both. I mean, I, sure. I'm a mediocre conductor because mm-hmm. I studied conducting in school and things same. like that. But I never intended on being a conductor. It was always out of the function of needing to conduct from time to time. Sure. Um, so there's scores I do conduct and sco- scores I don't conduct. If I feel like um, there's time for a real conductor somebody that focuses on that to come in and get it out of the orchestra what i need and like if there's enough time to get it to get it great if, it, if it's the kind of thing where i'm going to be just cranking through the cues and getting it done because i only have three hours to record 70 minutes of music or something Yikes. then it's important for me to be out there because i need to instantly hear it and tell them what right what it is right. it needs to change but if You're it's better for me surgeon, like. it's to get a better <laughs> if i have the time i prefer to sit in the booth let somebody else do the conducting and I can sit back and really listen and, and, and tell them what I'm hearing that needs to change. And, and yeah, if you're in the room hearing the orchestra, that might be very misleading. Uh, a lot of composers will not conduct for the very important reason that they want to hear the mix. Closer, not the actual yes, room. They want to hear how yeah. it sounds coming out of speakers. Uh, you might, you know, if you're conducting, you might be in the in there going like, "Oh man, this sounds great." And then you go in, and you listen back to it, and you're like, this "I only is not hear the I trumpet." Yeah. yeah, this is not what I thought I was hearing. And so, also, for me, I've I've conducted some scores, but I would probably, if I was doing like a big production, I would, probably want, to, I would probably want to be in the movie, uh, in, in the in the studio with the director first, so that I can get immediate feedback, and then also um, taking notes. I, I'm sure I, I welcome the the interpretation. You know, it's it's very similar to like uh, mastering a record. You know, you might have a mix engineer doing a record, and then s- have someone else master it because they have a fresh set of ears. So it's the same same thing. Is that you you know the conductor didn't write the music. He he has a fresh, just a new interpretation of the music. That's only for me. That yeah, I, that's a cool idea. I've yeah. actually never thought about it like that on a film yeah. session because I've never had enough time right to do that. You don't it's have all, time to think shit. It's I, I yeah. don't have time for them to interpret. I only have time to like get it done right if you have a kind of schedule where you know like on a 200 million dollar movie where you might get 15 days in the studio mm-hmm. that for sure would yeah. be interesting yeah, yeah. It, it'd probably uh, be a lot more like cutting a record at that point then it's like all right yeah. let's get this shit right what yeah are we, what are we gonna do next yes i mean all even right. on connect i mean we had three and a half days in the studio i think you know three days of the orchestra how many like, music, minutes of music it was about 100 and 100 to 120 depending on wow. and the problem with that score was that it was all action music because oh, yeah. it's all on connect you're always fighting you know racing 
You know, you're either you're either a Jedi fighting or you're uh, pod racing or you're a Rancor smashing things. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're like ever seducing a princess. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's no love theme. <laughs> yeah, how, does, it, how does writing music for a game work? Because obviously it's music that's going to be I don't know. I'm sure there's a million dollar term that they use in the industry, but I don't know it. But a situationally triggered piece of music. It's once you close. turn around that one corner, then dum bum 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 bum. How, how does it work for a game? I mean, they I mean do you write like six versions of each thing depending on their mode? Basically, you know, I mean, it, it works different in a lot of different situations depending on the game what's what's what they intend on happening a lot of times you're actually scoring the music while they're developing the game so they're giving you little scenes from the film or art concept art. art yeah concept yeah. art or music that they like and then they'll say like we need a piece that's a lower level you're about to fight and then we want that same piece to get a little bit bigger so it's got to be you know okay now stuff's happening then we need it like oh you're you're really in deep trouble now so the music's got to be just really cranking at this point and then there might be like okay now on the level you see the real, the boss, the bad guy. You got right. now. You got to have the kick-ass fighting music. And have you ever? I, I'm, I'm sure you've spent at least a second playing Connect Star Wars, if not more. But have you ever watched someone play it? Uh, yeah, actually, it, it was funny when Gordy and I uh, got the game. We wanted to actually put together some videos of you know, we had to. It, they hadn't been online yet, so we yeah. had to play the game all the way through every oh, level and record it. And then, nice. So I got to watch him play the game. Oh, okay. See, I've also watched kids play the game. That's what which I'm, is fun. That's, that's more what I'm really fun. curious about because uh, in a, when you're watching your movie with an audience, yeah. you know exactly what the music's gonna be doing yep. when what's happening on screen true, is true. happening. Yep. But with a game, you write music like hoping that they're gonna queue up with the action in a way that's really meaningful, but it won't yeah. always happen that way. Is it more, fr- is it more frustrating? I mean, yeah. when, well, it, the only time I mean, it's it's interesting sometimes as a delivery because mechanism, it, really. The, it's sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's really frustrating because. You might have spent all the time and all the thought writing something for a specific moment, and then they, you know, the, in the programming decided we like that better for this other thing. You know, like you meant that for a space battle, it ended up like in the forest. You know what I mean, or something. But then sometimes you wrote something, uh, maybe just for you know a, a chase scene or something, and all of a sudden it ends up in another moment. It's like, oh wow, that worked really great there. So I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you're basically you're writing for very intended purposes, but in the long run. If they like the way something sounds and they want to make it work with something else, they're going to use it also, in that other situation. Um, just to get a little more specific about how music works in games, uh, when Teague, you asked that, like how it's implemented, really. Uh, like, you know, like you know, you, you cross, you, you do Once this Once you enter thing, that room, and, the music changes. Yes. And one of the really brilliant ways that that problem has been solved, because uh, if you go back to old games, it's very rudimentary. It's either looped and it just happens. Mm. over and over like early Mario was that, that way Golden Eye 2 or yeah or it is really rough it's like you can actually tell where the point is like I cross this tree and the music changes but if I go back to where I was the music music changes to what the music <laughs> was and there's uh, let's see like Assassin's Creed let's take that for for example like I'm just taking your word for it because I don't play games oh, okay well I like n- Portal neither do I but I, I study it so uh, oh, uh, uh, oh yeah, you poor but, beleaguered um, soul <laughs> oh, d- delete that yeah. from the yeah. Uh, recording <laughs> yeah but uh, so they uh, let's see like they'll be in layers and it's a really brilliant way of tackling this problem that in Assassin's Creed you might be up on a rooftop walking around you're kind of searching like who the hell am I going to kill jump down kill someone go back up to hiding and so you actually have this layer of just kind of boom, 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 just kind of like kind of chill like searching music like exploration music that will stay there and another layer, another layer will be added on top, on yeah. top. when you come up and stab this guy that's going to stay there and they're going to add some shit and then it'll go away and so there's all these crossfades that happen based on the situation I see and, that's clever uh, yeah and if you're really into the gameplay you're not going to notice it at all it yeah. actually feels like 
it's being scored like a film mm-hmm. if it's done right. And uh, Ass- Assassin's Creed is one of those that I think was done very well. Cool. In that case, that's definitely a that is a common way the games are scored nowadays yeah. for sure. Uh, you take a game like Old Republic. They did a you know I wasn't the main composer on that, but you know I got to hear Gordy a lot of the was, music. Right? Gordy was along with four other uh, guys oh, okay. as well. But you were that was. I worked on it as an orchestrator and a couple wrote a few pieces and uh, that music was mostly like because I think they did like five hours of music or something like that for that so in that case and it's you know it's a huge universe uh, you know the Star Wars universe with the Old Republic and they and I think they didn't do as much of that. It was more just like a new thematic piece for every different moment in the game. But a lot of games, pretty much any fighting game, for sure, they're doing that kind of thing now. A lot of the layering. I think you can talk to Gordy about it next time he's here. I think he just did a lot of that on The Walking Dead, you know, where it builds and it builds. Right. He's working with Bear? No, he did the video game. Oh, the game. game Okay. Coming out. Cool. Cool. Um, Nice. That I think came out this week, I'm pretty sure. Oh, cool. Actually. Um, Anyway, but yeah, that's game scoring. uh, it's It's a constant... Uh, communication with you know the music supervisor and the and the, the game developers and you know the animator just trying to find out okay what's happening what do they need music for these different scenes and, and that's one approach and then you know writing pieces that just sometimes they do change the old way you know where it just changes to a new piece mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they do as much of what you're talking about where you walk over a line and come back <laughs> yeah that doesn't happen but there's there's some moments uh, in uh, just like walk past the tree it's like yeah yeah you can you can actually in there's some place in Ocarina of Time where you can forget exactly what it was, but this was this was like when I was like 11 playing this game a lot, so I don't really remember. But uh, I found a place where you could make the music glitch, where it would like either be silent or you'd move a little bit and it'd kind of play both. Like it was it was, it was super fucked up. All right, we're gonna uh, I have to we're gonna lose Kyle here in a second because he has to get moving. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you on behalf of anyone who's listening who might want to become a composer and sure. move out to Hollywood and have themselves a job and all that shit. What, sure. Your general sort of you know Craig Ferguson advice here. Yeah, I mean, into the talk. It's, it's such a weird career. You, you pretty much first of all before you even I'm go sure into know it, everything helps. Like well, learn, yeah, learn I mean, all of the music. Basically, before you even consider going into it. You know, make sure that you absolutely want to do that. You know, if there, I had a teacher that told me this too. Like, if you don't know for a fact, a hundred percent, that you have to do music, and this goes for music too, not just composing. I think right. if you don't know, you have to do music. No, and there's don't. something else that you can. No, but I mean, if there's something else that you equally are interested in, uh, don't do it unless you know a hundred percent, because it's it's going to be a long haul. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a long haul. Like, I've known people that have come out here and five months after they're here they're working on massive projects and they just got lucky and hit hit it at the right moment but it's a it's the kind of business where there's a lot of ways to get into it you just got to have a lot of passion for it you got to be constantly reevaluating your career and looking at how can I improve what can I do differently um, so I think as far as like putting it in a nice way for people to approach it there's two approaches I look at it with moving out here already knowing that you have to be a composer one is um, going and working for other composers who are successful. I think that's a great way to go. You can learn a lot from their style. Uh, you know, go work for any, whoever you're inspired by musically. Go see if they need an intern or if they need an assistant, if they need a tech person or a sampling person or, or whatever. And there's dozens of great composers who hire many people. So do that. Uh, hopefully you'll learn a lot from them or maybe they will move you up the chain and you'll build some connections through knowing people through them, which might help you eventually start your own thing. Well, doing that, though, I would say continue to write your own music and develop your own voice, because if you're only 
doing their sound and doing what they want you to do. You're, you're gonna become a Sylvester clone sound. or something. So constantly on, even it's if you're working, you can get it. Yeah, even as a Sylvester clone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even if you're you know working ten hours, twelve hours a day for them, you, you got to be still doing you know two, three hours at least a day of your, own, of your own stuff. So that's one approach: going and mentoring and I mean, you know studying and and, and just working for other people and learning through the business and getting connected through the business. The other approach is to try to do your own thing if you can financially support yourself to do that and always work on your own projects or work with other people on things that you want to do, you know, meet filmmakers, meet producers, meet game developers and just throw it out there that you want to work for them. When you first start working, you're probably not going to make much money doing it. Yeah. You just need to you know, get out there and do it. I mean, that's what I did initially with uh, fan films. I was scoring a lot of, uh, uh, I, I love scoring comedies and dramas and things like that, but I, 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 I'm a big Star Wars fan and I'm a big adventure sci-fi fan and all that. And I wanted to get into those kind of projects. So I was like, I need to start scoring something like that. You're and a so, fan of Bombast. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to be able to do, uh, you know, more elaborate orchestrations and things like that. So I went to the fan film sites and started scoring fan films to get right. demo material to present to get more of that kind of stuff. So uh, I think you have, if you're going to do your own thing, you got to constantly change your career. And I'm still doing that today. Nowadays, like, okay, where's it going now? How could I move into this area? What could, you know, what could I do that would maybe show that I can do, you know what I mean? You have to, if you're going to do your own thing, um, it'll be a lot more, it'll give you a lot more freedom to create your own sound and sort of build your career as you want but you got to build all your own connections. So that's one approach. The other approach is to go work for a lot of different composers. Last question, and I swear to God, I'm going to let you go because now it's oh, 7 that's okay. I, I, but, I've um, got a few more minutes. But. Um, every, I mean, we, we all watch content constantly these days. I mean, YouTube, there's like six short films on your Facebook every day and you watch one of them kind of deal, yeah. like all the time, always watching stuff. And all of those things, or at least a lot of them have some sort of a score implementation going on. Yeah. Um, so you hear quite a bit of score in, you know, the movies and shit, but you also see a lot of amateur score stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that strikes you as like rote amateur stuff that people could perhaps avoid? Like, I mean, basically just asking you as someone who's been doing this for a long time, are there any things that you hear where it's always like, yep, he's going to get out of that in about a year because he's going to think that it sounds bad now. Like, um, is there anything at all in that? Like, I mean, it's music, so it's objective. But is there anything that's like, this sounds like an amateur score because simply he's doing this and that that shouldn't happen? Um, I would say, I don't know. I think anytime you're writing music, you're learning something from it. So I, I yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. if there's anything that I could say, don't do that because that's bad for you. But um, I just wouldn't write anything that you're not interested in writing. You know, like I wouldn't specifically say, oh, I, I don't like jazz, but I, I mean, I like jazz, but I'm saying don't be like, oh, I don't like jazz, but I, I have to learn how to write jazz because, you know, so I got to write, a, you know, oh. <laughs> what's up, man? Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, f- I think it's good to learn about everything, but I wouldn't force yourself down a certain style if that's not honestly where you want to go. Right. Um, I would focus on what you're interested in and what inspires you. And I think you can always hear that in people's music. So that's all I would say is just, I can usually hear when people aren't inspired when they write music. So the idea is to get paid to write for fun. Right. Yeah. Right. For, get yeah, paid absolutely. to write for fun. Yeah. And it's not always going to be fun. I tell you, like, oh, no, no. Oh, I mean, I especially imagine. when you're on a deadline. <laughs> I can't and, imagine. I mean, when you I'm sure it's like that with anything all of us do, you know, it. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, some days you get up and you don't you don't want to write, but you got to write pretty much. You have to write every day, mm-hmm. no matter what. I mean, you have to learn. It's good. Even if you don't have a job, it's good to learn how to write when you don't want to write. Because there's going to be a day that you have to write 10 minutes of music and you don't want to write anything. So mm-hmm. uh, it's good to force yourself to uh, have deadlines. And How do you write? Do you just sit down with uh, like a MIDI setup? or do I you mean, happen? I just sit down in front of the... I mean, I'm not a piano player, but I, I just sit and start hearing things. If I'm not thinking of anything, I'll 
listen to a bunch of music, get inspired, like I said, get excited, and just things will start with me in my case. Like I'm sure I said, you have a rad setup at home, though. I mean, at least... It's just basically, you know, computers and lots of samples and, you know, keyboards and things like that. And for me, it's just I because I came from an improvising background, like I said, playing trumpet growing up, I always hear things, I always sort of just things sort of just come to me linearly mm-hmm. and then I things start to develop as I think about it. So a lot of times I'll come up with an idea and if I'm stuck, I'll literally just go lay down. <laughs> right. And as I'm sitting there, I'll, I'll keep replaying it in my head and replaying it in my head and things sort of start to develop and then maybe I can go sit at the piano and come up with something. It's different for everybody. I mean, like you might pull out a guitar from something yeah. you might sit at the piano. It's, you know, some people might just sing. It's, uh, some people might just hear it all at once. It's kind of just whatever process you've figured out works for what you. What is your setup? What's your sequencer? And you got, I'm sure you have like um, I actually mostly use Pro Tools now for just about everything just because I like to be able to go to the, uh, I like to be able to go to the studio in most cases when I'm recording live and have and you can it already. Just take your Pro Tools file with you. Yeah, so I use I use a it's basically you know a MIDI keyboard, uh, you know, goes right into the you know Pro Tools rig that I've got and mm-hmm. uh, use bazillions of samples. I mean that's really what it is now is having a computer powerful enough to support your thousands of dollars of samples. Are you just right. using one computer or do you have a slave? I actually right now I just have one computer. Actually, I have another computer that I intended on using as a slave. And I just have never turned it on mm. once. <laughs> wow. So I use I haven't had a problem yet. And most of the scores I'm writing, um, a lot of times I'm going to live at some point, you know, to record live. So my mock-ups aren't usually particularly more than like 60 to 70 tracks, which my computer can handle. You know, you might, I like some of the stuff over, you were talking to Hans Zimmer, I'm sure they have some that are hundreds of tracks mm-hmm. at times. And so... Um, and even then, there's way, ways around it. I just I have the way that I like to work. It's very simple. I've got my samples. I've got a room that I like working in. I've got my keyboard. I've got you know I like having three monitors because I have one for the mix, one for the edit, and I have one for the film mm-hmm. up on top. I like to have everything just kind of neatly placed in front of me. Nice. But it's not. Uh, it's really just more about hearing it and being able to get it out there into the you know into the computer. And I, I write a lot of it into Finale too, which is a notation software. Um, oh, actually, I, I, I do Sibelius. Sibelius, Alex, Alex, Finale, I got to say, though, Finale, coming from a starting and Finale perspective, is a, a much deeper program. But it is. Much. <laughs> but it's uh, a much more difficult program to yes. start on. Right. Unfortunately, Sibelius, who knows if it's going to be around in a couple of years. True. I, uh, I don't, it's had yeah. a lot of issues. But well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, they're working. Uh, the original developers went to Steinberg, so hopefully we're going to see, see some Cubase. Like, yeah. Sibelius. We won't go into a big finale yeah. Sibelius conversation <laughs> right now, but it's but uh, basically it's just you know writing your stuff onto the computer and then printing out parts notation. and things like that. So no music. And you notation. put it that way. There's really there's no like controversy at all. No, it's just they both do the exact same <laughs> thing. Notes uh, really, but uh, yeah, it's really just having the tools necessary to get your ideas out, and it's not uh, you know you might go to the flashiest studio in the world and it might look really cool and it might have you know, all these different devices that have flashing, you know, things and knobs and, but more than likely they're probably not using the majority of it. I know, I know some composers who I've met who literally go buy old vintage gear just to have stuff that looks cool that they never (laughs) use. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. (laughs) You know, but, um, anyway, I, it's pretty simple what I, what I utilize, but like I said, I'm a lot of times recording live. So it's really just about getting it, to the studio, being able to hire the right people, and then sometimes I mix it, uh, and sometimes I hire a mixer. Depends on what the budget is and how. I prefer to have somebody mix it all the time, but as a composer nowadays, oh yeah, <laughs> all right, we'll talk. <laughs> but as a composer nowadays, you kind of have to learn to mix your own music because right. budget-wise, right. you're probably going to have to at times. Right. Cool. So. 
Well, I want to move on to something else, so you're welcome to leave whenever you want. Yeah, I got a, I got a few minutes, and then I'm gonna stick around. But what I'd love to do now is just with the room and uh, everyone, uh, and, and and this is where it's gonna the amateurs are gonna shine. So it's me and Matt's Ooh. time now. Oof. But just to like sort of a lightning round sort of thing, just talking about individual composers and how we feel about them. I, I thought that might be interesting because we sure. talk about John Williams because everyone knows John Williams. He's sort of the canvas for a conversation about film scoring. But you yeah. know, there's individual callers on there. So uh, like for instance. Uh, where are we all at with uh, Giacchino? W- w- Matt, how, do you like Giacchino? Are you a big fan? He, uh, he's one of my favorites. Um, definitely Giacchino right is, uh, off the top of my head, up, Star Trek, Incredibles, and then mm-hmm. like Lost. Mm-hmm. Bunch of stuff. Um, well, there's I, more, but I'm, I'm, know, I'm, for people at so home, if they don't know who it is. <laughs> right. um, no, he, he's one of my favorites right now. Um, I, I, What's your favorite of his scores? My which one? Which one? Scores. Incredibles is the most fun thing I've ever heard in my life. It's yeah, incredible. Um, <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> I, I know it, it's weird. I, I have weird thing uh, feelings about some things. Like I know, I feel like with, with Star Trek, there isn't a whole lot there. But well, I, I, he, I, I just gave I, him I a bitch ways, please it's face. Simple. <laughs> it's kind of simple, but but it still, I think, achieves exactly what it set out and needed uh, to do. Um, uh, so you know, I, you know, like you said, I'm I'm the amateur, so I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. When when the score, when I saw the movie and the score came out, I was literally singing it out loud for six months nonstop. Like after I'd seen the movie, and my roommate hated me because I would not awesome. stop fucking singing it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Oh no, it's fantastic. Um, I, I, I hope that he. Matures because I think he still has some ways to go, and, I, and in some ways I'm I'm already hearing him repeat himself. So I have a lot of hope for him. I hope he achieves what I think he's capable of. Uh, I think he has some ways to go still. As a disclaimer, I, I was going to say our composers over here have the possibility of ever having to work for some of these people, so they have to be delicate about well, it. Well, no, right. no. I mean, yeah, well, well, just as a disclaimer, when you least. when you say repeating, like we've already talked about repeating themselves, composers, and just it's just always worth repeating <laughs> that um you know they they are not calling the shots unfortunately and so uh you know they if you're repeating yourself you're you know i mean he works under jj abrams a lot and so jj might be like hey man like i really liked what you did on lost so do that for star trek mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he might be like sweet okay and, and, and they <laughs> and even aside without saying they may know what a director likes to hear you know he yes obviously they might just bypass with, that with whole abrams, that so. yes I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as repeating goes, you know, like, with, it would be interesting to hear him take it a little further, though, and try some, like, you know, that, the the Lost thing that he did, I think it was on the last episode, which is also basically in Star Trek, which is also in John Carter, the, the, the soft, uh, you know, meandering string sad thing that he does, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think he needs to move away from that, because I think people are starting to identify that that sounds like Lost. Mm-hmm. And yes. so you hear that again in Star Trek, and then you hear it in John Carter, um, it's you know it's got a it's got a feel to it, but I think uh, you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. specifically which cue it is. I don't remember what the name of it is, but uh, he did, you know I don't think he repeats himself necessarily any more than anybody else. It's just uh, yeah um, he, has, he's, he, has he is scoring he a lot of you know works yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I he definitely does not use uh, like to get specific. He doesn't use as much uh, counterpoint or uh, harmonic modulation mm-hmm. as some of the you know. The classic composers like Goldsmith or Williams or, you know, uh, 
a variety of people. I, I, but he, you know, he's got a sound and it's very distinct sure, and it sounds sure. like him. And, it's not quite um, as classical a sound. Would, would you no, say definitely that? not. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, I've it, I've actually always thought of his his sound being kind of not borrowed, but like it's it's it sounds like music. Well, it's a, it sounds like all <laughs> of the no music. Way. Yeah, uh, no, it's like it it kind of comes from the Williams school. Yeah, it comes sure. from it from a. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the sound of that. I don't know. It comes from kind of a raw, I'm going to try to do that thing. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, he, he well, did, yeah. I mean, The Incredibles, uh, for instance, sounds exactly like, James okay, I, I know what we're going to do here. We're going to do James Bond and In Like Flint, and we're going to make it sound as 60s fun, kind of distorted oh, so trumpets perfect. as possible. <laughs> and let's have some fun with it. Everyone, put something in your bell. I don't care what it is. Find a baby. Snag it in there. <laughs> Into the whole thing. I mean, there was then, also other. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not an expert on this, but I'm pretty sure Gordon Goodwin was working with him pretty heavily on that. Who is? Oh, oh cool. Insane. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, but I, so I'm not a studied. You know, I don't know that much about what I'm seeing on I'm that a, score. I'm but a that's huge what I heard. fan of Giacchino. I, Giacchino is my favorite working composer. You're not, or you are? Am, okay. am. He's my favorite working composer. Uh, and when the JJ Star Wars announcement was made, my first thought, literally my first thought, was, "Who's going to score this shit?" I definitely don't want to yeah. see that. You don't want to see Giacchino's. Star Wars Thor? Oh. We'll get there in a second. But no, I, no, oh. I, don't, I, it just, I just would prefer to see a variety of other people. I, first of all, mainly just from a Star Trek Star Wars perspective, I really think we need some definition between the two. Ah, that's interesting. I, 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 I like how you're thinking sociologically about, like, okay. Well, I think we have the same We need director. to have a cultural distinction Well, here. we have the same director on both. It's too much power for um, one man. And you have a composer <laughs> who has a very distinct sound. I think that it's going to make them seem the same to me. Maybe. I mean, And I also think that it would be interesting for J.J. to work out go outside the box and work with somebody different and we can see what and you know I'm sure he will with in that case, but, but, in, but in any case wow. hold on hold on but in any case uh, I'm a huge fan of Giacchino I mean mostly because and I guess this is how fandom works but mostly because I'm a huge fan of everything I've heard him do yeah like right. you know the the, the the fucking up Walt's uh, oh, married Jesus. life it, uh, now I'm a sucker for you know the plunky beautiful piano stuff anyway but that da 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 were you watching it on TV yesterday? No, I just know it was on TV. No, we don't even have TV actually. I mean, we have a TV monitor, but we don't have television. But in any case, but that takes me to I guess the next one. I have basically two segue points here, but I'm going to choose segue point B. But speaking of beautiful little plunky piano riffs, Alan Silvestri. I think every time he works with Zemeckis, you get that you know Forrest Gumpy contacty piano stuff. But you know Zemeckis is back to the future and Forrest Gump and Castaway, I think, and Contact and Ten Minutes of Music. That's Avengers and blah 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 blah. That's Sylvester. He really surprised me on the Avengers. I I was. It didn't sound like Sylvester. Yeah, I was like, who is this? And I dug it. Whoever the hell this is, he's good. I loved it, and I was so surprised when I found out that it was him, man. Fantastic, Kyle. Where are you at with Sylvester? I like Sylvester. I mean, I, I grew up with all the scores, and you know, he writes incredible melodies and uh, his orchestrations. I, I I like all of his classic scores. There aren't any really recently, although I did like Avengers, and he did Captain America too, right? I think was much more kind of military in a way. I think he did uh, Captain America, but uh, I, he hasn't written anything in the last five years that that really stuck to me. But I there's at least fifteen to twenty scores Matt, in the past twenty five. Can you hum the that, Avengers theme? Do you know it? Dun. Yeah, okay. I remember that now. It's the sort of thing where, like, it's a great score, and as soon as someone starts it, I remember it, but then I don't ever again. It's the, I actually have the exact same problem with Shores' Lord of the Rings suite. Like, I know all of that music like a motherfucker, but right now I couldn't hum it if I had to. 
<laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> I, maybe I just haven't seen them enough. I don't know. Dude, we did all three extended edition Lord exactly. of the Rings movies. So in how one... do you not know? <laughs> because that was more like trench warfare as far as I was concerned. Okay. That was uh, like band elbows. We're going to get through this. But back Everyone on Sylvester. Everyone should know that I am like the world's biggest Tolkien fan just in general. And, and Howard Shore I would do unspeakable things for. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But Sylvester, um, you know, for me... I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of the Back to the Future score. Oh, like, yeah. everyone knows the Back to the Future main theme, basically, but the entire piece, the entire project, even into Back to the Future 3, which some people have heard shit on the, the music in 3, but no, it's cool. Uh, it, it's, I think it's, everyone likes it, and I think it's underrated. I mean, that's the, it's that sort of thing. I think it it's really good. It doesn't often in, in It really doesn't. You know? Yeah. It's just fucking huge. And right now you wanted to sing it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it's, man, it's, it's, it's great. And I, I love that shit. The Forrest Gump and Contact sort of latter day Zemeckis Sylvester sound is. Is cute. Uh, I'm a big. Fan. Oh, I love I'm a, I'm a big oh, fan man. of Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump hits well, me hard. The whole and it, it has this beautiful. The whole movie is all stringsy and piano-y, but then when mm-hmm. it breaks down to just doing it on the piano with very minimal accompaniment, just with the string section, yep. it's gorgeous. Yeah, I'm, and I just love. Oh, dude. I mean, in terms of those sort of sounds, but also I think I think Randy Newman scored. There's like nine thousand Newmans in film composing, by the oh, way. Yeah. They're they're the, they're they're all the all Empire. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah oh, and also Andy Williams. There's there's, there's a lot of Williamses. And, uh, and younger one, a friend of Joey? mine, Joey. Yeah. Oh, you know Joey? Oh. Oh, he's great. I'm a big yeah. fan of all of them, but 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 Stephen Newman is kind of a dick. Not an. I'm making names <laughs> up. Um, no, but the even in um, Monsters Inc. The the at the end of the movie where. Sully is dropping Boo in her bed and it's the goodbye moment mm-hmm. oh god plunky piano music is the direct line to my heart if you do it right yeah um, you know like Brooks is uh, Brooks, Brooks was, was here. here yeah holy shit <laughs> oh man that who did uh, Shawshank Newton Howard it's Newman that's, uh, that's Thomas, Thomas Newman, Newman. Yeah. Thomas yeah. Newman and that's a great score yeah, that's that's. He's got a real sound just, too. I mean, he, he repeats does. himself a lot, but he's got a sound. Well, let's do Thomas yeah. Newman. I can't name off the top of my head a few movies that everyone knows that What's Newman's a done. Recent one that he's done. Uh, Wally. Wally. Yeah, he did Skyfall, which didn't really also, sound much like him. Yeah, it didn't sound like him at all. But he's never yeah. done really. And Shawshank. And I, I mean, yeah, that, uh, Wally was pretty American interesting. Didn't he do American? Didn't he do American Beauty? He did American Beauty. Yeah. 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 Thomas Newman is definitely one of my favorites. Matt, do you have opinions about Thomas Newman? He's great. He definitely has. Yeah, he sound, rules. But it's, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, He's got a lot of that parallel stuff we were talking about earlier. Like oh, yeah. he does a lot of. You know, you want to show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Seriously. there goes Alex. I was, I was really excited to hear who was doing Skyfall. Like, oh, get to hear like. Wait, what are you playing? What are you playing? Different. See what he's capable of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm There's some great. On the Thomas Newman sound. <laughs> it's, it's already there. Oh, yep. actually, like, can I play you something? Actually, I want to hear what you guys think about this. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing um, perspective, like someone was talking to me about a movie project, and I sat down at the piano and was like, "But what about something like this?" And they were like, "Oh yeah, that's fine." And then the project never happened. But I was so enamored with my little sketch yeah. that I wanted to use it in something, and I finally got to use it in the documentary that I just did the score for. Um, but here, check this out. Now I have to get up. Sorry, um, <laughs> Matt, sing the Avengers theme again. Okay, I'm back. Okay, here we go. So, check check this out.
Yeah. Oh huh. man, you know what's funny is that cool. right at the end there when you, you you accidentally went to another chord and then you were like, oh nope, I actually kind of like where you almost oh, went cool. back. <laughs> That's how I've come up with. That's the my dream, best man. Ideas. To fuck up well. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But I always thought that sounded. Uh, but I always thought that sounded Numini, and also did this. Play it up an octave higher, then it's Numini. <laughs> yeah. Like he, the guy barely ever plays below middle C on piano. <laughs> like, that's just his sound. Yep. Full Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to stop the music. All right, uh, let's move on. All right, James Horner. We already touched on one, on him a little bit. And, Horner uh, is all of the things. Uh, early Star Trek, Titanic, Abyss, I think. Uh, yes. Apollo 13 yeah, is one of my favorite of his. Yep. For me, it all comes down to a beautiful mind. All his other stuff I like. I had, by uh, the way, listeners... I hadn't even thought about the A Beautiful Mind score and then Alex went on this one the other night and he made me listen to it and holy shit. Seriously, it's go to YouTube movie. and type in A Beautiful Mind OST and just listen to it because it's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And uh, all his really other stuff I like, it always works for the film so therefore it's good. But like, it, it's never it, it's never been my favorite um, but A Beautiful Mind, I have listened to that score thousands of times. Now you can move the mic too. I could, but... But you've tried to roll, roll, roll deep. Yeah, yeah going on? you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, again, for me, it's it's kind of like thinking about what was his intent for the score and all of that. And uh, I'm not going to get into it here because that's whenever I get into that stuff, it's like a. <laughs> you sound like you have a crush. Yeah, it's like an hour long fangirl. Kyle, you mentioned that you're a big fan of Horner, though. You said that Horner was I, one I of your. You know, I loved all his early stuff when I was a kid. I think you know, I. I what reacted. was his early stuff other than Star Trek? Well, you know, I grew up again like with Star Wrath of Khan, and, right. and you know that, that that score pretty much right when I was a kid, right along with Star Wars, were you know two of my favorite scores. Willow. Uh, Willow, yeah, great, mm. great score, yeah, yeah. cool movie score. too, actually. Good pull, man. Like nice. Ten years, but yeah. Battery's not included. Which uh, I just up. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Did he score that one? Uh, yeah, you know, I looked it up the other day. I was like, oh, I wonder who, who scored that. And then I and I saw, I was like, of course it was James Horner. Of course he Oh, did. and Horner did it's, Avatar. It seems so like apt for him to yeah. do uh, in the 80s. Now, here's the <laughs> thing. I, I like all of the Horner that I've heard, and I know that there's a joke that Horner repeats himself, so I just cite the joke without even feeling that way about him, but yeah. where does that come from? Well, like I said before, actually. Is it the same sort of just that happens to composer sometimes and it's not fair? <laughs> he does. He does a lot of the same triadic movements, you know, that he does for certain things over and over and over. And over. He has a sound that is so refined that uh, he, yeah. Even if I feel like he, he just he may not even try to repeat himself. He just kind of does. It's just he probably I, just I likes know. that sound. Yeah. and there's nothing wrong and with that. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not. It's not it's just the way he knows how to solve the problem. And he's also, having. like yeah. I said before, I think that people temp his scores with his with scores. His scores. Hmm. Uh, but again, like for me, it's just you know he's he's good at what he does, and it it's most of his stuff doesn't really hit me hard except a beautiful mind. Seriously, listen to the Apollo thirteen soundtrack, everyone. That is the most. Oh, that's a great score. That yeah. 
there's something great, and Snuffy did it with West Wing too. But there's something great about the Americana patriotic sound, where mm. it's it's something that yeah. basically what you're doing is you're citing old like Amazing Grace style songs, but then you play them and you roll heavy on the trumpets, and you just get this perfect mm-hmm. patriotic, deep, moving Americana shit. That just sounds exactly. It's 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 you know it's great. I mean it's you know it can be overused and become jingoistic, but Apollo 13 and West Wing both have that in common. And it's, I think what, what defines that sound, aside from the trumpets, which aren't really in the West Wing as much as they are in the Apollo 13 soundtrack, but I think what defines that is just the, the really classic dun 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 yeah. sort of just like basic folk scale. Sound, like folk songs with snare drum under them, pretty much. <laughs> and though, to keep going on the James Horner thing, like there's a couple of his scores that I really think did not work. And rarely do you actually see that in, in Hollywood scores. In like uh, a major composer? Yeah. Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. I don't think it worked at all. I didn't see that movie. And uh, and I I really hate saying that because I I wanted to love that movie. The movie also I just I really I had a lot of problems with. But the whole time I was like, man, the score is taking me out of the movie. I'm noticing the score too much. Hmm. Granted, I am a composer, so I'm going to notice. But the score. Earlier, you said that that can happen if the movie's bad. You sure. said that a bad movie. If you have a sure. great soundtrack behind a bad movie, the soundtrack but, sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's cheesy again. But I mean, you've it, come all the way back around the, to it sticking the, out. Yeah, but the movie wasn't working with the bad movie, mm-hmm. or the the music wasn't working with the bad movie. Oh, I see. You, you can make it work. <laughs> it, it might kind of suck. Yeah, but the most like, confident grin just then, <laughs> like this conspiratorial. Oh, you can make it work. <laughs> I know some guys. I mean, we we said on, on Facebook the other day that it, it it almost sounded like it was trying to be the Elfman score. And, and maybe not intentionally and it was yeah. weird it like didn't it just didn't quite work I, it just honestly I can't put my finger on what didn't work for me but you gotta go back just, and try I'm sure you could oh <laughs> I've tried really yeah and the score it, actually baffles you just, you are nonplussed I'm like, by the yeah, score I'm like just you know I don't know what it is that isn't working for me but listening to it on its own and also up against the movie it just it doesn't work for me crazy you know? I, I'm, I'm biased because of the the Elfman Spider-Man score, it's one of my oh, favorite so scores, and it's so like so it resonates creative. so well. And so I don't think anything was gonna yeah. match right. up and, for me. And and just to, I'm not a huge fan of the Raimi Spider-Mans either. Hmm. I really don't like them. Like and uh, and uh, crazy because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge perfect. fan of those. They're like my favorite movies. Really? No one in this room gets Two. the joke, but everyone listening to this knows that that was the most bold-faced lie that's ever happened. Okay. <laughs> I have yeah. never shit more aggressively on something in my life. Gotcha. I, I wish I had been there for the Spider-Man 2 yeah. talks. I would have talked about how Eddie and Trey and everyone that wasn't on those commentaries is all like, dude, I love those movies. And all of us that were on them were like, oh my God, I hate those movies. <laughs> so it's yeah. not, it was an unfair and, thing. And Elfman did a great score and they, it works with the bad movie then let's take that into the, the next composer then because Elfman I want to hear everyone's on this one because I'm a huge fan of Elfman man I, uh, when he sounds like himself I love him when he mm-hmm. doesn't sound like himself like in Wanted <laughs> yeah I think a lot, yeah. a lot of his a lot of his scores I, I can't think of any particular partially because that Wanted was which one was that uh, was that James uh, McAvoy, that Angelina yeah. Jolie yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, Morgan and, Freeman and, and, and yeah. Bending the Bullets you know, and all of his scores like that though I, they they're not memorable, but they work. There was they another work. one too. There was a. It had like kind of a Middle Eastern sort of flair to it. I can't remember what it was. Is that Book of Eli? That wasn't it. No, that wasn't no. it. Uh, but I. That's what I'm saying. Like, they're all really good, but they don't sound like Elfman. Right. It's like sometimes I think he almost mm-hmm. like says, "This is what the film needs," but he doesn't identify it with his sound yep. or something. But he still writes a really good score. But I think the scores that sound like. That we think of as Elfman, not necessarily like we said the bump, 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 not the peewee thing, <laughs> but just like the the bombastic, uh, bold choices melodically and orchestrationally, and uh, just eighty nine Batman. Oh yeah, mm. oh, absolutely. So you know, good. I even think what back to like when I, I remember watching like. Were you thinking of Promised Land? 
No, um, he did Promised so. Land? Mm-hmm. Let me see a list of the movies here. No Oz, way. Captain Sparky, Promised Land, Batman, Hitchcock, Frank and Weenie, Silver Linings, Gun Test, Men in Black 3, Dark Shadows, Real Steel, Restless, Fight for the Last Cookie, Next Three Days, Alice in Wonderland, The Wolfman, Do Not Disturb. I mean, we're going you know, I don't know. Even, even, like Alice in Wonder- <laughs> even like Alice in Wonderland, I don't, I can't really remember hmm. specifically with this. I think that was Red more classic. Just a sound. That, that had a lot of like the Edward Scissorhands like choir sound. Didn't yeah. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, Elf, uh, but Elfman is such my shit. But I mean, oh, maybe, like, do you remember the maybe Flash it's theme way back in the yes, day? Or yes. like that. I mean, that, that was and, like classic and, Elfman. And, uh, this is like the most obvious trivia point, but you know, it's like the Wilhelm for Elfman, but he also did the Simpsons score. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And that is such a brilliant theme. It's great. But no, Elfman is such my shit, but maybe it's because I'm a huge fan of Oingo Boingo anyway. And I was tremendously, like the word musical hasn't happened in this conversation yet, but I was tremendously into the Night Before Christmas stuff. Oh. And when trying to play it, because I like to do YouTube song covers because I'm a nerd. Yeah. I found that even though I'm a huge fan of every single number in that movie, there is more modulation in that shit than I've ever seen in my life. Like he changes the key center six times per song. Oh yeah, he he. That's part of his sound. I think is just like, like we're he, not going to keep this in the same place. We're just going to kind of keep just throwing curveballs at you. And that's, he, that's I think thing. he's just he's he's very sort of just spontaneous with his writing. I think like it's I'm just going to do this. I don't give a crap. Like kind of Jackson Pollock just just, <laughs> just throw some yeah, stuff it, up it's on there. Very and through it always composed works. in a way. You know, like yeah. it just feels like he's just going with it. Right. But like he's not overthinking it at all. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people that could have that same approach and fail, and and he just. I don't know what it is about him, but everything that he does almost always works. I think it's mm. the insanity. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, totally, I think the fact that he's a mad genius. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally agree. I went and saw um, Oz Great and Powerful, and during the, the opening credits, and it's it's totally an, an Elfman thing. I was like, this is totally, Elfman is totally like what he's done before, but I still love it. Like, yeah. I, I want to hear this the whole movie mm-hmm. I loved Men in Black mm-hmm. I, I loved yeah. Edward Scissorhands I loved Batman I mean I just all of them it's just like yeah. all of the really big Elfman scores are some of my favorite scores and also might I point out Batman was his second score that makes wow, me really? feel like crap D's nuts D- yeah after Pee Wee yeah, he didn't do. Da, he didn't do da, 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 uh, I think. I think wasn't wasn't Batman. I think Batman was the same. All right, there. That's pretty. That's pretty. Time, yeah. yeah. But dude, God, that theme was his first Holy score. It was Pee Wee. That was right? kind of like Pee Wee was definitive as well. a superhero. Feature, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. And from just a musical standpoint, like just how he crafted that melody, how easily it can the modulate bat, the to just about yeah, yeah to just about any key, it always works. Hmm. Could you demonstrate? Sure. <laughs> Kyle, you look like you want to get out of here. A pretty pretty quick. Just real, real quick before I go, though. Um, who are Before we go into, like, really specific, who are some of the other, just name a few composers that you guys are excited about, like, Nathan either Johnson. currently or, or maybe, maybe maybe current, current, and then maybe three uh, we Johnson, Desplat, I have a, a problem with Clint Mansell, but generally I like him. I like him. Um, who else? Who's a, um, hmm. There were, there were I've so always many... been impressed with Randy Newman's scores when he does mm. them, and that's weird for me because it's like <laughs> the, the the short people dude, the 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 you know the song, the fucking <laughs> Billy Joel but nerdier guy yeah. is making these. You know, the Monsters Inc. score is is amazing. It's hilarious to listen to. It's the most yeah. fun thing ever. There there were a lot of people coming up in in the two thousands uh, that I was really looking forward to. Like, oh yeah, that guy's gonna be Sorry. awesome. And then and then. <laughs> They just never panned out. Maybe it's just because the movies they were doing weren't very good. But they're they're I can name like probably five all the time Ooh. I had like, well I guess I could say it. Uh, like, ah, name them all in a list. <laughs> Criteria order. Uh, like Tyler Bates, I was really excited for, and he, he never was really good stuff. Dude, his, uh, yeah, Watchmen was great. 
I really like I, that. I, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I should go back and listen. But like, I was yeah. really expecting bigger things from some of these people, mm-hmm. like Harry Gregson Williams, which he still does really good stuff. But he I like him. There wasn't like a main like thing that he's done that's been I, amazing I, to me. If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Harry is taking kind of a break. Like yeah. just because like of having a kid or something like that. Well, even know, just the stuff like over that. just, just the last couple of things yeah. I've I've heard. Yeah. No, I uh, dude, I think he's great. Kyle, who are you I excited about? Currently, um, or who are underrated composers that should be a name but they aren't? Uh, that's tough. I, a couple that I think you know, there's so many people that nobody's ever heard of that that are really talented. But as far as people that are actually already starting to get gigs, I think um, that guy that he's he's. He's kind of like at times sounds a little like a Horner ripoff, but Eli Ishkari is okay. Um, yeah, can you have some names? Uh, movies? He did uh, Stardust, and he did uh, oh oh he did. Uh, I like a couple of other kind of movies that I wouldn't actually remember the movies, but the scores were okay. I can't, but right. uh, but I've checked out some of them. He's okay, and then oh, also dude. Andrew Lockington. I don't know if you heard of him yet. He no. did uh, City of Ember, uh, that one with uh, Bill Murray in it. He did uh, uh, the two. Uh, what were the Brendan Fraser Journey to the Center of the Earth? Uh, mm, right, those, those cheesy movies, but scores were really good. Mm. I think he's actually pretty talented. That guy, younger guy, that's from, from an orchestral perspective. It's actually some interesting. You know, I actually do like some of the electronic approach scores as well. We haven't talked Did much. Did you about like Social them. Network? And um, um, I'm not. I'm not a huge Trent Reznor fan, honestly. About I'm a, I'm a Reznor fan. You like Nine, Nine Inch Nails, Nails and things right. like that. I don't really like it when he's trying to do subtle like film score type stuff personally but um, I don't, also I don't, I, I like don't the, think Trent has a particular knack for I'm subtle. not really uh, yeah. also their approach is kind of just write music and then it gets used somewhere in the film I'm just mm-hmm. not a fan mm-hmm. of that kind of scoring yep. but he comes up with interesting sounds does, for sure does, um, is that a rule with Fincher or is that just the way he works or I think probably that just, that's just the way he has worked and it just oh, has worked out so far but I don't I, know what I liked, they did with I, ta- Girl with the Dragon Tattoo I, um, I like I like that music I, the, the Dust Brothers stuff for Fight Club I liked a lot yeah that was cool you know one guy that I was wanting to see more of it was a bossa nova Don Davis oh man I, yeah. you know Don Davis okay. here's, where here's, did the Matrix score come from okay, Don, right. Don Davis is incredible though prior to Matrix, Matrix and I mean he's he's just an incredible orchestral composer too he really is well what was crazy about That's the Matrix I was, I was astounded scores. I was astounded that the sound of the Matrix didn't become the template for scores for 10 years because it's right. that kind of thing it's, it's incredible this, it's you know it's the, it's the low throbbing piano notes it, with this great strings and then these really odd uses of horns it's, it's so specific though that I think anytime you copy it it sounds like the Matrix well you know? it, okay but, then, then I'll give him different props for that in terms of coming up with something that I've never heard that before but holy shit that's really distinctive one it, would think more people would like just copy it you know you know the, the yeah. cool like sort of dissonant triad horn thing going on over this low strings and the dun 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 is so oh there's Alex <laughs> wow <laughs> I, I guess it's better on horns yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh definitely yeah. you can put a big cluster in, in, in the horns and it'll sound it'll it'll sound pleasant yeah That's, actually the, yeah. Was, the, the Matrix scores were all so, so fucking good. fascinating they were really cool remind me remind me to show you the one I, song that you can't actually get anywhere but it's on YouTube I'll show it to you I think Don That's Davis good. would actually be a decent uh, next Williams Ooh. if Whoa. if they seven yeah, I mean, I, what do you, what do you, what do you want to do it recently? if he didn't want to do it? I want he he to hasn't do done a score since, I think, 2007. He's, Wait, I think he's just kind of chilling. What do you, you know? hear in him that makes you think he could be a Williams? He just he changes from project to project. Also, I, I, I didn't mind his Jurassic Park 3 soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I thought at times, I was like, oh, is that John Williams? And I th- <laughs> you know, but then I heard The Matrix. I was like, wow, he's got he's able to do his own thing, too. And uh, I don't know. I just I like his writing. I've also seen some of his concert music, uh, the scores oh, to him. And it's fantastic. It, it's uh He's really into the craft of composing, and so I appreciate that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. There's there's a lot of underrated guys that are 
not of retiring age yet that are I pretty see. incredible. It's, it's weird because when you just mentioned that Don Davis, when you were listening to Jurassic Park 3, you thought it was Williams, but then you heard some Matrix in it. No, that, no, no. That's not what I was saying. Oh. But uh, what? because the Matrix came out after that, I'm pretty sure, right? Didn't it? But, Jurassic Park 3 came out after the Matrix. Yes. Did it? I think he Matrix did was 99. I think Jurassic Matrix, Park 3 Matrix was 04. Well, that was the one I was trying to say, but maybe I did. <laughs> well, in any case, well, in any case, all, all I was saying is it, it gave me a stray errant thought about we were talking earlier at length about what makes a, a musician or a composer like, oh, that's them. That's always them now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's just, or at least sometimes, that, you know, say Elfman, for the purposes of argument, even though it's not the case in his particular situation, but say Elfman just did the Batman score or Pee-wee, and it, you know, he just did this random thing once. Like, this was this one music project where he did it like this once, and then it was like, that was an amazing sound. And then instead of it being like the way he writes or something, it's just something he fucking did once. And then, oh my God, everyone loved it. Sure. It might be situational. Maybe Don Davis got away scot-free when no one else wanted to do the Matrix sound. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, what we could do, you know, we've never done this weird horn thing. Let's try that. Wow, that's distinctive. Can you do that again? The thing is, is that like, I've, I've really looked into him and, and he is very, Don Davis. Yeah. He is very much a like composition just he's he's committed to the craft and the art and so i think in his case he was the guy for the matrix and he came in there with a very 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 uh specific vision and the wachowskis were open-minded enough to do it and so i mean a lot of times though what we do here uh it's kind of been touched on so far a little bit but you you have to have a director that's willing to let the composer kind of off the leash I've, I've talked about this, not on this, but with Teague a couple times, is that sometimes the score kind of needs to make the movie fit to it, which, it, it, I mean, not nearly as much as the score needs to fit the movie, but there is this kind of give and take and this kind of this push-pull that needs to happen in that... What's an example of that? Uh, the one that I was talking about when, when, uh, like a couple days ago was the non-thematic moments in Star Wars. And uh, no one really notices it, but it's incredibly overscored but it works and it's and he's giving so much and it, it's it, he kind of if, if you watch it without the music the the movie really is not like it works but then he adds something but kind of something that the the film couldn't doesn't actually inherently to. have yeah it's like star wars as opera Yes, there was of. even moments from a completely other perspective in Inception, though, that I felt like that too. Yes, where I felt like the score was like really trying to make us feel a certain way, where nothing was really happening. Yeah, hmm. and um, and I think that's that's something that uh, isn't happening so much anymore nowadays. As much like if you go back to a lot of the older scores, like we're talking like Bernard Herrmann days, that happened a lot. Yeah, and to a lot of people nowadays, that feels overscored. But there's something that we can learn from that without copying it, and that. Um, Sometimes if you simply write a little bit more and then turn it down, it can actually work a little bit better than mm. if you have the music up a little louder in the mix, but you just have less going on. It can give you a more nuanced bed that you still won't no- notice that much. But it is it, hard it, to convince. Uh, you have to have somebody that's open-minded, though, like yes. you said, because it's hard to convince people that it will work because they won't know until right, the final exactly. mix. Right, Unless well, you present it in the mix perfectly, too. On the subject yeah. of like underrated composers or people who like their name should be big, but it's not. Well, David Arnold, no one knows that name, but... He's great. Fantastic. Man, Stargate, right? He did Stargate, didn't Stargate, he? Stargate, I, mean, I think, yeah, but Independence yeah, how, how many times does that get used in trailers? No, but here's, my, but here's, <laughs> my, here's <laughs> mine for that. Um, do any of you guys know who Mark Mancina is? Yeah. Yeah. Speed. Mark Mancina. Speed and Love Twister. Speed. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You're all about the twister, dude. I'm a. I just. I love both scores, and they, with with the exception of the fact that if there's a moment in Speed where he's writing some notes, his his sort of interest in the way that his melodies are constructed is really apparent. They don't sound anything alike. Like Speed is this interesting sort of thriller, almost industrial sounding score, and then Twister is straight up a spaghetti western score. Yep, straight up. If you listen to that music without knowing what it was from, if you if if in nineteen ninety if nineteen ninety five I play you that music, you go, whoa, that's like a throwbacky sort of fucking shitty spaghetti western score. And it's just this. It's just got this perfect, stupid old. Like back to the future, wild, wild west sort of sound, and what a fantastic direction too! Because they really it the totally only, the fucking only works. reason that they would have decided to do that is just the state that 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 film takes they place picked in Kansas, yeah, the, and the, and like plains, and they right. were like, well, what if we did yeah, this? Let's, let's let's do this, and and it's just an inter- interesting direction, and like you know. A tornado has nothing to do with like a, sp- <laughs> a spaghetti western, and like they, you want to tell that guy, I don't get the connection. What are you doing? Yeah, and they they just. Nailed it, and you know, for for me, one of the guys—he's a huge name in music, but just not in scoring—is Johnny Greenwood, and he's mm. one of my favorite composers right now, man. Like, uh, speaking of scores that that force the film to work with the music, uh, there will be blood. Mm. That score is just—I don't—I like, don't even remember it. Oh my god, it, it blew me away the first time. And I, first of all, I mean, what a—it's a fantastic movie, but. Um, there's some there's some cues where you're like he is adding certain emotional layers that aren't given to us at all by the film but are crucial to the story and so i i really like that approach you know and that movie in particular is very overdone and it not many movies can get away with that but just greenwood himself is another guy who is like Don Davis, very, very into composition, but from the complete opposite direction. I see. Like Don Davis, I think, has a master's, probably a doctorate, and Greenwood is this fucking guitarist for Radiohead who just happens to love Christoph Pendrecki and just <laughs> yeah. loves crazy 20th century music, and he nails it. Is it's, he done it other than on... Uh, um, uh, the, what was the movie The Blood what was that movie called There, there, will, will, be blood. Blood. there will Be Blood yeah. has he done it on another film besides that he did for oh what The Master uh, oh I haven't but, seen that yet okay. but that's that's not keep quite, it that way it's, it's you not, don't like it oh god that movie <laughs> the music is not nearly as because you, you know the music from There Will Be Blood oh yeah yeah, yeah it's it's just kind of crazy and it's, The it, Master is a little more like Ravel Ask. It's really oh, cool. I'm still gonna see it. Yeah, sorry, no, no, you sorry, should Jake. see it. No, you should see it. My, <laughs> um, oh, you, gotta, you gotta get rolling. Oh, just, well, in a, in a sec. Yeah, I, I really should actually. <laughs> I gotta leave town in like a day, and I got like 25 hours of stuff to do. So fantastic. But uh, um, that score to me, it felt really derivative, though. There will be blood to me, but like overly derivative. But yeah. it was super effective. Yeah, it's so. Man, and I like mean, I was saying, uh, it, it's so ballsy that again, it makes the film work to it. And like I said, it's a little too much, but like for whatever reason, for that film, it just works. Did you like it? Uh, the score for There Will Be Blood. You know, I don't remember. I have to go back and listen to it. I didn't remember either. Like, I remember, I remember the movie, movie, but like, I don't remember the music. The at opening all. scene yeah. when he's like, you know, in the in the well, in the well, and he's falling down. The whole. I think that's when the, the opening music. There's starts. this like three minute one shot of like the of kind of the the setting like with kind of like a desert like mountain right. sitting there. And there's this just beautiful music, but it's all the entire. The music is like unsettlingly beautiful. 
is the best way that I can describe That's it. That's weird. It kind of hurts huh. how pretty it is. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. My, for, in terms of like the directors, uh, the composers that are like sort of workman composers, and I only mean that not in terms of their quality, but in terms of the fact that it's like they're not a name, so they don't get to just pick and choose some great projects. They have to do Scooby Doo 2 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, David Newman is my shit. Oh my god, he's right. Right. David Newman. I'll give you. I'll give you <sighs> two right now, and you're gonna go with me on them. Okay, audience. Galaxy Quest. Oh, that's a great score. Serenity. Yep. Mm. Galaxy Quest is an outstanding score. Yeah. I mean, it's just fucking. Oh. Speaking, I was, I was, when yeah. I saw you pulled it up, I got so happy. Then I realized, like, yeah, he might be the most underrated composer. Yeah. Right you want to know a couple of other under? Speaking of like composers in that age, yeah, yeah, yeah. underrated. Um, oh, I'm gonna space out. Elliot Goldenthal. Oh. And um, <laughs> uh, Bruce Broughton. Both uh, Bruce Broughton. You guys don't know Bruce Broughton. What's crazy is Goldenthal Goldenthal made, made Alex you know actually cross his legs in excitement, and then Broughton was like, he gave you the, you don't know the Bruce biggest. Broughton? I don't know. He is like the most incredible composer besides Williams, who only did a couple of big films, but he really is. A couple of his scores you got to check out. Terrible movie, Lost in Space. Okay, uh, okay. awesome freaking that. score. Yeah. Uh, Tombstone, which you've probably seen. Yep. Silverado. Awesome okay. freaking score from the 80s. Do you know that score? No. Check it out. It's one of the best scores no. from the 80s. Put on Silverado right now. And I'm, I'm pulling Golden up his IMDb here. Goldenfall did, uh, you know, Batman Forever. Batman also, Forever and Batman Well, Robin. yeah, also Interview with the Vampire, which is yeah. the most famous. I mean, yeah. those guys love, love those, are classically, if you're going to talk classical music, definitely nothing. Goldenthal's Goldenthal goes a little current from time to time. Jesus but, Christ. Composer, 123 titles. No, I mean, he's the most underrated. He's like 65. He's the most underrated composer. In Hollywood, absolutely, hands huh. down. <laughs> Bruce Broughton. He did Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. <laughs> no, he is, I'm telling you, man, check out those three scores I just mentioned. As far as, like, orchestral music, if we're talking that, it's got all the stuff that Williams does, mm. it, complexity-wise. It's got the melodies. It's got, or, everything about it is incredible. And, you know, to bring it back to David Newman, in terms of underrated scores, Nutty Professor, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. all, all those yeah. kind of like goofy all the comedies, comedies, yeah, that like don't get yep. appreciated. Oh, they're yeah. boy. incredible music. Yeah. It's so complex. It's just all over the place. Just and and, and like no one ever notices Think it. Yeah, we never yeah. talked about early Silvestri. All these goofy scores from yeah. the eighties. Yeah, yeah. I love um. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, speaking of crazy eighties composers, Elmer Bernstein shows up for a second there. Ooh. But I would say goofy scores. I mean, like his. Uh, uh, Summer rental kind of stuff or whatever. That's what I'm talking about. His, you know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I I, I love uh, Alf Clausen, but I guess that's because he's only really done Simpsons. The Simpsons. He's been on there for it's, 25 years. But it's still amazing. That, like, yeah. well, and, and like emotional and happy. TV and, composers and, blow my mind because Giacchino was Lost. He mm -hmm. was Simpsons. Uh, Snuffy Walden was West Wing, and West Wing. Snuffy Walden's done like eight bazillion shows. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, I he's, he's a total workman. But all of the scores that, of his that I've noticed, so I guess that's totally selection bias. But all the ones that I've noticed are like. Outstanding. The, the, the West Wing was that yesterday. The West uh, Wing theme is perfect. It's beautiful. At, yeah, and it's at, what's crazy is when they play the music from the show at the Emmys when someone from that show wins an Emmy. <laughs> the West Wing theme just sounds like, oh, that's perfect Oscars music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. When I was yeah. at Capitol yesterday, I was seeing uh, uh, Phil Eisler do uh, the re uh, score to Revenge, that show, and I and I was lucky enough to sit there and just like look at the score while they were recording. I was like, shit, <laughs> this is amazing music. He just did eighteen minutes of. This this week, and I I was sitting there just like, like oh I'm gonna use that voice and like just kind of <laughs> taking taking some just tricks of his and it, it's all it's like stealing Facebook music. code <laughs> yeah it, it's all amazing stuff and 
they they just like get it out on a whim, man. They're, it's it's all just you can't when you're doing TV. I mean, I've never had my own TV show, but I've worked for TV composers, and when I do, can't say you, you, basically you're being called because they're way too far behind, and so you're being you're basically getting the same pressure they would get at the end anyway. So right. basically, it's just write as much as fast as possible. Use your instincts and just whatever just you go. think of, just, just go. go. Yeah, just do it. Yep, and hopefully it'll be approved. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, pretty much it. That's Who's crazy. the guy who's working on uh, Breaking Bad? What's his name? Mm. I can't remember his name, but he did some interesting stuff. That show's over yeah. now, right? I think. I, it's, no, it's going to be over. It's going to be over soon. Had, yeah. okay. the, I actually, they're in their last season, and they broke it in half, and the second half's about to start. I actually just started watching that show on Netflix. Me too. Believe so it or not. It's good. Yeah, yeah and his... Uh, yeah, the, he has just some really cool ideas, man. There's, yeah. there's a lot of cool TV composing going on right now. Yeah. Are, is there more sort of action in the TV market or the game market at this point? Action? You mean like work? Uh, more, work. No, more like really cool work getting done. Uh, I think there's if you're going for the big orchestral stuff, the game, they're Games. they're more into that. If you're going for Dave Porter, by the way, is yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. If you're going, for, I don't know. I think there's a variety of styles going on in TV, which is yes. pretty interesting. It seems like the producers are getting a little bit more creative with uh, what they allow the composers to do on TV, and then also in video games, they're all like, "You guys want four million dollars for an orchestra? Sweet, like take it." <laughs> yeah. And and like. Uh, I, I know of uh, one of the one of the alumni from my major at Berkeley is now the head of Microsoft Music and he actually came in. Is that uh, Paul? No, he's uh, or, or Microsoft you know, Music. This, uh, this is terrible. Oh, now he's on he's, the spot. No, he's he's Japanese and I can't remember his name. Guys, probably uh, know the same too. But, um, <laughs> There's like 45 syllables. It's not yeah, your fault. He did, he did uh, uh, Metal Gear and stuff, and now he he worked on Halo Four. But he's amazing. He came in. He's like, yeah, we actually got. Four million dollars for the music budget for Halo Four, and n- no film gets that. You know that's crazy. That's like Hans Zimmer budget, right? Yeah, there. that's that's uh, massive. And he was like, you know, there's there's a lot of games shelling that out because, uh, you know, games are getting the, more cinematic. The, the name of this guy here, Which trying one? to uh, whoever did Halo Four. Oh, okay. I don't think he composed all of it. He he was he was on the. So I think Taro he made, Tojima. Uh, no, go go to. Go well, this to, is bullshit because that's a Japanese name. <laughs> go to uh, Metal Gear. Metal Gear One. No, I think one of the more Gear recent solid. ones. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna, well, Metal Gear. I remember his yeah. name too. I'll tell you what, guys. I I could probably talk for yeah, like five go. more hours, but I, I should probably. I, roll. We got yeah. you for fifty more minutes than I thought we were. So. <laughs> there you go. But man, Let's, I get excited about. It. I want to keep talking about. Yeah. It. So next time you do this, let me know because uh, we didn't actually get him to talking about. We talk more about theory in the beginning and mm-hmm. stuff, and we start yeah, talking about really composers here. Yeah, yeah. We start getting really excited. It'd be fun to listen to it and. Uh, and here's Hideo some. Kojima? No, that's it. Wait, I might have it on my phone, actually. If it's the same guy. Kazuki Muraoka? Yes, I think it's Kazuki. That sounds familiar. All right, I think whatever. that's him. And Metal Gear Solid 1. There you go. But Konami in-house musician, Kazuki Muraoka. In- yeah. Kyle, Maybe that's thanks right. thanks a million, man. You did a great job. Dude. All right. Yeah. Yeah, great meeting you, man. You're heading out of town, right? Tomorrow, yeah. You'll be back, though? Yeah. So, right on. All right, I'll see you. Oh. Bye to everybody. <laughs> Bye, <Yeah>. Kyle. <laughs> Thanks again, man. All right. See you later, guys. See you, dude. Did I forget anything? Uh, I don't think you forgot anything. Nope. Okay, cool. Unless you want to take a beer for the road. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> later, man. I have Norihiko Hibino. Or... Yeah, whatever. I think it's Kazuki, isn't it? Or whatever. Sure. I don't know. Man, I Honestly, like it sounds terrible, but I just I can't remember his name. It's it's. Let's okay, complicated. Okay, who, who else is out there in terms of composers? Let's you know get kind of closer to wrapping this up, but... Um, you guys got anyone? Well, one someone who I oh wait, Alexander Desplat. Oh my God, 
What's your, because I know that you have a huge old, like when I asked Alex, because Alex is my go-to guy on Facebook when it's like, I have a music question. And I said, you know, who do you think should score episode seven? And he's just straight up like Alexander Desplat. That's that's who should fucking do it right Man, now. Man, I mean, listen to uh, Deathly Hallows, especially part one. The guy can do like the action thing, but thing is, is that he keeps it emotionally intimate. Hmm. Uh, he... <laughs> You still feel connected. A lot of times, you know, the the action cues and stuff nowadays can get a little too bombastic and they can get a little too just, you know, kind of out of control. But he always keeps it reeled in to focusing on not necessarily the action, but the character's perspective Hmm. within the action. Uh, I forget who said this, and I probably read it about someone else (laughs) quoting someone else, but uh, it was, "Don't don't score the horse racing, score the fear of the horse rider. Hmm. You know, and, and, cool. and yeah, he, he does that, um, you know, and also he can, man, I don't know. He, he just, he moves me. He moves me really hard. The, hmm. the very beginning of, uh, Deathly Hallows part one, when I, when I first got into the theater for that, I was like, this is not what we've seen before. <laughs> uh, and dare I say he did a better job scoring Harry Potter than John Williams did. Oh man. Well, and, uh, thing is that we're, we're dealing with very different movies here. And sure. also Desplat got to, he, was allowed to use the the themes sure. that Williams did, but I think in terms of just capturing the individual movie, I think Despal actually did a better job, and that is saying something. That's saying a lot. Very rarely I, will I say anything <laughs> bad about Williams, but man, Despal is just one of the. As far as I'm concerned, I, I think he's the best on the scene right now. I, I think when I think we were talking about this earlier, I think it was you that I think we came up with the same idea at the same time that like as much as we love uh, Despal. He doesn't know how to do fun. That's right. Yeah. He is French. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sebastian and all of our that's, other French listeners. <laughs> and that's and that's why I disagreed about him doing Star Wars. Like, yeah, he's he's amazing. German but composer like, Wagner is the funnest of all composers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, well, French is, don't have fun. Well, for me, that's Alex Smith. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it comes down to Star Wars, I've never been a fan of the fun in Star Wars. I gotta mm. say, usually when it gets a little wait, hold on. It gets kind of kooky the and fun. Like, the fun. I'm trying to remember a fun moment. Basically, anytime. It's the whole theme. Yeah. Well. Well. Wait. I, is, that's not what you're talking about, though. You're talking about like the lighthearted I, moments, right? Yeah. I've always wanted Star Wars to be a little bit more serious, and mm. I. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, someone like the spa. What's could, a fun moment in Star Wars that you dislike? Well, it's not necessarily the fun. It's more like their poor attempts at humor, especially in the prequel trilogy. Oh, so Any, anytime yeah. C-3PO is on screen. I was about to say that. Anytime he talks, he's like, I'm beside myself. Ah, like, God, that's dumb. I just feel like basically the only way to make what art, like imagine that you can't phantom edit the prequels, but you can change the audio. Here's what you do to make all of those lines work, but you can you can change how they're performed, but you have to keep the lines. Ooh. Just make C-3PO Edwin the whole time. <laughs> I'm beside myself. <laughs> I love to laugh. Or make it <laughs> to Kai. Loud and long and clear. But yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. For for especially the next, the next trilogy, I want to see a little bit more gritty dystopian future. Like what we're supposed to be in the... To see in the original trilogy. And I, I like... Don't get me wrong. I love the original trilogy so much. But that's like you're you're about to. Yeah. That's equivalent in a conversation to going. Now I'm not racist, but <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love the original trilogy. What? But I, I've I've always just wanted to just get a little bit more seriousness. Do you like Alien? Him. I dig Alien. Who scored Alien? Um, yes. 
Matt Lank Hanksman. That's why you're here. <laughs> I'm telling you, like this guy knows everything about scores. <laughs> All right, now Alex, I'd like to do something here because I have good news for both of you. Uh, Kyle's not here to hear this, but um, this is about to be the longest down in front that's ever happened. Fantastic. We are at a little over two and a half hours, and we're just going to keep going until one of you has to leave or die or something, whatever. So we could just keep drinking and first one to pass out. <laughs> Matt, what's your schedule like? <laughs> I uh, work tomorrow morning, but... Uh, but it's it's 8 p.m. Yeah, you no, good? Fucking, yeah. Alex, take a seat at the piano. Oh, God. Uh, here's what's going to happen now. We're going to do our uh, one more composer, but I want you to basically just give us a lecture on this guy, okay? Okay. Howard Shore, go. Howard Shore, what about him? Howard Shore... <laughs> Where do I begin? Where, okay. <laughs> if you had to distill what is most brilliant about Howard Shore, what is it? What's the deal? Because you're Mr. Knows Everything About Music guy, and you're all over Howard Shore, and I'm wow. just over here going, yeah, words. I liked the Lord of the Rings songs, and I thought that thing you do was good, but I don't know anything about Howard Shore. <laughs> um, I don't know anything You know, about he's, he's had a couple different phases. There's like the early, mostly horror stuff, and, well, not mostly horror, but he did some, you know, Scorsese, and he did, uh, like, The Fly, and... Uh, and he was kind of all over the scene, and he was just a really great emotional composer and then Lord of the Rings happened and, uh, and oh my god and he yeah he kind of I think came into his own mostly because he had someone like Peter Jackson saying like just go we're gonna give you all the money and just go give me the Shire theme real quick <laughs> just keep playing I'm enjoying it <laughs> this is like NPR we're gonna have a musical interlude just go <laughs> Me and Matt are over here like, dude, even on my wonky attitude the piano. Oh, that's sexy. Oh shit, let's change keys. Yeah, but um, the the thing about by the way that was beautiful. I can't believe oh, you. Oh, thanks. What's crazy is I thought you were gonna do just da 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 da, and then like okay, that's the, the melody. But you actually had the whole piece in your head. <laughs> but like, here's but, the thing about Alex, by the way. Just so you oh, know this, because oh I know Alex, but you don't. Alex, it's not like he memorizes songs. He can just make what's in his head happen on a piano in a really odd way. Like if I asked him to play some weirdo piece of music that he'd heard. He would not only be able to figure out the melody and play it immediately, but then also figure out all the interesting sort of counterpoint shits going on in the left hand, and then it just sounds like he knew that song the whole time. <laughs> but anyway, no, go on. But talk um, about Howard Shore and, and Lord of the Rings in general. Well, Lord of the Rings, like, first, I've already said this, but I should preface this whole thing. I am a huge, huge Tolkien fan. And uh, Lord of the Rings is just so nuanced the story is just so deep and multi-layered and it's looking back on this giant history and all of this and uh he just not only did the movies you know do that perfectly and you know we can talk all day about you know they, they had to change this and that but i think most people generally agree that they kind of just nailed it you know lord of the rings and, is an impressive fucking accomplishment yeah and uh he nailed it too and he like his themes that he that he created were just perfect and he he approached it very much i think in the same way that john williams approached star wars you know he he tried to not just 
write for characters, and in this case, like, species or, like, kind of specific, you know, cities, like we have Minas Tirith, Gondor. Is there a Minas Tirith we, theme? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll, I'll just keep it on the same key, but it's like... Oh, oh God. What's weird is I don't. It sounds sort of familiar, but more specifically, just that. And by your mind, you're playing with one instrument, not ninety. Mm-hmm. Just that sounds like something I don't know. Really, and yet sounds totally Lord of the Rings. And it's and it's also totally Gondor. And the here, here's one cool thing. If we want to get into like really kind of dorkily analyzing this, there's also Rohan's theme, which is you know the other major city, region, what have you, of men, and. thing is that those are actually all the same chords just in a different order that's exactly what i was thinking uh-huh. yeah um he, he used like those are the four chords that he used to craft those melodies and what, just, what chords did you just play real quick that was one minor flat three major four major flat seven major and it, it, that's not the same order as either of those but um he used those that's to, jazz chords isn't it no nah, no nah, it's just just, just chords. But putting those chords together, isn't that jazzy? If you want it to Play be. a jazzy version of that fucking theme. <laughs> Watch. It's going to work. Do it, Alex. Uh, Dance, monkey. Uh, Rohan's it's totally going to work. Rohan's theme and jazz, please. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, this is the loosest down in front of all time, but it's a lot of fun. Jesus. God, I suddenly went into film score mode. No, that wasn't jazz at all. That was, that was shit. It was cool for a second. Yeah, it was kind of fun. No, that was yeah. elevator. That was good. But, um, <laughs> Sonic Eraser. You were, you were talking right about the, the presence so anyways, of the same yeah, chords. He, he kind of, you know, like, like these are these two, uh, two, two cities where, where one is kind of like, well, uh, well, both of them are kind of like, uh, fallen from grace, sort of like they used to be amazing. And now they're kind of like in this shitty time. And, and one is very, very sad, and one is trying to hold on to its old glory. And the way that he, he, he made them, they're kind of cut from the same cloth, you know, historically. And he cut them from the same cloth, using the same mm. chords. But then he diverted them using the order of the chords and the melody that goes over it. And uh, then he further fleshed out their uh, personalities by, in Rohan's case, he used a kind of historic like Irish fiddle uh, that has these drone strings that it's, gives it this really cool sound. Yeah. And it's cool because Rohan is actually more of a Viking type, but somehow the Irish plus Viking thing just totally works. 
And then Gondor is more of this, you know, your classic, like, Knights of the Round Table, French, possibly English sort of thing, and just more of what... Ah, uh, more beer. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Bring I'm, a, I'm a good host, not only of radio shows, but also of parties. <laughs> mm. So... Cheers. Yeah, have some Coors Light. Enjoy the taste. Mm, yeah, <laughs> uh, and and it's just, it's just so brilliant. And you know, to go go beyond that, he has this great, uh, you know, all the Shire themes. Also, like oh, should look at the piano when I play. Um, so all, all the Shire stuff is really really fantastic. And then the fucking. Elves music because if you really think about the elves, they're they're such a complex uh, race to score because they are kind of they're like, Vulcans. They're, well, eh, kind of Tolkien. Even though he's like he hates allegory and all this shit, he he wants no, he doesn't. Eh, yeah, well, he said he did, he, but it turns said, out he fucking doesn't. <laughs> and it's kind of like what humans could be is kind of like what they represent. It's utopian species. Yeah, they I, are really utopian. It's more like it's more as a race who had achieved perfection and then stagnated. Yeah, over time. And and for him, there's there's a lot of Native American influence, you know, like connection to nature. But then there's also this Egyptian thing where they are obsessed with kind of embalming their history because they are uh, immortal. They they want things to stay the same, and so they kind of embalm their surroundings and so and musically he just got it he got this like sadness but also this elegance and um like like or it's not even minor that's the thing he does that d minor you just keep going That does really sound sort of. I'm pretty sure this is a word. Stayed. Yeah. It sounds very. And I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of banging away on the piano too, just to like make sure that it's really picked up well. Uh, but no, your levels are great. You're fine. Okay, cool. In fact, but, uh, if anything, uh, talk closer to the mic. But you're good. Yeah, and uh, that's great. Um, and then like you know when the wood elves are walking through when uh, in fellowship when when Frodo and Sam see them, look wood elves, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> He just went from minor to major there. You know, he he just he That's, he writes he, these. It seems like he fi- he finishes off every statement with la da 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 da. He kind of does. He kind of yeah. He kind of he kind of puts this tail on everything, and he, you could swap he out every thing. theme in the in the Lord of the Rings with ba da ba ba da ba. <laughs> oh, move here and be on down in front of it. <laughs> yeah, and and the, like. And then with... Um, Dude, we could just have him scoring all of our commentaries. Like, he's just sitting I'll, there at the piano while we're talking, and then Dorkman goes on this, like, funny story about his hospital injury or some shit, and Alex is over there. So, Dorkman's like, and then when I brought... They brought me in, and I had this, like, searing pain in my 
appendix, and I didn't know that at the time. All I knew was that I felt like I was dying, and they brought me in there, and I started vomiting on the floor. And what ended up happening eventually is that they asked me just to stop vomiting, and I couldn't do that because I was vomiting. It's not my control that's happening, and you know, they bring me in, and all of a sudden they put me down, give me some Dilaudid, and they're like, we have to cut into you right now. We have to give you surgery this fucking second. So they bring me into the surgery room, and they ask me to count down from 100, and I'm like, come on, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I don't even feel anything yet, but I, you know, they put on the mask, and they say, please count down from 100, and I'm like, 100, 99, 98, and then I was out. But I remember hearing things during the surgery. I was actually being able to, I was able to hear them when they were doing their shit. I didn't feel a damn thing, and it was fine. But all of a sudden, like, the surgeon starts talking about what he's been, like, doing with his wife lately, and it's a really odd moment where I'm not feeling exactly safe, but I'm not hurting, and it's this weird sort of limbo that I'm... Okay, we're good. But that was amazing. <laughs> By the way, I just totally wholesale made up Dorkman's appendicitis story, or, or gallbladder story, but whatever. But that was amazing. <laughs> we're I'm sorry, we were talking about Lord of the Rings. So things. something about Lord of the Rings, yeah. Uh, and so, Specifically, like... Specifically, the way the elven themes were all this weird sort of slightly yeah. Egyptian, like embalmed yeah music. they're like exotic but also still like western music european sort of thing and uh then like isengard i mean howard shore said this himself like this is not even me like conjecting like this is just him like i'm just quoting him but like for isengard it was isengard is industry that's its whole point it 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 mechanization industry yeah and so we're gonna be in a weird time signature you know like what is the time signature? Uh, five. Five four? Yeah. And then, like, just the fucking melody. I, I don't know, it's just perfect. And, and he, I also kind of got out of five there because it's hard to play in five when you've had three beers. But um, <laughs> five four is one of my favorite time signatures. It's great, you know. One of my favorite. Also, Bane's theme, same thing. What's Bane's theme? Dashi dashi basura basura. One two and three four five. It's it's one two three four and one two three four and one two three four so five one well, is your point well I, I, in terms of let me under, uh, let me explain this to the world in case you don't know what time signatures are okay you know those numbers that are at the left side of all that staff paper you've seen but never know what it meant like you usually see a four and then a line and then a four under it that means that there are four beats per measure in their quarter notes right quarter note gets the beat which means yeah. you get one two three four one two three four so four beats per measure yep and their quarter notes yep for the rest of the conversation, just imagine there's nothing but quarter notes. So they're all going to be four on the bottom. But you can have multiple numbers on the top. You can have five four, which is one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Or my like a, a really classic one is um, uh, seven four, which is both Pink Floyd's Money. Boom, ding, 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 boom, ding, ding, one, two, three, three four, four most. five, six, seven. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Most Western pop music isn't four four. It's four four. It's in four four. Yeah. Now, but the other one, um, here's one that you might know. I don't know if you know this one, but I'll play it real quick. I hate the delay here. But another seven seven a uh, seven four is um. Yeah, it's Doctor Who.
seven yeah. four. Yeah. What is it? It's actually seven eight, just for the listeners at home, so that they an oh, eighth note, shit. an eighth note gets the beat. You know what? Because I'm, it's a little bit faster. Like you, you can technically write anything in anything if you want it to just look terrible, and be impossible to read. But uh, like Alex, we, we, we could. I have this uh, vested interest right now because yeah? uh, this is a sort of an informal diff anyway. Sure. Uh, the, mo- the normal guys aren't here, but mm-hmm. the listening audience is still listening. And uh, we're coming up on three hours, so I have this vested interest in just having this be a nine-hour diff. I don't give a single fuck right now. Let's do it. I, I have a... Let's do it. I have a plane tomorrow, and that is my only thing. All right. <laughs> um, but what's the... what? Seven four is one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven. Why could seven four... What would seven eight sound like in that exact same thing? But it sounds one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven. Oh, one, interesting. Two, three, two, okay, yeah, so yeah, you and uh, the gener- same thing. generally you're why going. Would you, why would you change the four to the eight? Under what set of circumstances is that um, a useful distinction? Seven four is generally if it's four, there's there's kind of a certain tempo range for all of them, and four tends to be you feel it as just seven. Right. Whereas one, two, three, seven, four, eight, five, six, seven is probably two, faster. Five, six, seven. What? And um, you tend to feel it as like three and four, like one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, or one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Ooh, that was actually and probably so, seven, eight then. Yes, it's oh, seven, eight. Cool. And, uh, and 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 just to finish off the whole time signature thing, when you brought it up with talking about five, four. Yeah. Um, my favorite example. There's a lot of five, four songs, but you don't know any of them. Is basically the problem. But the most accessible pop song that I've ever heard that was in five, four is a. An amazing, great song. So listen to it anyway. But it's the song called um, "English Roundabout" by XTC. Okay. Um, it's um, uh, oh god, I can't remember how the song goes. Bum bum. Oh shit, I can't do it. But it, XTC. It's supposed to be said ecstasy. Uh-huh. See, but XTC's oh, "English Roundabout" <laughs> is in five four. So if you listen to it, you're actually and it. I, I guess it'd be five eight. But you count out ten. You count out ten, okay. not five. Um, it's that sort of a thing cool right yeah um but anyway that's time signatures and you were saying that the isengard theme is this odd time signature yeah because and you kind of you said it was five four uh you could phrase it as five eight it's kind of like a big five play it again and i'll do the count Oh shit, fucking playing that melody always throws me off. Berkeley genius over there is our our, our film score is usually thought of in terms of time signatures because the music oh. well the music oh. changes constantly yes uh, actually if you look at like, the score you'll see a thing where it's like it's four four but then as of bar seventy it, then it's five four for three seconds but then yes. it goes back uh, because we're dealing with timing and that timing is absolute. Hopefully, unless the the director is just frame fucking and just just like changing we're we're gonna get rid of like three frames here and we're gonna throw off your entire score but uh yeah like what's what's happening is like you know you'll have like this this hit that you want to make and then 10 seconds later you have this hit but your tempo and your time signature it will not let you hit at that exact moment 
Uh, so you have to change. So for one bar, signature. you switch over to seven four. Yeah, just randomly and just to get you it, know. Yeah. Because if you're doing this, but you need one right here. Yeah. You have to just all right. Yes. We, if we need music there, what we have to do is lead into it for a second in that speed, real quick, just to get it there, and then we go back to our normal it's, thing. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place, and like it's because we're dealing with like multiple time or multiple ways of telling time. You know, we have like. You know, minutes and seconds and hours, and then we have frames, and then we have bars and beats. And so it gets a little complicated. And so, like, in my, well, really any composer's, like, session in their sequencer on their computer, you're going to see, probably going to, like, get all these markers where you want hits. And then you have to write to that. So what ends up happening is, either by yourself or with the director or with the director's notes, but some combination of you watching it with the director's insight, you watch the movie, and basically all you do for the first time through is you drop the movie into your sound mix or whatever, and you just figure out, okay, need one here, and you'll like notate, this has to be the really yeah. big sad part. First thing you do and then is you do this you and watch that. the whole thing. And, and then you figure out your like time signature, I'm sure, and kind of like, all right, so that's that, oh God, none of these line up, shit. And then you start basically just building yes. the music so that you're going to <laughs> arrive at that beat at this weird, odd, not-in-beat moment in the music. Yeah, and so like that's one of the things that a lot of people when they listen to scores don't really take into consideration is that uh, you're dealing with all of this crazy shit. You have to make it actually sound like music if you want it to sound like music. If you're doing like you know Saul or some like horror score, it's generally actually a little easier in this respect. It's harder in some other respects, but uh, you can kind of just like in that case like with horror, there's just a lot of random shit going on, but. You know, just insert random movie here with insert standard score. Uh, like you'll you'll do a spotting session first with the director, and that just means you sit down, watch the movie, and then you'll probably watch it again. And then probably on the third time, you'll start to talk about where you each think music is, and it's basically the composer listening to where the director wants music. And uh, he'll be like, "Okay, so from here to here, we want like you know some action music and whatever." And so you take really detailed notes, and then you sit down, and you actually turn that into kind of a spreadsheet. And you actually need this for licensing, or for, for like, getting paid. Like, if you're doing a, something where you're going to get royalties, for example, or if you're doing a soundtrack of the score, you have to submit that to, you know, ASCAP, BMI, whoever. And uh, that you actually legally need to have that in order to get paid. Um, and so you tend to do that just at the beginning, just so that you have it there right. and you just kind of update it as time goes on because the spotting notes that you take are almost never gospel spotting right? spotting. Yeah. Like the spotting session and you take notes at the spotting session. I just described it. Were you drinking? <laughs> no, you were drinking. The, the director and the composer get together. And Got it. About it. <laughs> I just pulled a total Brian just then because Brian did that once and I always remember that as being like a. Like I, I did the beginning of a diff and I was like, go ahead and set your unpause point when the Warner Bros. logo fades to black. And he's like, and where, where should they unpause? <laughs> it's like, I just totally did when, that. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Oh, no. Uh, so, Spotting so, session is not gospel. Yes. Uh, it's probably going to change. Uh, on this last film that I did, uh, we the spotting notes were actually obsolete by the end of the film. I wrote all new, a uh, mm. whole new cue sheet for the end because we had this idea and we were doing that and I was scoring some of it and none of it worked. Both me and the director's first impression was completely wrong. And then we realized that the movie was actually telling us to do something, which is kind of always a little weird when like, the movie kind of takes on a life of its own, you right. know, and, it's the same and in every department. starts, yeah, starts dictating these things. And we're like, let's do that. Cause this, the stuff that we thought was going to work isn't working. 
And uh, so then, you know, you start writing your cues. And a lot of, a lot of composers have different ways of doing this. Like uh, Danny Elfman is pretty famous for saying that he starts with the most important cue and then works backwards and then goes forwards. So, like, so he's, he like, for Batman, he figures out, I guess, the theme? Uh, actually, uh, Batman was different. He didn't really have a method yet. He actually thought of oh, that, that theme. Was, that was his, on again, the, on a plane. second yeah. score. Yeah, he thought of that on a plane. And it was... He thought of that on a fucking plane. And uh, I know for a fact... I, I heard that Spider-Man, story, and then he like, ran into the bathroom, hummed it yep. to himself, and started writing it down. Yep, yep. And uh, on Spider-Man, the first scene that he did was uh, when he is first swinging through the city when he's uh, chasing the carjacker. Because that's when Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man. And so to him, that was the most important scene. And then he does a couple more of the big action scenes because those tend to be... because Action scenes, there's a lot of notes. And they're, they're, they're very... Thank you, Mozart. They, they change a lot. <laughs> yeah, and they're, uh, they're, they're just kind of chaotic to get through. And so you need to find something to hold on to. So you tend to hold on to your thematic material. You tend to be basing what you, you're doing off of your, uh, your big themes that you came up with right after you came up with the spotting notes. And uh, so that's honestly a pretty good place to start. And then you can start to really work backwards and forwards with, uh, I don't know, the more just down to earth, like just dialogue cues. Well, the way you say it like that, then it makes, I mean, it seemed like a revelation at the time in the conversation, but now the whole Hans Zimmer and sort of nugget concept really makes sense because then it's like okay what it's are we brilliant. doing here yeah. and then let's do some yeah. interesting evolutions based on our original precepts because one of the biggest problems that composers face especially when they're starting out is that uh, you might write a cue and then write another cue and they might work great for the scene but they might not work great in the general arc of the movie the score has to have an arc just like the, the story does and so uh Really? Might, yeah, for sure. And uh, huh? I, it's I not will, just like, and this is the sad theme. Yeah, it, it it really it needs to, like you you're definitely thinking of it in those general terms at first, but then you need to apply it not only to what's going on, but to what came before and what is coming after. And I will gladly put up my first my first score <laughs> for anyone to check out and say this is an example of what not to do. Because it is just like that. It's it's a five minute movie, but also it is kind of a cue, and then another cue, and another cue, and they kind of work for what's going on. So everyone, Not- go check out my score for Fighting in Plain Sight. I didn't do that. Uh, totally fucking did that. <laughs> <laughs> and when you sit down and watch the movie, though, it he did feels- six different EDM songs, and he just put them in there where he wanted them. Well, did he tell you to do that though? He said, "Channel Resner." And Massive Attack. Well, those, and I did. Yeah, well, Channel and, and, and Reznor will do that because, like we said before, the social network doesn't actually feel like it is. So you're saying I follow direction score. perfectly? Yeah, sure. I rule. <laughs> anyway. Then again, when I told you that you did a good job on that score, I also prefaced it by saying I haven't seen the movie, so I actually don't know how good it is. That's fair. <laughs> because there's a lot of honestly, good music that doesn't work up well, against Well, honestly, the it, fact that you liked the way the music sounded was a big deal for me. Oh, well, that's. Yeah. But, but it, it makes sense because. Uh, what you were saying before, like going, you know, having uh, the, the the music go somewhere, it can even go somewhere over the course of a trilogy, like it does with with Batman, Nolan's Batman. He yes. does stuff, he pays stuff off at the end of the third movie that he kind of started with musically. Yeah, in the beginning. All right, Alex, is it's there a case to be made that 
Hans Zimmer started with an with a thought at the beginning of Begins that pays off sort of near the end of Rises. Uh, is there anything going on like that? When I, we're talking about the end, end, end. No, no, no. Rises. But I mean, you know, just you know, something that I, he I, starts with and in, in some form in Begins, and then in Rises, it's this entirely different thing now. Uh, no, actually. Uh, Hans Zimmer ain't so genius now, is well, he? No, he's very. I wouldn't say genius. I'd say he's very good. You can't see my face but, in, the radio, in, the, in the audio recording, but just so you know, I was trolling. <laughs> but um, his uh, honestly, it rises disappointed me. Uh, I thought Begins and Dark Knight were brilliant, but overall, the I mean, not only just the movie disappointed me, but also I think the the score did feel a little phoned in. Uh, what was introduced in Dark Knight? Joker's theme. Well, Joker's the, uh, wait, one is, note theme, which was there, wait, did, what is the Joker's theme? No, I mean it's it's a, it's a cello moving <laughs> up one string, but also oh wait wait, so wait wait hold on wait do it again um dead end so okay those two notes we're playing that's, it in the right key small part of it, it's a 13 is, minute is dc d and c and he and zimmer actually thought to make dc comics a cue and when so uh it comes up are a you couple shitting times. me right now i am dead serious and when joker's they, theme is dc and and this this comes in a couple times in uh like in the movie and the the most obvious one is the interrogation scene uh, when he's like um, what is it they're only as good as the world allows them to be that that around okay. that line uh, I like my Joker impression more but that was not bad for the guy who knows everything about music well you know <laughs> yeah we can get in the can, can you do walking yes I can do a, a bit I can do a little Jesus. but <laughs> but um so the, the my father thing, right? You know, but the NBC theme, right? Dun, dun, dun. You know, that's the thing. Wait, but in aren't in isn't a note. It's it's uh, General Electric Corporation. G E C. Oh fuck this! Yeah, <laughs> I hate this now. So so um, in that scene though, he's going. It's a, actually a piano sounds a lot like this, so that's pretty cool. Because he he you're he saying that's an out of tune piece of shit upright. Yeah, he found he found a piano at a pawn shop that was actually terrible, way more out of tune than this. And Thanks, he, Alex. And he used it just for dude. I love this piano. He I found a piano that was terrible, like this. <laughs> and it's uh, it goes. gets pretty intense but in Hans Zimmer's defense that actually kind of sounded cool dude it's fucking perfect for the Joker I know and uh, I'm still over here with my latent racism against Hans Zimmer (laughs) (laughs) and then like speaking of that movie James Newton Howard who we haven't really talked about uh, his stuff for Harvey is brilliant for sure wait who scored all the movies it was uh, the first two were Zimmer and and Newton Howard working together third was only Zimmer just Zimmer and the third movie, you didn't like the score as much. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm well, just holding to my they, old weirdo troll thing. No, they uh, they did specifically split duties though. Zimmer did do like the Bruce and Joker stuff. What did what, okay? What did James Newton Howard do? Howard that's, that's did, like memorably good. Howard did the um, and, and no, nah, and now nah, he doesn't really have a theme. Probably and, like and, Rachel's and theme. Batman. Yes, like the Rachel, like young Bruce, um, like.
and then um, uh, the and then he really channels like Thomas Newman actually. Uh, they 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 have some overlapping styles, but for Harvey's theme, yeah, it's um, tremendous amounts of Newmans in this. Uh, let's see, how does this go? Uh, hmm. Fuck, fuck your B key. God damn it. <laughs> My middle B key doesn't work. Uh, it's kind of, kind of that of, thing that's going on. If you sort of prime on. the B key by like just like lifting yeah, you the gotta, you can't make it work. Like but I'm just hitting it over and over and sometimes it works. Yeah, but uh, it anyways, like a Hans Zimmer score just then. Yeah, his <laughs> his uh, the the Harvey Dent stuff is actually my favorite music from The Dark Knight. I think it was perfect. What is the Harvey Dent stuff? What I was just playing like that that kind of high stuff, and then I'm trying to think. Fucking, I say it's my favorite, and right now I can't think of it. One <laughs> of my favorites. Yeah, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this is going, "God, that guy sucks at music." <laughs> <laughs> is the uh, is the father son theme that gets played like. Twice and begins at once in Dark Knight, and then like um, never. I think it's a lot it like the Rachel theme, isn't it? Uh, I can never remember how it goes either. It's now I'm on the spot. Perfect though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you should face the mic when you're talking. But that that's the father. Yeah. That gets played. I can't think of exactly how it goes. Oh well. To play it, but anyways, James Newton Howard did a lot of really good stuff for those two movies. And then he just stepped out because after Inception it was all like Hans Zimmer and Nolan like being buddy buddy, and so he 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 actually Aww. said he felt yeah. he felt like a third. He wheel. got still watered. Yeah, so he was. Hans like, Zimmer was I'm on out. the T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so but we were was, talking about Howard Shore in the Lord of the Rings. Yes. So it boils down to this overarch. Well, I guess new. Wait, did, is Shore a disciple of Williams? Because Shore is also very leitmotiv I mean, he's very yes. like, he, here's well, nine themes that we're going to keep playing with. Well, you know what? Uh, for Lord of the Rings in particular, he listened to a lot of Wagner because Wagner did the ring cycle, which is really the only diff- the only similarities between the ring cycle That's opera. just this side of being as annoying as DC. Well, <laughs> it's, it, it, the, only, the only things that Lord of the Rings and the ring cycle have in common is that they each have to do with the magic ring, but that's about it. Um, but... He listened to that a lot, and then he actually wrote cues. If if you look at the uh, the track listing for Fellowship, I think he kind of departed from this after the first movie. But they're actually the same. The, each cue is the same name as a chapter in the book, and so he Whoa. Uh, yeah, and he actually I think Nerd. I think he actually sat down and started writing cues while reading the book. I feel like I read that. And I'm I'm not sure if that's actually correct, but that's pretty badass if it's true. And then he actually, I believe, if I'm right, like this is all like pretty old information, but I think what I remember reading was that he he did that, and then he ad- later adapted to the, those cues to the film. So he like wrote music and then edited it to the film. Like he was like, that's not exactly fitting, so I'll change this here and there. But um, his. His commitment to those scores was incredible. For for Return of the King, they got pretty behind schedule uh, during the scoring sessions, and so he actually, I think, was writing six minutes of music a day. And to put that into perspective, John Williams generally writes two minutes hmm. a day. Hmm. And um, I've written four minutes in one day, and it almost killed me. <laughs> it was terrible. And when Kyle earlier said something about writing ten minutes, I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, like, the, like these are 
and I'm talking fully orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not talking just like I'm you you spot it and then you write the music out, which is luckily what a lot of TV composers do when they have ten minutes to do in a day is they'll have an orchestrator who will help them actually flesh out the actual piece of music. But uh, uh, Howard Shore pretty much orchestrates his own stuff. I think he has like one or two assistants. Wow. And uh, they're mostly there for like copying, like printing parts and stuff for the players. And so he was like, he was real deal composing six minutes of music a day. Like he, he is just absolutely incredible. And I mean, you, you only, it's funny, all the composers are like, you get big after you're 40, you know, and it, it kind of takes that long to get that good. You know? The biggest horror story sounds like aliens. What was the thing with aliens? Uh, that uh, Horner, Horner, I mean, they were already like not getting along. Wait, was it then... Aliens Goldsmith? No, that was Horner. Alien, Alien, Alien was, Goldsmith. was Goldsmith. Aliens was Horner. Yeah. Uh, and Alien and 3 was actually... Uh... Golden Thaw. No, I thought you were going to say uh, John luc Picard. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, he had like no time to do it. And then... Uh, he did the Cameron... Troy in five days. Oh my God. Who did? Horner. Which is also, it sounds almost exactly like the Enemy at the Gates score, and I really can't blame them. Oh, shit. I, I have you not mic'd. Sorry. I turned down the mics on the ones people aren't at because it decreases noise. Oh. Now you are mic'd. So what I just said was uh, uh, James Horner did well, I'm fighting. I'm fighting noise like a motherfucker on this episode because That's that okay. mic is just inherently noisy. Yeah. But uh, James Horner did five. Uh, did the score to Troy in five days. And I'm, I really don't blame him for it sounding exactly like the score to Enemy at the Gates, because, like... At that I, point, I, they, at they that point you just composer. sort of instrumentate and go. Like, it's they, like, yeah, all right, they, what I know, go. They had a uh, they had another composer, uh, and they, they I forget who it was, but they, it just wasn't working out, and he had a complete score just mm. done. And I've actually heard a little bit of it, and it's really cool. Also, this just broke in my hand. <laughs> oh, no, that thing's been broken for a while. Okay. Trey broke that a long well, time it's, ago. It's, it's definitely dead now. But, uh, it's the little thingy on a mic stand that holds the XLR to the, t- to the stand broke. Yeah. It's not a big deal. But, um, yeah, so I, I've heard the original score, and it, I forget who did it, but it was pretty interesting. It was, like, more historical sounding. It was less action movie Less Brad Pitt. Here, put that mic in your mouth. Less Brad Pitt. No, lean back. Uh, but then slide the mic to you. It'll but, be more comfortable that way. Yeah, now you're good. Now you're good. And uh, it was it, more it, historical, but less off. Brad Pitt. Yeah, and and I honestly like James Horner's score to Troy. I think it was good. I haven't seen Troy. It worked. You've never seen that. No, it's good. Isn't the thing it is works. is Troy the one? I don't know if either of you listened to Down Front, but is Troy the one that Eddie's always talking about, where he's like the normal theatrical release was kind of shitty, but then the Oh, it's, I think it's Kingdom of Heaven or oh, something like that. That was Harry Gregson better, Williams better doing it. But, but the one where, it, there's one movie that's like that because I don't know any of these movies, but they all sound like the same sort yeah, of historical mi- epic. Middle 2000s was all about the uh, But he was like, he was like movie. that movie fucking sucked and everyone knows it. But then if you watch the actual director's cut, it's half an hour longer and everything just clicks into being great. Hmm. Might be Kingdom of Heaven. I heard I Kingdom heard of Heaven a is a better. movie, right? Like, I, I didn't yeah, just make yeah, this shit up. Yeah. Okay, good. I think that's also, what it was. Also, doesn't it have Orlando Bloom in it? Yeah, both movies have Orlando Bloom. And Troy, never mind. Never mind. But uh, I was gonna say Troy's the one where Rosario Dawson's in it and gets all naked and booby, right? Uh, I think that's Queen of the Damned. <laughs> no, I'm just like all I know both about this naked and booby. <laughs> I, I, I like that you have to use both terms. No, what's crazy is that I don't think Rosario Dawson's been in a movie where she wasn't naked in it, except for maybe Clerks Two. Well, well, 
See, he's over here going like, that can't be weight. <laughs> anyway, whatever. So we're talking about, all right, so Matt, you haven't talked much, man. What, what is your thought at this point? Like when you, when you think about scores and, and, and talking to people about them, mm-hmm. are you trying to relate your experience with the emotional connection to a score? Or is it that, just like, no, this piece of music is amazing. Just listen, just go. It, it's definitely much more so the emotional. Uh, Have you ever enjoyed a score for a movie you didn't like to the point where you bought the score and just listened to the score now? Uh... I don't think I don't think that's likely, but if you have, that'd be interesting. None come to mind, but I definitely have downloaded themes and scores to movies I haven't seen. Like, oh, this score is oh, amazing. See. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you should listen to it. Oh, you saw the movie? Oh, no. Hmm. Uh, that sucks. Nothing. Again, nothing is coming to my head, but there's definitely plenty of those. Um, but yeah, for me, for me, it's definitely it's yeah, it's not about like the craft or how well it's made or or the complexity of the sound. It's it's for me, it's like it's. The emotion that the, the emotion I associate, yeah, 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 with with the movie that I saw. It's ultimately the only thing that matters, too. And mm-hmm. you know, exactly. we, we can talk about all these composers being really good at writing music, or they can, you know, design a really great sound and a synth, or but at the end of whatever. the day, but exactly. yeah, the thing is, is that you have to move all past all that, and it has to just be second nature. And mm-hmm. you, all the really, really, really great composers can can nail a really nuanced emotion. Say, you're scoring. A sex scene where they are cheating on their significant others, but they had a legitimate relationship in the past, and they're each going to war tomorrow and they might die. Like there's there's a lot of emotions going on right there, mm-hmm. and you have to actually be able to touch them all. A yeah, you have to actually turn. You have to find the crossroads, and that's like ten roads <laughs> right there, <laughs> all intersecting. And then also, you might not be doing that. You might be scoring something else that's you might you might choose to do a military theme right there oh wow or you might choose to do just a you know like like pretty much just your your standard like romantic like sweeping thing because you might want to focus on what they're thinking which is that they're a this moment is worth it they're having some great sex or you know like yeah the military thing we're going to go to war or you could actually do something kind of left field you could actually almost do a horror cue there Almost. Not you could actually quite. use the score as juxtaposition. Yes. You can and actually, if you're trying to build some amount of... That's gets interesting. Exactly. If you're trying to build some amount of irony in your scene, whether or not like the scene is ironic, but like if you're trying to build some amount of what they're not thinking about is this, and that's what the audience is feeling right now. They're going, I can't believe they're doing this, but that's me and the audience trying yeah. to communicate. You can actually try to build the sense of irony in the scene, and you could totally use music as the counterpoint. Yes. Not, not of- musical term counterpoint, but as the counterpoint to what's the established tone of the moment. Yes. The most obvious for me is comedy. Uh, Tropic Thunder they do this really intense like just action music they play it totally straight and they actually just go and t- like really intense like they'll bring in like the gladiator-esque like female vocals like <laughs> and they, they just they just play it a hundred percent straight and it's hilarious and that's that's like the most obvious Baraka music yeah <laughs> they, they just do it perfectly and but when you take it to more serious things like that and you're 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 still doing it ironically that's kind of a weird place to be but it can be awesome all right let's do right. let's do another lightning round just to get it out of the you know the people that are listening who are you still listening rounds, no i just you know every couple of hours i want to throw it out to something that's a little bit more you know accessible all right around the room you have two sentences worst john williams score oh <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's like, a, would you rather jump into a pool full of razor blades or pull off your fingernails with a crowbar? I mean, I know, but seriously, 
Worst John Williams score for me. Sorcerer's Stone. You're crazy. Now here's the deal. No, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. The sort of the John John Williams is not capable of sitting down at a piano and sketching out a melody that sucks. He does not have that ability at all. And all of the action and fucking brilliant. And all of the individual (laughs) motif, like literally on a piano, you can play motif themes in Harry Potter are perfect. Yep. Like bullseye Harry Potter. But the actual score is oh Alex is getting up again. I got it. I got it. Shit. What the hell? He actually knocked over the entire mic stand, uh-huh. arm and all. You know that's easy. Yeah, whatever. All right, uh, Alex, with like like one finger versions here. Uh, that was wrong. Okay, want to see what's cool about Alex, Matt? Mm-hmm. Watch this, Alex. Now play the exact same thing in C minor. Motherfucker can just transpose in his head. That's crazy. All right. Do you know uh, Hedwig's theme? Hedwig. That, that they, they, that's Hedwig's theme. Oh, that is it? it? Yeah, well, that's, well, that is called Hedwig's theme. Oh, I thought it was the main. Yeah. Are they the same thing? The main, oh, the actually, yeah. I mean, it, it goes into this, which is like. That's it. That version. That's John Williams wrote that in his room, right? Or in his living room or foyer or whatever. Fuck but your beaky. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I know. But. Every single one of those in the Harry Potter franchise is fucking perfect. Yeah. Like all of the things yeah. that John Williams oh, set up, like all of the little houses that he built, are all outstanding. But the overall implementation is actually kind of lacking for me. Like I don't. What's crazy is for a movie directed by Christopher Columbus and scored by John Williams, I don't feel it enough. That's the most weird, not gonna ever happen thing that I can imagine ever happening with a movie that is a children's fantasy whimsy tale with Chris Columbus directing and John Williams scoring and the thing that I'm feeling is I don't really actually feel the hits that is odd to me and I feel like for that reason even though that every single individual motif is really like fucking A great and B perfect for the movie the overall I learned that A great and perfect are two different things (laughs) yeah well you know every single one of those is a great melody every single one of those melodies is perfect for the movie and yet the overall score doesn't actually hit me as strongly as it could I think I, I think eighty five Williams knocks that score out of the park. You know I'm gonna. You guys are gonna hate me for this. Let's do it. The worst John Williams score to me. I can't believe I'm about to say this. You say Star back. Wars? No. I, I got something to say. No. After this. Uh, Indiana Jones. I'm, the whole overall wait, the, the overall suite or like a particular movie. Uh, Temple all. of Doom. I have, all, very, very, I have something very similar to say about that. Well, okay, okay. Yeah, well, hold on, wait, I Alex. Alex, I, I'm going to. Back I want to remind. I, I know you've had a couple of beers, man, but I want to remind you <laughs> that you are on record as saying I, no. I understand that, that you were disappointed by the Indiana Jones score. No, here's the thing. As music, holy shit, so good. Same same deal. Amazing music and also amazing movies. Somehow the connection between the two. Well, the music is the music is way bigger than the movie is. It, I think that might be the problem. When I'm seeing it on screen, there, there's some part of me that is. And granted, when we're saying worst John Williams score, that's like saying like the like ugliest Playboy model. You <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly. <laughs> and 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 like he, like my disappointment is so tiny. 
Okay. <laughs> well, I wanna, let me, let me well, do a thing here. Because if it's something like my Harry Potter thing, what the problem is, is not that the music doesn't work. It's that the music and the movie don't actually sing together. Work together. Yeah, and I mean, that's the most important point of sure. a film well, Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but you're yeah. not saying that like the Indiana Jones theme is kind of shitty. Oh, no, it's perfect. It's incredible. But, <laughs> but it's too some, much. So, yeah, maybe that's it. I'm not really sure. I've never been able to put my finger on it. Well, but I'll tell when you I'm this. watching the movie, I'm just like... In, in, well, I'll tell you this, and I don't know if this is too pithy to actually make sense, but... Uh, the Indiana Jones theme is heroic, and Indiana Jones is more of a reluctant hero. He's not like you know, you know, fucking Thor. He's this guy who's like uh, uh, he's more John McClane, really. I, I don't think I don't think John Williams was scoring the character. Exactly, that's I what think I'm he saying. Was, he hmm. was scoring the context. Yeah. Hmm. And, oh, that's weird. Um, I mean, here's the deal. You're totally fucking wrong, but I get your point. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> here's, that score I, is I, amazing, and you suck. But <laughs> wow, you're right. Brave came, of you to come out with that. Yeah, I, came, right? I came here prefer, prepared to say this. Um, <laughs> I, I disagree that it that it doesn't match up with the movie. I think it matches up with the movie perfectly. I just tweaked Matt's mic, but I didn't actually change the mic position. I just <laughs> the, the actual sock on the mic was uh, off kilter and it was bugging me. <laughs> I, I I I didn't actually see Raiders of the Lost Ark all the way through. I think until after college, which is wow. my mind. But but who are you? Yeah, I know I'm weird. Uh, Get out. I think I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is overscored. I think there's. Too much music, too often. All of John Williams' movies are overscored. No, I, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think go back and Raiders. watch A New Hope. A New Hope is grossly overscored. It's, it's an perfect. opera. It's perfect, but it is so, especially by today's standards, it is so incredibly overscored. It is all over the place. But I think, but I think, I love it though. <laughs> but, but it might be because I was older watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I was mm. able to watch it a little more critically than than you're watching as a kid. Like, oh, it's perfect, blah blah. blah. I think it's just there's not enough like moments of silence. There's so much. There's so much going on all the time. Yep. And I actually think Raiders as a movie is a little bit overrated too, uh, which is also like a bit of sacrilege. I will kill you. <laughs> I know. It's it's so long. Uh, no, Do you I like Pulp Fiction? Goes, Do you like goes, Pulp Fiction? Oh, Pulp Fiction is seven hours long. <laughs> Shawshank. I'm actually still, hours long. I'm still watching Pulp Fiction, and I started like in high school. So, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I asked what the worst John Williams score is, and and the last thing the I thing fucking is, expected was the thing is Indiana Jones. Like, but I'll take are, it. We are nitpicking though. Mm. That's the thing. No, you're like, right. You're right. It's you, the least hot <laughs> Playboy model, but you like, know. yeah, you. There is no worst John Williams score. <laughs> like yep. everything that he writes is perfect. Okay, uh, let me it's, let me. It's disgustingly perfect. Let me do my own lightning round. Uh, Take it away. Talk, the same John Williams, best John Williams score. That's not Spielberg or Star Wars. Ooh. I, I have my catch me if you can. That's Spielberg. Oh, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has Spielberg scored every Wars. single one of Spielberg's films except The Color Purple. So did he do 1941? Yes. If hmm. it's Spielberg and not The Color Purple, he did it. Wow, um, <laughs> who scored Color Purple? You can't. You I can't don't remember. Ca- you had to come correct if you're going to pull that fucking no, factoid. No, that's that's the fact I know. I don't know who did the Color Purple. Different fact. And like, Fuck you. <laughs> uh, let me. Th- Alex, do you have one queued up? Like, do you have an answer for this question? I'm, I'm working on. It. Right now, I can't I think of John Williams movies that aren't Spielberg or Lucas. There's uh, got to be some. Well, uh, Harry Potter. Uh, the Patriot. Did you say best? Did you say Spielberg, best score that's not them? Best. Here, here's a, I got a list. Wait, oh, was I the Patriot it. Spielberg? No. Yeah, because I love that score, so that'll work for me. All right. That's good. <laughs> uh, Alex, I'm going to read you some non-Spielberg or Lucas Williams movies. Okay. If I can find them. Jesus, they're all... Okay, Sorcerer's Stone, Patriot, Unfinished Journey, Angela's Ashes, America's Millennium, Stepmom. That's I Chris Columbus, dude, I think. The, the Patriot is a brilliant score. I Amistad? Score. A Spielberg. 
God damn this. <laughs> this is impossible. Nixon, Sabrina, hmm. Home Alone 2 and Home Alone are both Chris Columbus, if I recall correctly. You'll see it when you Home get to Home Alone it. is a pretty wait, good score. Wait, yeah. hold on, wait. You said best score? Yeah. Home Alone. Home Alone is perfect. Na da 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 da. But I have a better answer. Da 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 da. Yeah, Jason, you hear it? Fuck your answer. Superman. Superman is a that is a serious theme, man. Dun 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 dun. So fucking good. It breaks my heart, but they're not going to use that theme again. But I guess I guess you got to move on eventually. I love that. I love that. Up a album. six. <laughs> I don't. Uh, shit. I'm not Alex. Nope. You're going between a flat seven and flat six. I love that Brian Singer used it again for returns. Down a half step. There it is. Uh, you had it. Down. Down a. Uh. <laughs> John Williams is rolling in his grave. <laughs> See, it's that Alex actually just finished that. Like, I played the whole thing and then he just came in and did. Just want to make sure we got it right. Here, let's see if I can do this though. I'm gonna try to do my Bruce, jazz, uh, my jazz thing that I asked you to do. Let's see here. Speaking of Superman and music, uh, Bruce Tim, the the DC animation guy, he has a thing about Superman's whatever Superman's theme is. You should you should be able to put the word Superman into the score. Superman. Or, or uh, in the DC one, uh, for that cartoon, da -da -da, da -da -da. Uh, how do we go? Superman, yeah. Superman, da -da -da -da, da -da -da -da. yeah. Superman, Superman, Superman. So he has, I like that theory. Cool. I'm sticking with Home Alone. I like Home Alone a lot. Home Alone's great. Anytime I clean my room, I think that. <sighs> Can anyone? I, I'm drawing a blank on this, and we might. I, like this is literally just a brain fart. Uh, who did, since you said the animated series, animated series of Batman? Shirley um, Walker. Shirley Walker. Love her. God damn. <laughs> Dude, the the theme that she kind of brought in adjacent to Elfman's theme, and then also like when she fully fleshed it out in uh, 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 Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. Beautiful. So good. Man, I wow. love I never thought music. I'd live to see you say Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. I, I love that movie too. Yeah. Alex incredible. is back at the piano. Wait, hold on. Oh, there it is. I was gonna say, until you just played that, that's every pop song. Well, that sounds like no Inception, suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Wait, play the original chord progression again. Watch this. All right, start over. Been holding on your rope, got me ten feet off. Well, the I mean, also if we're talking Batman, that's Zimmer's. It's, I mean, that's no, what I'm saying. It sounds like, what's crazy is that, wait, dude, is she the actual hidden genius behind the Nolan trilogy? <laughs> dude, she's, Clay, Clayface's theme and, and, uh, oh. Mr. Freeze's theme. Yo. So good. Dude. You know what you say, <laughs> but I just can't make a sound. Batman Beyond? I don't even know who did that, but it's fucking sweet. All right, uh, more lightning around stuff here. All right. Um, 
most overrated score. Hmm. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah. Star Wars. I disagree. It's, Do you I think, think that there is a score that is score better than Star Wars' score in the whole world? Because if so, no. Star Wars is overrated. It's not the best score of all time. It is overrated. <laughs> well, no, that is not the definition of overrated, my friend. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Okay, fine. Back to the original question. Most overrated score. I'll tell you this. Requiem for a Dream bores the shit out of me. I like Clint Mansell a lot. And Requiem for a Dream bores the shit out of it's me. It's a good sc- yeah. It's a perfect trailer song, but it's not a great score. It, it doesn't fit the movie. It's overwrought. I mean, it's too much. Well, the movie's overwrought, but I mean, it's it's too much. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like too much. But that might be an orchestration thing. That, that might not no, actually even be that, the music. That's just like fucking that is get not out of my part face of, with your violin. That is not part of the score that was licensed. I'm almost positive. No, that's no, no. He wrote that for the score. I'm actually. That's been on every single trailer since. But I he know, wrote that for the score. But I'm almost positive that's actually a piece that was licensed for that movie. Hmm. No way. But I'm gonna look it up. Look it up, and I forget <laughs> who it is. But I'm almost positive. Like I might be wrong, but I don't know. Uh, most overrated score. Jesus Christ! I'm looking at all your movies. Just to, <laughs> hey, help me out here. Because uh... I mean. There's a lot of good scores. That song so is called Lux Eterna. Yep. And Lux Eterna. Keep looking at my movies. Okay. Clint Mansell, the light motif of the movie. Okay, movie. cool. Awesome. Is a, composition, is a composition by Clint Mansell. Wait. It doesn't actually specifically say that it's for that movie. It just says, is a composition by Clint Mansell. Well, if he... Comma, the late motif. If he scored that movie, then it's probably for that movie. They don't really have to state that, but... No, but then it ended up in the two towers, and then everything else after that. Trailer. The trailer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trailer, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, and every Illuminati video ever. <laughs> <laughs> we are anonymous. And I'm just gonna like take that. a seat by the piano here, so it's like. <laughs> That's right. It's just like fucking get over it. It's too much. Uh-huh. It's also <laughs> Oh shit. Alex is a fucking asshole. <laughs> Look at this guy. He just comes up. I like down in front, but it's really long. There's too many words and not quite enough songs. Uh, you know what? May. You know what? Maybe. Uh, didn't. Did they win? They went for Social Network, didn't they? They. they I think that was incredibly. Alex, your point is interesting, but you have to talk about our microphone for anyone to know that you made it. He's holding. Yeah, I, I would go, say, go, I, go, go, yeah. go. Who did the score? What the score it? for Iron Man? Yeah. Uh, uh, that was Mark Mothersbaugh. Right. None of them are. I was. I made that shit up. I don't know. John Debbie did the second one, and that still wasn't John very Debbie, good. Yeah, 
still, I'm still hoping the third one maybe has a score. Point, I can point Blaine. Yeah, I, you I, guys keep I talking. Think, I'm just going to score your conversation. I think it worked, but it was Iron Man. The score was a little. Oh, it, rock it, and roll. it worked, but I think they could have actually <laughs> made me care more. It's a very I again when when I'm talking about scores that I don't like, it's difficult for me to actually articulate what I don't like about it unless it's just like really bad. But uh the, Oh, also, you know what? I think I may have actually thought of my new fuck it's Spielberg, but my least favorite uh Williams score, Saving Private Ryan. Really? Because he didn't he took the standard their heroes approach. He could have made that so much more interesting. The best thing he did in that movie was, you are not scoring our conversation at all. <laughs> oh yeah, I totally forgot. I was yeah. just playing music. But uh, the the opening D-Day scene, the best thing he could have done was lack of music, which is what he did. There's there's no there's no music right. there, and the rest of it. I, I, it's hard to get his point because it's just kind of this standard like you know snare drum like very straight yeah. you know we're they're heroic and stuff and but that's not what that movie gives me that movie makes me feel like how awful that war was yeah it was terrible and just complete shit and like beyond beyond action it is much it's closer to horror yeah to yeah it's not about it's not about winning yeah. It's about It's about like seeing like your friend torn in half by a bomb and, or like yeah. the guy like looking for his arm and yeah. shit. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's, it's and, not about them winning the war, it's about let's let's prevent this woman, th- this mother from yeah. losing everyone in her entire <laughs> Right. You know, so that's and, the whole reason. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's and a good the, point. Uh, the intent of the score honestly feels a little phoned in. It feels like he, he, they didn't really, really think about what they could do. Hmm. The potential Interesting. there. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. That said, it's executed well. I sure. mean, I, yeah. it's still great music, but uh, yeah, I think I might have to change my, my original hmm. answer. That's a good answer. To what? I was playing music. Uh, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, even though it's still Spielberg, so it's actually... Doesn't fit the question. Or actually, no, it does. No, you're right, mixing, you're mixing, yeah, score. mixing the two questions up. Uh, yeah, my least favorite John Williams score is Saving Private Ryan. I think that's actually a movie that doesn't really hold up well in terms of writing either. Oh, I disagree. I disagree, my friend. I think that's a brilliant movie, but uh, I just think the score they they could have. The entire movie is narrated by a character who wasn't there for all of the movie. <sighs> There's a lot of movies that should be disqualified if you're, if you're talking about <laughs> name one. Oh, I'm telling you, Saving Private Ryan doesn't actually. It's great. It's a great movie, but it's not a perfect one. It's got this really glaring it's issue. Anyway, whatever. Oh. Okay, who? No one cares. No one cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. All right, Alex. Yeah. You want to do a, another non-lightning round, uh, bigger conversation sort of deal? Sure, I like this. I would love to hear your mental process as someone who wants to know more about film composing and how it all works. Mm-hmm. If I gave you a prompt and asked you to uh, score it, ah uh, yes, right, would you be down for this? Sitting at the piano? Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Fuck it, man. Where'd your beer go? Uh, my my stomach. <laughs> oh god damn it! All right, cool. All right, um, Matt. Why don't you? Um, we need a scene here, Mister uh, Filmmaker over there. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, give yes. us, give us, give us a moment, like some sort of a any sort of a moment that would need score. Um. Invent one wholesale. 
Inventocene. Oh, well, that's easy. Uh, well, think of a couple of characters or a few <laughs> characters or something that's happening. What's their interaction? What's the problem in the moment? Um, oh, yeah. By the way, two. even though the piano is what you know the mic is sitting on, you can play guitars and shit, too. I'll keep the mandolin on me. That's a fun instrument. It might work for something. But. Okay, he's actually now he's suited up with a mandolin, sitting at a piano. How about how about two characters in the same room that want to talk to each other but they're not allowed to? Ooh, why are they not allowed to? Is it a church? Is it a? It, oh, oh, wait. What? Uh, um, what if it's a funeral? What if it's two people at a funeral who are looking at each other and they are interested in each other, but they both have too much respect and they're too far away to actually say anything? But there's the beginning of something there. Would that work? Is this funny? <laughs> a serious question. It's a serious question. Um, yeah. Um, how about guys? Mom just died, and they're at the funeral. But he's seeing some random girl that was somehow related enough to actually be at the funeral, but isn't actually a relation. And he's having this moment where he's ultimately sad, but he sees this girl, and he just can't help being interested in her, even given the sort of absurdity of the moment. Give us a first draft, and we'll, we'll give you notes. I didn't mean to play that one note, the jazz note. What about I'm what like about not so not so staccato. I was gonna say See, I, I was I was feeling kind of funny, and I'm how, how I'm envisioning the scene is we have this this guy and he's just kind of you know hmm, no no her more out. like. Um, think, uh, think, you know the scene in Fight Club where he's in the back row at the sort of the, the thingy where the girl comes up and says, I have, you know, anal nitrates and the whole bit, amyl nitrates and the whole bit. And he's just saying like that kind of a setup, like it's that kind of a scene. It looks like that. But this guy is like just distraught and he's lost all of his life force. Uh, he's just like a, a, he's a dead soul and his mom is gone and he's really upset and he just has nothing in him. But he's starting to be filled by the prospect of this girl over there is really interesting and she keeps looking at me in a way that's, you know, hitting I'm me. I'm going to be honest. I hope this doesn't sound like a cop out because it isn't. But that type, that type of scene I really think does best without music because the silence, because there's a certain amount of awkwardness that we want to portray here. Mm? And uh, music fills silence. And silence is sometimes the most powerful thing, especially for awkwardness. All right. And, I agree uh, with your point there. We, yeah. we, we just built you a scene that you shouldn't score. Okay, yeah. how about this? Yeah. I'll give you a, a more generic thing, okay? Okay. Reluctant hero responds to the call to action by packing his suitcase to go on his mission. Okay? Packing uh, a suitcase? Uh, the era is the 1950s. He is the foremost expert on, I guess, shit, KGB. Um, intelligence and he's been out of the business for a long time but someone came to say listen you know Igor you fucking traitor <laughs> we need you to come back in because there's this massive hit planned for the Washington Monument and the White House that is going to happen unless you can help us thwart the mission and he goes okay I'm going to come and do it
Wow, dude. Does that work? That was perfect. I don't even have notes. That was exactly <laughs> what it needed. Yeah, Shit, that was perfect. Okay, now, <laughs> now when I said all that, and this is basically getting to the point of my question in the first place. When I said all that, what made you play that? What, what went in your mind? Let's start with your right hand. Your right hand did this perfect <laughs> No, no, we cannot separate by hands. These two things are just kind of on their own. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. But when I said, what was it that you, you played that, you made that piece of music up off the top of your head. Why? Oops. Or actually, I was in a different key. Um, well... Yeah, the, actually, the, my only real thought there, there were two thoughts. Uh, one was, uh, I need a key change, and I need the specific key change, and I, I actually don't remember what it was. <laughs> but, um, I think that I did... Uh, uh, no, I did this, uh, yeah. That actually wasn't it, but that was close enough. But um, when you get to that 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 low chord, you get this. Uh, if you get to it from a key change, that's kind of a an oft-used device to bring more gravity to the situation. Because you can play this; that means a lot of things. But if you get there from somewhere else that is just far enough away, it can actually kind of add this sort of sense of heaviness. It's an exclamation point. Reluctance. Uh, I'd say more of an underline. Nice. And uh, now, what about the melody, though? You did this really interesting. This sort of descending thing. I don't know. I, I don't know where that came from. Right on. It just worked. How much did the uh, when I said uh, Russian and KGB? How much did that influence what you just did? Uh, none. Interesting. Because that has nothing to do with the. Okay. Here. Just out of curiosity, um, your only directive here is do not repeat what you just did. Do it again. If it's the exact same situation, but Russia and the United States are reversed. So the guy's United... This guy is a Russian dude who now the United States is about to attack the Kremlin. And this Russian dude has just been called to come back out of being a teacher somewhere. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, lead the team to attack the United States. Russian dude. Thing is, I don't think it matters. I, I really because it's not actually a part of the narrative. What it I'm giving this guy prompts to, and he's giving me fucking science back. He's well, great. Because he's, no, it, he's what, doing the right thing. It's just like I'm over here trying to help and it's not working. Yeah. Well, what it comes down to is that it's a person protecting something, and he's it's, it's more it's, of a it's a personal emotion, not yeah, a. It, it has nothing to do with the country around them. We're focused. The, the, the setting the is the setting is going to come in with like the instrumentation. Yeah. The whatever. Set, well, weird. the setting is on screen. We get it. You know, we know that it's Russia attacking the U.S. or backwards or whatever. And you don't need to tell the audience that. They're smart enough to figure it out. They've okay. already seen it. I'll give you a new one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sort of matriarch, leader of the family, aunt, who's a very powerful and important figure in the family, who's, you know, soft in all the right ways, but also, you know, strict in all the right ways, is on the deathbed, about to die, and she's talking to the one nephew that she's always hated, who has always known that he's the only person in the family that this woman that everyone respects hates. And she calls him into the room to say whatever she's going to say. It doesn't matter. But it's the moment where the matriarch aunt is bringing in the one nephew that everyone knows, including both of them, that she's always not liked. And hmm. and it's following him. It's his scene, not hers. It's following him. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough scene, man. Um, the way I'm envisioning it is kind of like he's kind of out in the waiting room. Kind of waiting. And, well, 
doing what you do in a waiting room. <laughs> waiting. <laughs> and, uh, it's not called the running room shit. Yeah. And... And uh, kind of the nurse comes out, and she's kind of like, you know... She wants to see you. Yeah, she wants to see you. And uh, kind of comes down. We have to stay out of the way here. And the problem is, this is a scene that I'd really need to take some time on because the... The, the emotional direction here, I need to figure out what to focus on. And so this is kind of something that I can't do on the spot. It's a little bit more nuanced of an emotion. And so... Well, do I, your best bet, but I can give you some direction if you want it. I really like that. For whatever reason, it works. Don't need to know why. And the fact that it's kind of happy, but it could easily... Could All easily right. go to there. But it's not quite... It's not okay. sad. Stay in that motif. Keep doing that. Um, the first 15 seconds of the conversation are really depressing like I knew you would do this you fucking bitch I've hated you my whole life but then she says something that really matters to him and it totally fixes it and only he will know that what she said actually was a positive thing and that he leaves her life with a positive feeling Right. Dude, that was it's fucking kinda, um, it's, it's, Alex it's, Smith. If you want to hire him, it's, I mean, the thing is, is that that feels like a first draft to me. It's, it's kind of like in the, it's like a similar direction, but it's not quite nuanced enough. It's kind of like that was a broad stroke, you know. And Dude, like that was really impressive. That was, that was good stuff. Yeah, like I mean, obviously it could be fleshed out. Yeah, it, it needs to be fleshed out, and that that sort of that sort of really really nuanced like complex emotion. One of the most important things is the timing. And really, really letting the screen breathe. And, like, the reason that I like a device such as that is that it keeps... It, it's not silence. Because the difference between this and that is so huge. Like, once you drop out all the music... Yeah. Th that is... It hits you. That's massively different. It's a music than, choice. Yeah. Than just that. And that kind of keeps the motion and, like... The viewer's not going to notice this. They're going to know that music is happening kind of subconsciously, but they aren't going to be thinking about it. But it's not, you know. And uh Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of like a placeholder almost. And that I mean that happens a lot. All right, last one here. Last one. 
No subtlety. <laughs> the guy who has fucking Norman Osborn just came out to Peter Parker as being the most evil motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> and now we're getting the first fucking iteration of the villain theme. <laughs> okay, you want this you want this like kind of cheesy. <laughs> Go big. <laughs> like this little dialogue in between them where it's like you know go the, take it it's your scene go director I can't play and speak at the same time like this I'm in a weird time in a chair and it's hard but uh, <laughs> so yeah that's why I'm not that a singer songwriter awesome, but um, that was awesome <laughs> so like yeah they have this kind of like you, you, again you kind of change keys again and you're like kind of sitting there and what I was actually thinking there eh, again that, that felt like kind of a shitty first draft but like like if you you improvise. I, I was, I was kind a of, kind thinking, of shitty first well, draft. Well, all, all composition is improvisation at first, man. So like, like I, uh, I was kind of thinking like, I don't know the hero's theme, but it has to be related to it. Stop. What key were you just playing in? What did you start with? Uh, I was originally in, I don't remember, but then I went up to D. Write the hero's theme for that movie in G. <laughs> uh. Uh, Spider-Man, basically. Think Spider-Man. But not the movie Spider-Man, just like that character. Reluctant, nerdy, but ultimately heroic character. <laughs> Having uh, his ultimate no. hero moment for that character. God, see, the problem here is is that I can't help but... Like, I should never score a Batman or Lord of the Rings film, because like <laughs> there's, there's too much that I'm already like into. Yeah. Imagine you know? if I was secretly a hero that saved old ladies when I actually thought, everyone thought that I was going to bed, but then I suited up and went out and saved old ladies. What were you playing with? What, uh, what was this that's of? something in my vault. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. That's something that I've kind of had a little eh, sitting around, and I think that old work. But, what, um, but what, what was what was operating that heroic vibe? Was it like the weird sort of tension and release stuff? Was it the chords? I mean, kinda, it? I, there's there's a there's a hero sound. It has to be minor always, which is weird. Wait, why does hero, it have to be minor? I don't know, but it feels hmm. right. But all heroes have minor, or that one has to be minor. Most of them are. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's not what I would have thought. Yeah. Something. What's another example? Is do you know something about? I feel like there's something there about a, when it's a secret identity. 
I think that might be it. I think it's yeah, it's the gravity of their of their responsibility. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, but it it, it has Superman. to go to is a Superman in, in minor. Uh, well, Superman's not, all fifths. No, not uh, not the John Williams. No, that's. Uh, See, I think that's. I think that's the difference there because he's fucking. Because he's, he's yeah. He's he's kind of bright and teary in that Superman movie. Superman yeah, is exactly. a bitch. Yeah. So like. I said it. Um, I meant it. I stole my mother's credit. You know. Minor. Mm. And uh, what about uh, does Iron Man have a theme? No, not yet. Not really. Does uh, what about Jack Sparrow? That's not really a Jack Sparrow theme. Oh, that's well. That's more of a situational theme. There you go. So it's a. It starts out as minor. Alex, have you ever played this before? <laughs> because you just fucking did it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a weird change at the last. Da, 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 da. That's close. Yeah, it's it's an instrumentation problem, but that's exactly the chord. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a- Um, I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. I, I know that to you it's like, no, that's just, you do it. But yeah. for me, I'm like, you, what did you just do? <laughs> how did you just how, do how, that? How does the Spider-Man theme go? I can't remember it. Even though it's one of my favorite scores, <laughs> I can't remember the theme. Um, well. Uh, fuck. I'm trying to think of, I, I can sing the whole thing. I'm trying to get to the meat of it. Uh, <laughs> do it fast. Go. There's lots of drums. He might, he might be able to get it from the way you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, shit. Uh, oh, wait, that's Sokka. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe you just played that. That's still blowing my mind. Okay, shit. Um, hmm. You know what's crazy, though? The interesting one to me, because it's simultaneously clearly Danny Elfman, but it doesn't actually have any. I mean, bear in mind. I'm about to make a statement that sounds like it's disagreeing with itself, but it's not. Something that is clearly Danny Elfman. It's just you hear it and you go, oh, that's a Danny Elfman score. But it doesn't have any of the trappings of Danny Elfman as Ben in Black. Spider-Man? It kind of comes in waves. That's right. No, it's close, but it's not right. Trying to do Spider-Man? No, it's all within four. It's all... Oh. Oh, okay. Well, you you sang what I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I got my hash pipe. <laughs> it's the same song. Fuck it. <laughs> Danny Elfman's not there here. There we go. Bless you, Alex. There you go. Um, yeah. All right. Um. Damn, dude, that, I can't. That's crazy. Minor themes. That's a really odd thing. Like I wouldn't have thought yeah. that. Like in yeah, a million I mean, years. The, uh, but the thing is, is that it always the next chord is major. Always. Do you, give me always. a give me a basic example of just a minor chord to a major chord, so we can hear what that sounds like. Well, I mean, the most the the the, the classic hero sound is one minor to flat six major. 
That sounds like uh, Batman to me. That is Batman. <laughs> Play the... Remember when you were talking about... You were talking about the moment in um, Nolan's Batman where he puts up the flashlight in the first moment. That version of the Batman theme from Zimmer's, that the, yeah. the, the flashlight moment. Well, like, throughout the movie, it's kind of like, it kind of hints at it. It's like this really great, like... And, or, or it's more, it's actually, actually this, but, uh... Uh... It's actually, like, the correct voicing, but... Then he actually... Because he's doing, like, one minor to... Flat six major, but first inversion. So it kind of has that unresolved sound. Lilt, lilting quality. Yeah, yeah, it's yes, lilting is a good word for that. And then he actually takes it down to the correct bass note. And if I wouldn't fuck it up, dude, that it's just it's crazy because I don't even like that score. I don't really know it that well. But what's crazy is he plays it on my piano, which sounds nothing like it. And I just hear it and I go, Batman, Batman, Batman. It's Batman. <laughs> Are you going to do it? He's on a mandolin now. <laughs> Wait, play Pirates of the Caribbean on the mandolin. <laughs> uh, where's the pick? Uh, right here. Play with a potato chip. Alex, catch. Good thing I can catch things. <laughs> yeah, we just have a pick ready because that's how we roll. Keep going? No, we're gonna knock it off here. Okay. But um, Alex, uh, turn my I, mic on. Is, is, your, mic is on? your mic back on? Your mic's on now. Okay. I, uh, at, you know, Kyle was outstanding and he was great, and I'm, I'm so glad that he was able to do this for a second. And you did a great job during that whole time and then after. And Matt, I'm really glad you were here. I know you Thank didn't you get to talk me. much, but you were fucking perfect, and I'm glad you were here because <laughs> you were basically I, my sounding board because you're like the other guy over here who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> it was I a, honored, honored that you thought of me. It was a damn good episode, even though it was, let me check here, four hours long. <laughs> the longest down in front in history. Thanks. Nonstop. Play uh, a hero's theme and Play I'll do the out. outro. Play us out, Alex. <laughs> this has been Down in Front. You can always find more episodes at downinfront.net. Oh, wait. Hold on. You can do... An, oh, here we go. You should do a shout out for a yeah, website or something. Uh, do you have a... Yeah, do you, do you have a website? 
Uh, it's it's being built right now. What, what will it be? <laughs> it, it will. Uh, thing is, Alex Smith is kind of a that's a hard domain mm. to kind of figure out what I'm going to be doing. Uh, but it's Alex Smith. I guess you can. Uh, SoundCloud.com slash Alex Smith dash ten. I think is it dash one zero. I think so. Yeah, my my name is just way too common. So and Kyle Newmaster, <laughs> uh, Newmaster is an easier one to find. Kyle Newmaster was his name. Matt Lang Hanksman. Anyway, just uh, send me send me an email. Yeah, Alex Smith Composer at gmail.com. There you go. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Play me a hero theme, and we're gonna skip the we're gonna belabor the down in front theme for this one. That's a sad love theme. Make it cool. Make it cool. Do something piratey. Uh, uh, I was just doing pirates. <laughs> that was that was that was Star Wars. You just played Star Wars. No, I was just doing pirates a minute ago. Not something pirates of the Caribbean. He just play something cool and fun and seafaring. Oh, oh, he's doing it on the piano now. All right. Yeah, well, I can play piano. Make it sound cool. Make it sound cool. This has been Down in Front. You can always find more episodes at downinfront.net. Subscribe to iTunes. You get a brand new episode every single week. Twitter.com slash Down in Front. Facebook Down in Front Show. Email me at downinfrontshow at gmail.com. Go to the forum. Get involved in the community. It's a great place. Much people that are great. Go to the main page where you can buy a shirt. Give us some money. Not asking. Just saying. Twitter.com slash Down in Front. Facebook Down in Front Show. My name is always T. Christy. I'm here next to Matt Link Hanksman. Uh, for Kyle Newmaster and Alex Smith, this is Down in Front saying good night. Good night. Reprise! Reprise! <laughs> <laughs> Friendsinyourhead.com <laughs>